Patricia, my darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as good. And hello, everybody. Sorry we're late, but you know, it happens. It's Saturday night, September the 10th, year 2016. I'm Wong Shoes, and hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. We are late because I started talking and didn't stop, and everybody knows I can do that. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not going to say anything because I might get well, in yeah, trouble. You, 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 you could. You <laughs> could. So I get to say hello to everybody. It is Saturday, September 10th, 2016, and I'm emphasizing that because I'm going to tell people that you can call in and ask questions or make comments for our wonderful guest, Elva Green. She is the daughter of Eddie Green and is the author of the book, Eddie Green, The Rise of an Early 1900s Black American Entertainment Pioneer. And indeed he was. Welcome, Elva. I'm so happy you were able to join us tonight. Hi, Patricia. Thank you for having me. Hi, Walden. We are just, we're really excited about this. Walden has been telling people, she's coming, she's coming. <laughs> we are live, and our listeners are invited to call in with comments or questions for you. 714-545-2071. That's our usual number, 714-545-2071. And I warned poor Elva that trying to introduce her father with his background and her interest in this is just going to be a career. So hold on for one minute, Elva. As All with right. so many performers and people in the entertainment industry, Eddie's name might not be immediately associated with the characters and the work he did that we love. But when I tell you that within his, what I call, a staggering career in the entertainment industry, Eddie Green played Stonewall, the lawyer in Amos and Andy, and Eddie the waiter in Duffy's Tavern, and you'll probably know immediately who I'm talking about. So, uh, Elva, I already warned you on this. I'm going to ask you about the Jack Benny and Mr. DeWitt skit because I That's still right. laugh every time I think of it. Welcome, Elva. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Elva, I'd like to begin with the book. I mean, it, it okay. is an enormous piece of work. I just, I read it, I told you, in two nights, and my disappointment was that it ended, and I meant that sincerely. You introduced me to your father, and it's an introduction that I never would have had otherwise. What made you decide to write a book about your father, Eddie Green? Well, uh, my... Let's see what made me do it. <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to have something down on on paper about my father um for my grandson basically. Um mm-hmm. Why? So because let's see how can I put this? When he was when when my grandson's name is Edward and he also goes by Eddie when Edward was little, he um, experienced a few learning disabilities. Ah. And, yeah, and once he started bringing home homework from school, he would complain about how he couldn't do things. 
you know, his favorite, it seemed to me like his favorite words were, I can't. Oh, dear. And I wanted to figure, I tried, was trying to figure out a way to help him realize that he could, no matter what, you know, the obstacles might be. And there was my father, you know. <laughs> it just, I don't know. I just thought it would be a good way to, to give him something that he could actually have in his hand and read about and see that no matter what, if you want to do something, you can do it, no matter what the obstacles might be. No matter what gets thrown at him. I have the dedication paragraph. Is it all right with you if I read it? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Elva wrote, this book is dedicated to my grandson, Edward Nathaniel Green, to present to him an example of what can be accomplished regardless of obstacles, as demonstrated by his great-grandfather, Eddie Green. That is wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. You, you. you just, oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Okay, so <laughs> tell, me about the dedication. <laughs> tell me about the dedication. Now, your mom, Norma, was, if I interpreted your message correctly, was very close with the information she shared. So it wasn't that you had a wellspring to work from. She was right. an accomplished and well-recognized singer yeah, and yeah. very visible in your father's circle, but you really had to unearth most of the information by yourself. Yes, I did. How did you do it? I've been waiting to ask. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm surprised, though. Uh, no, I shouldn't be surprised because almost everyone that I uh, have that knows I wrote this book has asked me, some form of that question, you know, how did I do it? What did I have to do? And I, um, you know, I started out just going to the library. My mom brought me the first uh, picture that she found in a library. I don't know if she was looking this up or what, but she found a photo of Eddie on the stage, doing Amos and Andy, um, and it was in a book by Henry T. Sampson. I think the book is called Blacks in Blackface. And um, she photographed the photo, the picture, and brought it to me. So I knew that I could go to the library and get information mm-hmm. on Eddie, uh, and that's how I started. What I didn't know was that there was a lot of information out there, and, you know, this article would lead to another article, and that would lead to something else. So I wound up going, I wound up uh, researching newspaper articles, and then I wound up in museums, um, and a museum would, I'd get an article that would send me somewhere else. Um, so, and every, you know, everything that I, every, all the information that I found, I printed out. Um, so I have a lot of paper. I was was thinking you probably have a separate room for all of this. (laughs) Yes, I wish I did. (laughs) I do have. A lot of paper, and I, I wasn't expecting all of that. You know, at the time, 
that I started this research, I didn't I didn't even have a computer. Oh my. Um, yeah. Oh I sometimes I would use the computers at the library or the computers at the um family history library. Mm-hmm. Um or I would go to my mom's and use her computer. Um so it wasn't like I would would pull up a lot of stuff and then save it on the computer, you know. Besides that, I like having things that I can handle. I like having it in black and white that I can see mm-hmm. it. And, you know, and and because too, once I started writing, I wanted to be able to corroborate whatever it was I was putting in the book. That was one of the things that impressed me the most. You did not just run with a piece of information about Eddie or about what was going on at the time in the entertainment industry, you would say, this is the information I have, but (laughs) I I haven't been able to verify it, but this is what I have. And that is, I'll I'll say it's a remarkable trait in a writer to do that. Many of them just say, oh, good, I found a piece of information, and they run with it. And you didn't do that. Okay, thank you, thank you. I'm, thank thank you. you, thank you, because now we know anything that we read in there. My gosh, you know, it's been verified to the best of your ability. It's, it's just a remarkable piece of work. Now, I'm going to ask you my last question first, and I think it's probably a better place for me to start. When you right. were traveling through the information, would you tell me what surprised you the most and what did you come away with that you were most proud of? Okay. Well, personally, Eddie's personal life is one of the areas where I got, where I was surprised the most. Mm-hmm. Because Eddie was married four times. My mother was his fourth wife. And uh, I didn't know that. (laughs) I didn't know anything about these other women. Mm -hmm. Um, So, of course, I had to research them. Mm -hmm. And so I got, you know, I got this information about uh, Eddie's other wives. And that surprised me most in his personal life. And um, his public life, the biggest surprise I got was uh, Eddie being on the first, let's see, 1936, he was on the first RCA NBC television test broadcast. Mm-hmm. He and his straight man... George Wilton were the first two black men to appear on a television program. And I actually have the, well, you can go, a person can go on YouTube and put in RCA NBC um, test program and you can see this recording. And they start out the second part with Eddie and his partner walking out on stage. And my father is in blackface. 
You mentioned that a couple of times. <laughs> Go ahead. This, I was I mean, surprised. It's a remarkable piece of information, and I'm so glad you brought it up. Go. Okay. I was surprised because my mother had told me that Eddie thought that was demeaning and that he wouldn't do that. But there he was. <laughs> and, it, you know, that it blew me away, actually. And mm-hmm. it, it was unfortunate at the time because my when I first saw him, I thought, you know, it's like, oops, there's my father. <laughs> His yeah. black face with white lips. But... After I, you know, looked into, I guess I have to say I felt a a little bit of shame. And I think that had to do with basically, you know, society Mm -hmm. and the thought process that I've, you know, come to have. Uh, But once I, you know, started, I'm trying to think of the word. I went back and I looked at blackface and black and white actors and I looked at the times and I realized that Eddie was doing what Eddie needed to do in order to get where he was trying to get. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he was the funniest thing going. Anyhow, whether he was in blackface or not. Yeah. And, and there he was on television. Mom never told me that. Nobody ever told me that he was just, you know. Your mom didn't person. tell you a lot about your father. Do you understand or have any idea why she was so close with the information and was reluctant to share some of it? I think the fact that she was 30 years younger than Eddie had a lot to do with it. Um, by the time she met Eddie... Let's see. He was in his 50s and she was 22. And from what she told she told me, they partied a lot. And, you know, she was a young, beautiful um, woman <laughs> who liked to go out and party. And sure. she had a lot of friends. And she had her own, you know, she was trying to become an opera star. Um, but I don't think she was that interested in Eddie's life before she met him. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were only married five years, you know, so Eddie, the things that she, she learned, she learned from, I guess, just from the point where she met Eddie, you know, like she saw where Eddie grew up. But that was because a year after they married, he took her back to Baltimore and he showed her where he grew up and why he left home. Um, but he, she never, like, met his parents or, you know, anybody in yeah. his family or anything like that. Yeah. And then, you know, they were on vacation from Duffy's Tavern, so then they came back home. So I just don't think that she had that interest. I think it was just, you know, I've met Eddie now and... I've gotten out of my mother's house, and now I'm going to have fun. And she was able to do that. I'm going to go through a list of the areas in the entertainment industry that Eddie Green 
was very visible and worked very hard in and started with burlesque and vaudeville. He was a comedian, accepting that. This is something, because you touched on it just a minute ago, I'd like to talk about the integration, if that's a, a correct word, of the black performers and the white performers. And he seemed, based on the information you have in your book, to be far more welcomed and accepted in what was a different culture and a different time than what we're accustomed to today. But he seemed to be more present than some of the other black performers. Am I on target with that? Yes. Yes, you sure are. Um, do you think, and please go ahead. I stepped right on you. I guess I'd, I'd have to say because, you know, like one man said that all Eddie had to do was open his mouth and he, and you know, he was funny. So he was funny. He, he was talented. Um, Eddie said somewhere, he said that in the radio business, talent was appreciated and that you get respect if you know your business. Mm-hmm. And he knew his business, you know, and he knew he was funny. Um, and I guess he was so funny that, you know, he was just the man to have. Um, I was just looking at some things before you called. Um, he was at the Apollo in 1925. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned that he taught the white chorus girls race dances and the Apollo kept him on he was the only black entertainer for like 1925 1926 1927 so you know the only thing I can think is he was good he was good at what he did Mm -hmm. some things evaporate when you're having or or you're tied into the performance or the entertainment so many things just evaporate around you. You you concentrate on what's fun or what's entertaining, and it sounds like that happened with him as well. You mentioned something just now about teaching the dancers at the Apollo. Tell me again what he was teaching them. I'm sorry, say that again. The Apollo, the dancers at the Apollo? Yes. He was, um, he, was teaching, he was teaching them dancing. Did you say teaching them race dancing? Yes, did I, I hear, did. I heard that. Would you explain that? <laughs> to me, it means dances that were done by black people. Of course, in 1925, they were, they were Negroes at that time. Mm-hmm. So they were dances that were done by, the, by black folks back then. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it means to me. I don't know how exactly how to explain it to anyone else, but in that era, race dances, race movies meant they were referring to black people. Referring so, to black people. Yeah. So, so I Eddie, I'm, I'm, go ahead. I don't know what type of dances Eddie did. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know necessarily what, dances the black people were doing back then that the white folks weren't doing. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I, 
that's a hard, a difficult question for me to answer, actually, because, they, you know, maybe they were doing swing dances, but I thought everyone was doing swing dances, or maybe they were doing <laughs> the huckabuck. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting, though, that as you're explaining it, and you're telling me that I had the right interpretation when I came across that phrase in your book, that young people had a particular type of dance. Their parents had a particular type of dance. The ones from Ireland had a particular type of dance. Right. And the black community had a cultural type of music and dancing as well. The Scottish people had cultural music and dancing. Right. <laughs> and it, if if you're... I understand what you're telling me, that there was a type of entertainment form for every every possible international and national culture and you're telling me that he was teaching cultural dancing to people who were unfamiliar with it yes oh good That's i right. got it thank you <laughs> I just, you know i, I read some things and i say okay good i got it i think so i depended on you to make sure that my uh, my interpretation was correct but he was an actor a stage performer he performed on broadway of course he was a radio performer and we're going to talk about that a singer. He wrote and produced and acted in a host of movies. He had his own movie studio, CPL Art Pictures. He ran a music school, had, had restaurants, two restaurants. He was involved in everything in the community. Yeah. Yeah. No matter where he was, he was involved in something. I don't know when the man slept, and I probably guess that you don't know either. And he was a creative genius in promotions, but he was a songwriter. And he, I went out and I listened to Bessie Smith, and I listened oh, to, oh, I did, and I listened, oh, I love that woman. And I listened to Frank Sinatra and Shelley Winters do it, yes. and, and, and they performed it. And I know that's, that's one version that, that you mentioned. It is A Good Man is Hard to Find, and it was from 1917. And it's, it's we're going to tickle on some cultural things here as well. But I, I excerpted two little portions of it. And one of them is, yes, sirree, folks, they say that opportunity knocks but once. And when that once is gone, sister, it's gone forever. I'm going to hug him in the morning, kiss him every night. I'm going to give him plenty of loving and treat him right because a good man nowadays is hard to find. And the okay. song lyrics are I mean, they're extraordinary. They, they, they're really a lot of lyrics there, and much different from what we find today. But that was, and probably remains, his most famous song. Yes. Are people still singing um, it? Yes, as a matter of fact, I just did an article uh, for a magazine, an online newspaper called Unlikely Stories, um, and they did a September issue um, with the title Black Art Matters, and they asked me to do an article on Eddie's music, mm-hmm. and they supplemented that article online with different versions of A Good Man is Hard to Find and a couple of other songs that Eddie wrote also. Um <laughs> some information that I gave them. The last version, the last hearing that I know, the last person that used that song was 
Woody Allen in his last movie or his movie from, I think it was 2014, Blue Jasmine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he used a Creole version of A Good Man is Hard to Find. And it's very jazzy. And the lady singing it, I cannot think of her name right now, but but Woody Allen used it. And in 2015, HBO used that song in their uh, movie, Bessie. Uh-huh. There was their movie about Bessie Smith. And so one of one of the actors sang that song in that movie. So that's as as recent as I know, it's 2015. Uh-huh. So people have an opportunity to be familiar with this. I'm not telling many people this is not something brand new to them. They understand this. Now, one of the things that you wrote was that he liked, this is a quote from your book, he liked best performing for a radio audience. And, of course, radio is our big thing on this show and on this station. So that was really delightful for me. We're talking with Elva Green. I have to remember to do this and remind people who we're talking with. You are the daughter of Eddie Green, and she is the author of the book, Eddie Green, The Rise of an Early 1900s Black American Entertainment Pioneer. And a pioneer, indeed, he was. We're live. Our listeners uh, can call in. With questions or comments, 714-545-2071. Your dad had a string of radio experiences before he got to Amos and Andy and Duffy's Tavern. Would you talk about his time with Amos and Andy about the, from the information that you were able to locate? Okay. Um, let me see. I'm trying to, I don't, you know, I don't know a lot about that time other than what I, what I came across. Mm -hmm. Um, Matter of fact, you, you asked me before this conversation about um, if there was anything that I wanted to touch on and it reminded me that I do have a photo of Eddie on the Amos and Andy program ah. with uh, the two gentlemen, Amos and Andy, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, Ruby Dandridge, Dorothy Dandridge's mother. Um, but I didn't put the photo in the book because I didn't really have um, the okay. You know, I couldn't find out who... Oh, here it is. I couldn't find out who took the picture. Oh. Um, but it's a it's a photo with the cast, uh, the Amos and Andy show. In the background, it has the new Rinso, which tells me, you know, that was what they were advertising at the time. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know much about that time. I did, There are only like 
two or three, um, there aren't many Amos and Andy programs that you can listen to, and there's not a lot of information about Eddie on being on Amos and Andy. Yeah. Other than the fact you that he was there. You, you unearthed a fair amount of information there. And when, when we're finished, if you are okay off the air to share your address, I have quite a large collection of Amos and Andy shows that I would be happy to send to you. Oh, good. And you can pick I up the time frame. Oh, and, and I would love to send them to you, and I, they're fun. I, we, we share Amos and Andy around here all the time. I mean, if, you, if you ever need a time to just drop out of life and have a good time, you listen to Amos and Andy. <laughs> it's really good. And right. The, I'll find the time period uh, that Stonewall, Eddie Green, of course, was playing Stonewall Jackson, the attorney, and I, I will find that time period and make sure that I flag those particular shows for you. Okay, good. I actually, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go. I there is one that I have in the book that I really, I think it's the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, and I was while I was looking up information on Amos and Andy, I ran across a man who remembered this same program, and he thought it was like you know the funniest thing he had ever heard. Also. Um, and that one is in the book. It's uh, Stonewall as a lawyer. When um, Kingfish's wife was trying to get a divorce. <laughs> um, but the Amos and Andy programs were, I thought, some of the funniest programs on the radio. From what I've read. <laughs> of course, I, I never heard any of them. Oh, well, well, we'll fix that. I'll make sure you get some. When I came across that notation or the the part in the book where you talk about Stonewall Jackson defending the Kingfish, George Kingfish Stevens, in yes. a marital problem in court, I yes. remember listening to that show, and I've listened to it more than one time because I thought it was hysterical, too. <laughs> yes. It's just a great show. So that one's in, at least that one is in my collection, and it's fairly sizable. But I think you are right, and a lot of our listeners are going to remember that one as well. It's one that stands out. Duffy's Tavern was one of the shows he was most involved in. It ran for about 10 years, and I guess he was in for how many years? He was there at the beginning. Pardon? Until 1950, yes. So he started in 1941 when the program first came on? Yes. So he was with it almost for the entire run. And then, of course, in in 1950, he was so ill and um, died within just a few months after you all came home from Puerto Rico. Yes. When when we were talking earlier, I mentioned the Jack Benny show, and he had done a, a few of them, maybe three or four of the Jack Benny shows he appeared in them, and he did a skit <laughs> where he played a Mr. I'm laughing again all over here. He played Mr. DeWitt, and he was in a hotel room with Rochester, who had, for some reason, either had a split or decided he was going to quit or was on vacation 
something happened that Rochester was away from home, and Eddie Green played Mr. DeWitt. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to recognize this one as well because Mr. Penny was so upset with Rochester, and he called the hotel and wanted to talk with Rochester. Yes. <laughs> Jack said, who is this? And Mr. DeWitt said, I'm Rochester's secretary. And he said he wanted to talk to Rochester. And Mr. DeWitt said, just a minute, I'll see if he's unpreoccupied. And yeah. <laughs> that line just put me down. And it's such a reasonable word, unpreoccupied. If he's preoccupied, right. he can get unpreoccupied. And, Elva, I am still laughing at this. I'm looking at, I, I copied the, the script notes along the way here. I'm looking at mm-hmm. this and I'm laughing all over again. You said this is one that made you laugh out loud as well. Tell me what your reaction was. Well, you know, it's, I realized Mr. DeWitt is obviously his way of, you know, he was a wit. He was witty. He was a wit. And, and that's what I thought when I first saw it. Okay, Mr. DeWitt, I get it. <laughs> um, I didn't. Oh, my goodness. Oh, gosh, thank you. I missed that. That's what I got. I think you got it right. (laughs) Okay. Right over my head. And I, and um, when he said that, okay, this is what I was thinking also. They were at the Teresa Hotel. They said Mm -hmm. that Rochester was at the Teresa Hotel. And back then, the Teresa Hotel was a very popular hotel that blacks, could get a room in mm-hmm. um, only blacks at the time. Um, there was a time when only whites could get there, but at this time, the Teresa Hotel was where most of the blacks stayed when they came in town. So I thought that was nice that they actually had Rochester staying at the Teresa Hotel, even though this was a, a skit. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So, okay, so you're where he says, I'll see if he is unpreoccupied. You know, the next line was Jack says, unpreoccupied or not, I want to talk to him. So he just played along with it. And Jack played along with the whole thing because Mr. DeWitt says, who shall I say is calling, please? In other words, who is you? Jack says, who is I? Who is you? You know, <laughs> they just they just carried it on, um, and the last line says, uh, "Mr. Dewitt says, okay, Mr. Benny, okay." And then he's talking to Rochester, and he says, "Get off his lap, sugar. He's wanted on the phone." Yeah, yeah. That just stay with you, and this is one of them. <laughs> Yeah, I just, I thought, you know, these guys were Mr. DeWitt. That stuck with me. That's what mm-hmm. stuck with me. He was, he was a wit. A wit. You know, and I, I don't know if he did that on purpose, but that's what I got out of it. <laughs> well, it it sure sounds logical to me, and it went right over my head. It just <laughs> sailed right over my head. Well, that is one of the... One of the shows that sticks with me, and I know Walden will be able to provide a date for it, and I'll find that one. Do you have a copy of this particular show? Actually, it was 
yes, I do. But it's on my it's on my phone. No, I, I it was on the, the Jello program mm-hmm. on April April twenty eighth, nineteen forty. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. I got it. Yes. I remember it very well because also Rochester had a girlfriend and the lady who answered the phone at the Teresa Hotel during this skit was the real life um, comedic partner of my father. Her name was Gigi James. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Gigi a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they, they they all worked together in various, you know, various places. But people don't, today those, you know, those names don't really mean a lot to people. And that was... um the one thing that bothered me the most once I started writing this book, that there are so many people, especially black people, that were doing radio and, um, you know, had a lot of notice at one time, but have totally fallen between the cracks. I felt quite ignorant when I came across so many names of people I know had a significant place in the history of entertainment, and I didn't recognize their names. I'm proud to tell you I recognized a lot. Not nearly as many as I wanted to, but I recognized a lot, and it was just so delightful to see their names in harmony with other people. So I Mm -hmm. knew who they were congregating with, who were they socializing with, who were they working with, and it it was really an interesting journey for me in that department as well. Yes. Okay. I'm so glad have, it was for you. It was an interesting journey for me also. <laughs> it, it was it was something that should have taken a lifetime, and you managed to get in front of us before that lifetime was. I mean, it's just, it is just staggering. I have to tell our listeners that the book, I guess it's about 180 pages, maybe 190 pages, somewhere in there, 180 to 190 pages. Every single one of them is chock-a-block full of information, and it does not read like a dictionary. It, it is just so much fun to have all of these people in context and where they worked, what they did, what Eddie Green was doing, and how he fit into the overall picture. It was just such a joy to get through, and that's my best recommendation for people who can find the book on Amazon, I know, and then I'm going to ask you for other places as well. We're talking with Elva Green, who is the daughter of Eddie Green. Eddie was Eddie the waiter in Duffy's Tavern, and he was uh, Stonewall Jackson, really a fun, fun character. Stonewall Jackson, the lawyer in Amos and Andy among a million other things. But those are the two most prominent um, characters he played in various radio uh, programs that our listeners are likely to lock in and say, oh, yes, I know exactly who he is. So you can give us a call if you'd like to talk with Elva or make some comments or have some questions. We're at 714 545 
1-800-227-1. I would love to hear about the Hot Mikado. Right. Hot Mikado was a performance or an act, I guess, that was carried over to the World's Fair uh, in 39 and 40, and he was Coco in the Hot Mikado. Would you talk to me about that? All right. Um, that is one of the things, one of the uh, things that Eddie did that my mother told me about, um, probably because my mom at the time was into um, opera and musicals because she, my mother was a singer in the family, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, but she was very proud of the fact that Eddie did the hot Mikado um, because he sang, I guess the song was a major part of, of this, of this uh, stage play, Tip Willow. Mm-hmm. Um, and she told me that Eddie sang Tip Willow in the hot Mikado. Um and from one of the people that um I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. I'm trying to look something up and look something uh, up in okay. the book also. <laughs> I, I don't um, do that particularly well, I understand. <laughs> I'm trying to look up what they said about Eddie in the hot Mikado. Actually, a person can go on YouTube and look up the hot Mikado and um, from 1939. And there is a um, recording of Eddie dressed up as the high executioner. That's who Coco was. He was the high executioner in the hot Mikado. And um, Bill Bojangles Robinson was the Mikado. Mm-hmm. Um, the gentleman that married Elizabeth Taylor was the person who put on the hot Mikado. Uh, Michael Todd? M- Mike Todd. Okay. That's right. Mike Todd put on this version uh, because he wanted an all-black version of the Mikado. Mm-hmm. And so his version was called the Hot Mikado. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Yeah. So. How long was it, this play? Oh, you know, I don't know how long it, it was. It, it sounded, and I don't know if I'm on target with this, but it sounded from the way it was described in the and the newspapers in print, the way it was described in print, and little comments that you came across along the way, it sounded like it was a relatively short performance, which would make sense at a World's Fair. And people's attention span is usually a little bit shorter than um, what you would find traditionally, but I didn't know. Well, but it was. it also played, before it was at the World's Fair, it played at the Hudson Theater. Mm-hmm. Um. So and it had, I know. Go ahead. Go, no, you go ahead. I, I was going to ask, do you think they, they brought the theater production over and just repeated it there as opposed to editing it in some way to 
fit a different audience. As far as I know, Eddie did the whole show from from because also in 1929, that same year, Eddie was chosen to do a radio program that they sent to um, to um, the Antarctica. Antarctic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why I have trouble saying that. They wanted to. Um, Wait a minute. Hold on one second. Okay. Eddie had to go to the World's Fair, do the play, the Hot Mikado. Then he had to rush down, change clothes, in order to make it to this radio program that they were doing over the air, that they were sending to uh, the Antarctic. For the men who were, yeah, the men, yeah, 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 that's it. And so they didn't. I don't think they shortened it because what they did was they gave Eddie uh, a police escort from the show to the radio station to get him between shows. Now, this is the speed and the tempo that I picked up from what you wrote in the book, that he literally would do this all day long if he could, just mm-hmm. hopping from one place to another and doing mm-hmm. it almost instantly. Where did he get this kind of energy? Heck if I know. I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> I mean, it's a natural one to ask, and I, I sincerely doubted that anyone would have shared this with you or could have shared this with you. But the man's energy level was enviable. He could do what three people would have to take in order to accomplish in a single day. Right. I I don't know where he got that. Yes. Uh, I want to talk about Heroes Was People skits. I did not get what I should have gotten from what you wrote what the Heroes Was People skits dealt with and what they presented. Did they change as as time went by? Did the they people change? who were featured? John Tucker Battle was the man who wrote these um, skits. Mm-hmm. Eddie put what was called a... Um, a black spin on these stories, um, such as Jonah and the Whale. Mm, okay. Eddie, now I have that. Eddie did a Jubilee radio program, and one of the skits was Jonah and the Whale from a black perspective, meaning... As opposed to Jonah being who who Jonah was in the Bible, a white mm-hmm. man, Jonah is now a black man, and the whale is Eddie. <laughs> oh my gosh! What a great creative way to do this. 
Okay. The and, yeah, okay. Right. right. And so they talk like black people might talk in those days. Or okay. so, so it was a cultural that's presentation. That's what I mean. Heroes okay. was people. It's supposed to appeal to a black audience. Um as uh-huh. opposed to that's why was was spelled W U Z as opposed right. to W A S. So it's supposed to be funny, you know, and it's supposed to sound like this is the way it would sound if it were two black people, you know. Do you and know? Go ahead. Like Eddie and Hattie McDaniel did um, Napoleon and Josephine. Okay. And, of course, Eddie was Napoleon, and Josephine asked him, he, she said, why do you love me so much? And, um, oh, shoot, I forgot what his answer was, but he didn't, what he talked about was, he talked about money. He was, oh, Eddie was right. trying to get, no. he, yeah, was he was trying to get some money, money from okay. Josephine so uh-huh. he could get out of town. Yeah. Yes. And that you know that's supposed to be a black slant. Ah, okay. So that was a cultural presentation as well. Exactly. You know, oh, they were just regular good. people, but they those people happened to be black. And this is what it was like if if they had been black. Sure. Sure. Oh, I love this. Did but they you... were written by a white man. Uh, were they written for? black performers by this white man or did Eddie and his crew take over and put the cultural spin on it you know I'm not sure but I I don't know if it was specific if they were specifically written for black people because Eddie was he started doing those shows on um Rudy Valley, mm-hmm. on the Rudy Valley radio program. And, you know, Rudy Valley was definitely a white radio program. Yeah. I don't know how many black people listened to Rudy Valley at the time, but evidently they were maybe they were trying to get more black people to listen to the Rudy yeah. Valley program. That may have been it. Well, he was such a funny performer. That it truly didn't make, you know, radio had the advantage of nobody knew what anybody looked like. Mm-hmm. And you could, just, you could just appreciate what you were listening to. Yes. And I guess, you know, Eddie made it so funny, but he did it without sounding, they, they knew he was a black man, but he wasn't the, say, the step and fetch it type black uh-huh. man. Um. So uh, it's it's hard to talk about that for me because when I was writing this book, I was not mm-hmm. writing it because Eddie was a black man who who made it in a white world. I was writing it because I wanted to inspire my grandson, and it just happened that Eddie was a black man. In mm-hmm. white women. Um, so I didn't 
I didn't look too much into the fact that, you know, Eddie was funny, but he wasn't, he didn't have to demean himself in order to be funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I noticed that, you know, they even, I even saw articles in the newspapers about that, you know, that Eddie was just funny, you know, um, so how they distinguished, you know, whether you were black or white on the radio, I guess you just had to you had to have that certain something that would get it through to those people. Yes. And, yes. You know. One of the things that was so impressive about the roles in Duffy's Tavern, and by the way, thank you for including a picture of the crew. I had a completely incorrect perception of what Duffy should look like. Not Duffy, um, Ed Gardner. Mm-hmm. And I, I always pictured him as kind of a short, fat guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. He was and thin. I didn't know yeah. that. Oh, my gosh. See, I mean, you really educated me on this, Elva. This is really cool. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about Eddie's role as Eddie the waiter in Duffy's Tavern because he was the one with the smarts in the show. Yes. And that that was pretty cool to listen to. Archie would, of course, you know, he was full of malaprops and it just always got things kind of screwed up. And Eddie would come along and very quietly in the background just kind of straighten things out and be funny at the same time. And he right. delivered lines that I think would be very difficult for other actors, no matter how accomplished they were. He put a spin on his comebacks and his comments in those shows that was strictly Eddie Green. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to many of the uh, Duffy's Tavern shows? Of course you have. Yes. <laughs> as many as I could. Yes, I have. Okay. Um, Do you have them? Yes. As a matter you- of fact, a gentleman sent me a CD with almost all of the Duffy's Tavern programs. I'm just I'm making notes to myself. You, you need Amos and Andy and the Jack Benny from April 29th, 28th. Okay, so I'll, I'll cross Duffy's Tavern off the list. You don't need Duffy's Tavern. Right, <laughs> right. And if I, if I can find it, and it, because you were really quite specific about the other shows he was involved with at different times, not as a, as a regular appearance, but that he did. Uh, appear on the shows like Jack Benny. He was not a regular performer, but um, with the Ben Bernie music music quiz and the Columbia Workshop and the CBS Stage Door Canteen. Um, so I'll I'll see if I have some of those shows and include them uh, if you'd like. I mean that's okay. <laughs> anything that you've already got and and would not particularly want, but. Um, you can let me know. I'll give you my email address, and I do anyway on the air. And um, you can let me know if there are others that, that you would like to have. What do you remember your mom talking about, or did she talk about Duffy's Tavern at all? Well, she told me that Eddie and Ed Gardner were uh, very good friends. Um they got along really well together, and they, they really cared about each other. I remember she told me that. Hmm. And that's about it. And Do I remember correctly from 
the, the latter part of your book that your father and your mom both, and I guess you, were in Puerto Rico when, yeah. the, when the Duffy's Tavern show moved to Puerto Rico after a while on American radio. And, of course, it was still on American radio. It was just produced in, in Puerto Rico. So the three yeah. of you actually came home around the same time, and that was shortly before your father died, which yeah. was really a, a jolt not only to his family, but um, to the entire entertainment community and the people who appreciated him and loved listening to him. And you were only three years old when Eddie Green died. Yes. So, and, you know, you had... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go, please please go. You I asked me earlier. Everybody. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's your show. <laughs> no, 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 you're our guest, and I just have a propensity for stepping on people, and I apologize for that. What I was going to comment, and then you can have your whole airwaves back here. What I was going to say, because you were only three when your father died, your memories were very limited, um, not only of your time with him, but in general, a, a person has a hard time remembering age two and, and age three. It's filtered, and, and there are bits and pieces. So this really was an extraordinary discovery journey for you. Everything, virtually everything that you read and found was new to you. Yes. Yes, it was. As a matter of fact, you uh, asked me about surprises earlier. Mm -hmm. I found the one and only picture that I have in the Philadelphia Inquirer of me and my mother and my father getting on a train on the first leg of our journey to Puerto Rico. Oh. Uh, yeah. Mom is holding me. They're standing on the steps of a train. Eddie is behind her, and Mom is holding me, and I'm holding this real funny with a little black doll. And only I couldn't find the original of this photo. The Pittsburgh Courier people who took the photo back then tried to locate the original for me, but nobody has found it, so I have a, a very poor copy that I printed out at the museum. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was the first time I'd ever seen a picture of me and my mom and Eddie together. And then the other thing is I was at the library of the Mormon church here in L.A. on Santa Monica Boulevard. They have the Family History Library. And you can go in there and you can get any kind of information you want on um, gene on genealogy, mm -hmm. on the genealogy of your family. So one of the gentlemen was helping me find information, and what they turned up was the passenger list of me and my mom and Eddie coming back from Puerto Rico to New York. And, of course, I don't remember being on that ship, 
But when the guy showed me this piece of paper, you know, everybody in the library knew about it because I was so shocked and surprised. <laughs> and, you know, and I thought, <laughs> I was like, oh, my heavens, you know, I'm on a ship. I'm two years old, three years old. And I was on a ship <laughs> with my wow. mother and my father. I don't remember that. And, but you they know, had I don't... this information. They were able to show you this information, which is scary. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, how many places did you visit? And honest to goodness, I'm winding up our conversation here. I promised not to overstay my welcome, and I did. Okay. How many, how many places did you visit in order to collect the information you gave to us in your book? <sighs> okay. All park will do. <laughs> That's like you mean like the museums and the libraries and the and the yeah. That's what you mean. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, physically, you you went to an awful lot of places for information. Yes, yes. The Mamie Clayton Museum in Inglewood, the uh, Margaret Herrick uh, Academy Awards Museum in Beverly Hills, the Los Angeles County Museum, the African American Museum, the uh, Los Angeles Downtown Central Museum, um, the the um, the other one I mentioned, <laughs> Family History Museum. Mm-hmm. That's six right there, uh, and I had to go back and go back and go back. The Family History Museum is the one I spent most of my time there in the beginning because they allow you to use their computers all day long. They have like 80 computers and anyone can go in and use their computers. Without time limits. Wow. Yeah. And being that I was on the bus this whole time, it took up a lot of time. Um, but so you were I depending learned, on public transportation to go to all of these places. Yeah, barely a direct route and fifteen minutes. We're talking about a long right, exactly, long <laughs> exactly. Wow. But so I got to know I got to know Los Angeles better. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more than you you realized was there. Now you lived in the L.A. area or in L.A. with your mom and dad when you were a little kid. Yes. Do, you re- do you remember anything, or what did you uncover about that particular area of California? Well, at the time we were living there, that was um, what's now known as the West Adams Historic District. I think back then it was called Sugar Hill, and most of your black entertainers who lived in Los Angeles lived in that area. Um, At that time, they were just beginning to allow black people to move into that area. Hattie McDaniel lived there, and Louise Beavers was there, and Eddie Rochester Anderson lived around the corner, and um, just a lot of black stars Mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, I don't remember 
any of that. You know, I don't remember the people except for Eddie Rochester Anderson because Eddie was a, a good friend of the family, and he came around till I was about 12. Mm-hmm. But whenever people would come to our house, I would have to go down the street to my grandmother's house. Ah, um, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, well, you know, the house is still... With little kids, sure. Yeah. <laughs> the house is still standing. Um, I... You know, I remember, of course, I remember the house as it was when I was little. You know, I remember my bedroom, and I remember the swing in the backyard. Interesting. You know, yeah. <laughs> but I, I really don't remember the people coming there, you uh-huh. know. And I, I don't really even remember Eddie, except as someone whose lap I used to sit on. Yeah. I'm like right. three years old. My goodness, how much can you remember? Now, yeah. You led, up, you led me up to my last question really well because I didn't know where to put it. And I'm so glad you gave me an opportunity to talk about the television and the kitchen. Oh. <laughs> I loved that story. He <laughs> was a pathfinder yeah. in so many different ways. He had a, a flat screen <laughs> TV. Would you talk about that for a minute? Just or just my- a story. <laughs> That's one story that my mother did. She liked to tell. And she even told, um, once once Eddie passed on, Mom married again. And I have, um, she had three other sons and a daughter, another daughter. And mm-hmm. she would even tell them stories about Eddie from time to time. Um, and that was one of the stories that she liked to tell about, she said, Eddie was always way ahead of his time. He was into electrical stuff. He was a a ham operator. He had his own radio station in the basement in our house. Um, And he was the first person in our neighborhood to get a TV. And um, it was even mentioned by the Los Angeles, California Eagle, the... um, the lady who did the article was invited to our house to see to watch television <laughs> because Eddie had the first TV in the neighborhood. And so Mom yeah. said he came in and she said he cut a hole in the wall um, so that when he put the television in the hole, the front of the television faced out into the living room, actually it faced out into the dining room, and the back of the TV faced into the kitchen and she said (laughs) that was the only bad part because she said when she would go in the kitchen she would see this big ugly thing sticking out of the wall (laughs) i got such a great picture when you when you wrote about that i thought how creative only a man could come up with something (laughs) like that (laughs) that was that was really great he had the first flat screen tv in the entire world that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. We have been talking with Elva Green, who is the daughter of Eddie Green. We know Eddie as Stonewall Jackson from Amos and Andy, the, the lawyer on Amos and Andy, and probably for the longest period of time on radio as Eddie the Waiter in Duffy's Tavern. And he was so good at that. I just loved when I heard him. 
You are the author of the book, Eddie Green, The Rise of an Early 1900s Black American Entertainment Pioneer. And my gosh, pioneer he was. Would you tell people where they can find your book? Yes, they can uh, find my book at my uh, wonderful publishers, BearManorMedia.com. We love I, Bear Manor, yes. Yes, I do too. Um, they can also go to uh, Amazon.com and they can order from there. Um, it's also an ebook, and they can go to www.facebook. Dot eddiegreenbook.com and I believe you can order it also from there. I um, did not know it was as an ebook either. Yes. Wow. All right. That's great. I'm, I'm really happy to know that because little old me has a nook. So, <laughs> okay. I'm cool on that. That is really good. Elsa, what should I have asked you that I didn't? What should you have asked me? Well, let's see. I don't know what you should have asked me. Um, Let me rephrase I, that. What would you What would you li- have liked me to ask? I can say this. Um, you know, the, uh, also go to your local bookstore and ask for the book. So if they don't have it, they can order it. Um, Great. And I have my first book signing coming up in November. Oh, wonderful. Tell me about it. Where is it? It's going to be in L.A. in West Hollywood at Book Soup, a bookstore called Book Soup. It's on Sunset Boulevard. Okay. You have a date? Which is the name. You have a date yet? No. Okay. November 18th, 7 p.m. Ah, okay. You do have a date at 7 p.m. Okay. Oh, Mm -hmm. that'll be great. Oh, I'm so glad you did that give an yes. opportunity for people to put a face to the book and right oh, this, this is great and it'd be good this for the hol- it'd be good for the holiday season you can get an over autograph copy and give it for a right that, that, that's a good timing <laughs> good old old <laughs> that's good marketer at heart <laughs> oh, yes that really is yep. a great idea though and if you would like to follow me um on my blog uh, they can go to www.pinintheTush.com. <laughs> pin or pain? Pin, as in safety pin. Pin in the tush. <laughs> That's what you said. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, all right. You know, people are so creative with wording. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Okay. All right. Well, I have gone through my list here. Pin in the tush.com. Well, that's great. I'll I'll be up there tonight. Okay. I have gone through my questions, and you are such a wonderful guest, Elva. Thank you so much for all the information you shared and for being who you are. My gosh, such a wonderful lady to talk with. Thank you. Okay. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Elva. Please don't hang up. Okay, Walden. Thank you. All right, Patricia. Can we keep Um, going? On the phone? Oh, why do I point, yes. why do I point, why do I call both you ladies back? And, okay, I and just need your address, Elvis, yeah, so that okay. I can I can get these right. goodies. So, why don't, so it'll be like a two minute call. Okay, we'll why don't right you, okay. why don't we do that? Both, both you ladies hang up and when we play mm-hmm. a radio show for the audience and then that way uh, we'll be back after the radio show. So 
ladies. Okay. Hey, hey, both hang up, and I'll call you both back on the private line. Okay. Good night. Right. Thanks, Bolden. Good night, everybody. All right, let's, let's put a hand. JAWS Professional Norton Security. Alt-Tab. Alt-Tab. Windows M, Desktop M, Folder M, My Conf M, My Documents. Enter. Documents F, Fibber McGee and Molly 1949. Enter. Fibber Blank 1942-19. Page, page, page. Fibber McGee 5-0-Fibber Unloading jaw can't okay enter fibber. The Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan. Dick Legrand, Bud Steffen, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the King's Band and Billy Mills Orchestra. <laughs> Ladies, every homemaker knows that few things repay good care like fine wood. The floors of a home are built to last many years. But with proper care, they do more than last. They grow more and more beautiful gain a richer, deeper luster with every year that passes, with proper care. And for more than three generations, the vast majority of fine homemakers have known that proper care for fine floors means regular waxing with Johnson's Paste Wax. Today, Johnson's Paste Wax far outsells any other brand of paste wax, and that's been true for many years. That means that millions of experienced homemakers agree with us when we say... No other wax brings such lustrous beauty to wood floors in exactly the same way. So protect and beautify your floors. Make them easier to clean with Johnson's Paste Wax. Ask for it at your grocery, hardware, or department store, or any other home supply dealer. One of the hardships of having a fixed place of business and regular office hours is that when your unemployed friends choose to drop in unexpectedly, you're cornered like a rat. <laughs> Unless you have a hard-eyed receptionist with a baseball bat under her desk. And Mr. Wallace Wimple doesn't. But let's hear about it in Mr. McGee's own mangled English as we join Fibber McGee and Molly. So I thought I'd drop in casual on Wally Wimple and give him the old house trick. So what does I do but being a guy that likes to make fast decisions and because it was raining and I was right in front of his office, I thought he might give me a lift home even though it is a little out of his way, but not much, so I did it. You did what? I dropped in to see Wally Wimple, like I was saying. Oh. Yeah, at the Have You Written to Your Mother Today greeting card and calendar company. Oh. Uh -huh. Wally works there. Oh. Uh -huh. Writes cards. There he was, sitting at his desk, up to his clavicle in Christmas greetings. He just wrote a cute one, too. Oh, what was it? Well, it was a picture of Santa Claus pointing at a big map. And the verse says, Michigan is a peninsula, Panama is an isthmus. We haven't heard what shape you're in, but we wish you Merry Christmas. <laughs> I 
How would you like a fish dinner, kiddo? <laughs> the same to you and a happy new year, and what's a fish dinner got to do with it? Oh, my gosh, I forgot to tell you. That's the whole point of what I started out to say. Dearie, you lose more points than a bird dog with a head cold. <laughs> What is the point? Well, Wally Wimple asked me how did I like fish, and I says I love fish, and he says he's got more than he knows what to do with, so he's bringing a dozen or so nice ones over later this afternoon to our house. Isn't that nice? Boy, am I puckered up for them golden brown pan-fried trouts. They're the best trouts when you get... Come in. Well, for goodness sakes, Dr. Gamble, come in, doctor. Thank you, my dear. And how are you today, bare tan boy with a foot of cheek? <laughs> You'll be sorry to hear that I'm in splendid health. So get that five-buck-a-visit look out of your eye. Mal. Mal? Practice. Oh. Keeping you busy, are they, doctor? Oh, yes, same old routine. I was up at 3.30 a.m. this morning ushering in a new little citizen. Oh. The ninth one to the same family. If the stork would quit blundering around in the dark and make some deliveries in the daytime, maybe families would balance up a little better. <laughs> Listen to the usher complaining about the stage manager. <laughs> hey, you like a fish dinner, Fatso? You do, don't you, Doctor? Well, it depends. Drop, Why? Drop around about seven bells and you'll see, Doctor. Wally Wimple is bringing us a mess of fish. Molly set a place for Dockey here with a spoon, a fork, and a scalpel. Well, you're certainly invited, Doctor. We'll be expecting you. My dear, in my profession, we become all too aware of life's hazards. Too true. Yes. I only... <laughs> I only pray that I may be permitted to live until 8 p.m. <laughs> You'll be here on time or I'll kill you myself, Dawson. Don't you worry, Blunderpuss. If I miss this, I'll leap off a pile of your unpaid doctor bills and break my neck. <laughs> See you at 7, Molly, and thank you. My, isn't he sweet, though? Yeah, sweet as sugar, kiddo, and a lot lumpier. Better go get things started, dearie. I may need some things from the store. Ask the rest of our friends to dinner if you want to. I don't know. Okay. Okay, Tootsie. Ah, there goes a good kid. If I told her a friend of mine just give me a 90-foot whale and I was inviting 200 guests for dinner, she'd never bat an eye. She'd just scream and jump out the window. <laughs> I wouldn't blame you. Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hi there, Penny. <laughs> How's everything? Gee, I don't know, mister. You don't? No. I just know how some things are. Oh? I'm not smart enough to know how everything is. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, that was just a cataphorical expression anyway, sis. How's school? Oh, gee, just swell, mister. Yeah? We got a dandy teacher in the third grade this year, I bet you. You have, eh? She's the... Hmm? I says you have, eh? Have what? Got a dandy teacher. Where? In the third grade. When? This year. I know it. <laughs> Miss Frippy. <laughs> Miss Frippy. Miss <laughs> Frippy. She just loves little children. Mm -hmm. And gee, she makes everything so interesting. You know how to spell Missouri? Missouri, well, I guess. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I, Missouri. <laughs> no, sis, I'm sorry, but that's wrong. That's... It is not, I betcha. That's the way our teacher said to spell it. That's Mississippi. No, it's Miss Frippy. <laughs> 
I mean, you weren't spelling Missouri. What was I spelling? Mississippi. That's my teacher. Only it isn't Mississippi. It's Miss Frippy. M-I-S-S-F-R-I-P-P. Why? Why what? <laughs> Just why? F-R-I-P-P-I, Frippy. Isn't that her name? Whose name? Your teacher. No. Huh? Our teacher is Mrs. Tanner. Oh? Miss Frippy's just a substitute while Mrs. Tanner's homesick with a flu. Oh. oh, but I guess there's no use explaining things to you, mister. You just don't understand. Hmm. And to think I asked her how was everything. I'm glad she didn't try to tell me. Billy Mills in the orchestra and Fiddle Dee Dee. He's coming for dinner, too. What are you doing with the pencil and paper? Oh, I'm planning the menu for tonight, Tootsie. How many K's are there in broccoli? Now, uh... <laughs> look, dearie, don't you worry about the menu. I'll do the cooking. Yeah? I have a wonderful recipe for fish that my mother wrote out for me when we were married. Yeah? How's it go? Well, you take some fish... Yeah? ...and fry them. Oh. It's one of the finest recipes... Oh. <laughs> That might be milk spilt from Kramer's drugstore. I ordered some horse duvers and come in. Oh, hello, Milton. Come on in. Hello, Mrs. McGee. I brought your stuff, Mr. McGee. Well, thanks, Milt. Put it on the table there. I, uh, I brought something else, too, Mrs. McGee. My girl. Your girl? Yes, ma'am. Daphne. She's outside. Would you like to look at her? <laughs> Why, sure, Milt. Bring her in. By all means. Come on in, Daph. It's okay. <laughs> 
Isn't she cute, McGee? <laughs> uh, Mrs. McGee, this is my girl, Daphne. Daph, this is Mrs. McGee. Uh, Mr. McGee, this is my girl, Daphne. Daphne, this is Mr. McGee. Uh, Milton, this is your girl. <laughs> I, I guess that's everybody, isn't it? Well, hello, Daphne, dear. Nice to see you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sit down, sis. You and Milt go steady, do you? We do now, Mr. McGee, but Daph had plenty of dates till I come into her life. Oh, you took over, did you? Sure, I'm aggressive. When I went over for my first date, though, there were about 25 fellas all milling around her front porch. Gee, you must be pretty popular, sis. All boyfriends, were they? No, sir, they were firemen. Oh. Her house was on fire. <laughs> Wasn't it, Daffy? <laughs> she seems to have a cheerful disposition, though. What are you going to do when you grow up, sis? Drive a good humor truck? Probably, <laughs> Gee. Well, we better get going, I guess. I go to school this afternoon. I'm studying pharmacy this year, you know. Well, good for you, Milton. Yeah, pharmacy, eh? Well, that's swell, boy. Farmers are the backbone of this country. <laughs> pharmacy is one no, of the most... No, no, McGee. Huh? Milton means he's studying to be a druggist. Oh. Well, you come back and see us again, Daphne, anytime, dear. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, bring her back, Milt. She's a nice kid, but uh, don't she ever talk? Oh, sure, she talks a lot, Mr. McGee. Yeah. Talk for the folks, Daph. Bye. <laughs> Aren't they cute youngsters, McGee? Yeah, if you like youngsters. <laughs> Personally, I gotta check over these horse doovers and see if everything's okay. Grand, I tell you, grand. <laughs> I hope everything's here. Now, let me see. Licorice sticks, lemon drops, candy cane. What? Two kinds of jawbreakers, bubble gum, cigars. Heavenly day, since when are cigars classed as hors d'oeuvres? Huh? As a matter of fact, since when are those cigars classed as cigars? <laughs> I never saw anything. Hello, Molly. Hiya, pal. Hey, you're not here for dinner already, Wilcox. Well, I hope not. We don't expect Mr. Wimple with the fish until about 5.30. No, no, no. I'll come back later, Molly. I just stopped in to tell you how much I'm looking forward to it. Oh? Uh -huh. I haven't had a good fish dinner since my vacation this summer. Yeah, where'd you go on vacation, Junior? Down to Lake. Taney Como, pal. Oh, that's right near Naked Joe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the great fishing spot. Did you do any good? Catch anything? I had one sensational day. Yeah? I was down on the dock, and I happened to look over the side, and here was this marlin in the water. You a see? marlin? My gosh, how big was it? Oh, around 200 pounds. Ooh. Well, I grabbed a line. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Wilcox. Isn't a marlin some sort of an ocean fish? A swordfish? No, oh, not this one, Molly. This was Horace Greeley marlin, the big department store man. Oh. <laughs> fell off the dock, and I threw him a line and hauled him ashore. I took him up to my cottage, oh, and when, I, when, I, when he got a look at the beautiful Johnson wax gleam oh, on the woodwork and paneling of my living room, mm -hmm. when he saw the warm glow of hospitality it gave my home, mm -hmm. he wanted to know all about it. Oh, dear. I explained to him how Johnson's paste wax puts mm -hmm. a tough, hard, protective coating on yeah. floors and furniture and woodwork. Guards them against Mars and scratches. Yeah, I showed him how easily dirt and dust wipes off. What a beautiful luster your yeah. furniture takes on when you keep it protected with Johnson's Paste Wax. And how... Hey, you... hey, hey, well, look, it does. Waxy. <laughs> yes, pal. Waxy, you're a sort of a traveling salesman, aren't you? Oh, I certainly am, pal. Why? Well, start traveling, will you? <laughs> okay, kids, see you at seven. Oh.
let me see. Hey, you know where the scissors are, Molly? I want to cut out a few paper dolls. Paper dolls? What on earth for? I read an article on entertaining, and it said a nice touch is paper dollies under each plate. <laughs> I'll cut out some paper dollies and stick oh, them under no, each... Oh, no, McGee, those are paper dollies, and huh? besides, we don't... Hold it, dearie. Come in. Okay. Mayor Latrivia McGee. Do come in, Your Honor. Thank you, Molly. Hello, McGee. You're just the guy we've been waiting for, Latrivia. Hey, you doing anything tonight? Yes, I am, McGee. Oh. I have a dinner date with the governor. Oh, that's too bad, Mr. Mayor. We're having a little dinner party, and Mr. Wimple is bringing us some fish, and I thought I'd bake an apple pie. And Wonderful. We'll... I can eat with the governor anytime. <laughs> Swell, Latrivia. Seven o'clock. Nothing fancy, boy. Just place cards, horse duvers, and three bottles of Napoleon Root here, I've been saying. <laughs> I'll be here. Have you been awfully busy uh, since your vacation, Mr. Mayor? Uh, terribly busy, Molly. My desk is loaded with work. And if I do say it myself, I've really been hitting the ball this week. But you said you had a lot of work to do. <laughs> I have, and every bit of it urgent. Well, aren't you ashamed of yourself leaving all that work to go out and bat a ball around all day? <laughs> My gosh, if you had the taxpayer's interest at heart, Latriv, you'd stick to your work instead of scatting around a baseball diamond all day. Uh, there seems to be a slight misinterpretation here. You see, when well, I said... himself here used to play ball in Peoria, you know, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> yeah, I used to hit around 125 in the 3-I League. I mind one time with the score tied, two out and the bases loaded, I hit a long single to center field off my thumb. Of course, with a man already on every base, there wasn't any place for me to go, so I went back to the dugout and sat down. <laughs> I wish I'd have wrote down some of the stuff that Pants Rowland, the manager, said to me, because that was the fanciest language I ever heard in the uh, three look. islands. Look, McGee, mm -hmm. when I said I'd been hitting the ball all day, I did not mean I'd been to the ballpark. I haven't left my desk all day. You don't mean you sit and bat a baseball around that beautiful office. <laughs> no, no, I well, didn't that's mean... a politician I... for you, Molly, playing baseball in his office. What does he care about the taxpayer's money? Fishkabibble, he should worry. <laughs> Mayor, breaking up that beautiful office yeah. here. I am not offing up my beautiful breakfast. Huh? Breaking up my awful bluebird. Huh? Brubber. Look! Oh, now, now, I'm... now, now, Mr. Mayor, don't shout. No, don't start yelling at us, Latrivia. We can take, take back your invitation for dinner, you know. Trapped. <laughs> Look, may I just please clear this up right now? Please do. And make it good. Very well. Now, when I said I'd been hitting the ball this week, I was not referring to a baseball in any way. No baseball. Is that clear? Well, of course it is now, Mr. Mayor. McGee, he hasn't been playing baseball. Certainly not. He's been playing golf, hitting the golf ball around yeah. that beautiful ball. No! I haven't weighed golf all week. Huh? You ain't golf all week. Week. When I said I've been spinning the hole, hitting the ball, gritting this ball. Look, I haven't I believe you're interested in firearms, aren't you? Oh, guns simply fascinate him, Mr. Mayor. Splendid. 
I have an old Civil War musket. I'd like you to shoot sometime, McGee. What's her name? Well, <laughs> oh, I'd love to do it. Civil War musket, eh? Is it safe to shoot it? That's what I'd like to find out. <laughs> See you at seven, Molly. <laughs> The King's Men tell you the story of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Who's that coming down the street? Chasing his nose and flapping his feet. Like he has a bean pole. What a man. Who is it, brother? Why, that's none other than Ichabod. Hot old boy, Ichabod, that hobbly boy. Who's his own best pride and joy? Ichabod, Ichabod, pray. That Ichabod? All dressed up, got his bib and tucker on and all pressed up. There he goes a-strolling in his patched-up pants and his ragged tail. You'd think he was the Prince of Wales. Ichabod, how do you do? Who's that lady walking with you? Oh, pardon me, I thought you knew Katrina. Katrina? Katrina. Oh. Once you have met that little coquette, Katrina. 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 Nobody yet has ever upset Katrina. That you coquette Katrina. You can embrace somebody like Grace or Lena. And thrill with Wilhelmina. But Katrina will smile and wink. And just when you're on the brink, you'll find it's not you she's thinking of. And yet when you meet that pretty petite Katrina, you'll see that she's in love with Ichabod. That lady's man gets around like nobody can. Has to be none other than. Ichabod, 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 Ichabod. Hey, pal, it's after 7 o'clock. When is Wimple going to show up with those fish? If he lets us down after the way I've looked forward to this, I'll fracture every osteo in his corpus. No. <laughs> Take it easy, boys. I've got everything ready, so the minute Mr. Wimple gets here, I can pop the fish right in the sea. Yeah, all she has to do is pop oh, it. Oh, no. Come in, come in, come in, Wally, old man, and... Oh, hi, Ollie. Oh, it's Ollie, the janitor from the Elks Club, boys. Come on in, Ollie. Well, thank you, Mrs. Hello, McGee. Well, hello, doctor, Mr. Hello, Wilcox. Hello, Ollie. You know the rest of the folks, I think. I hope I ain't buttoned in, McGee. I was just going past, and I drop in to give you a message. Whom from, Ollie? Uh, from the chairman of the pool table committee at the Elks Club, McGee. Well, you tell him I'll pay for mending the cloth on that billiard table the day he can prove it was me that tore it. Tell him that. Uh, well, uh, meantime, McGee, he says to tell you you left your wristwatch on the chair. Here it is. Huh? Oh, my gosh. Oh, I did it that. Oh, thanks, Ollie. And, Ollie, yeah. forget what I said about tearing the pool table cover. <laughs> Maybe it hasn't even been noticed yet. <laughs> Yes, you will. How's your family, Ollie? Oh, you're fine, thank you, missus. My missus is expecting Oh? Me home pretty quick. Uh, oh. <laughs> because we're having some friends in for smorgasbord. What does smorgasbord mean, Ollie? Well, smorgasbord, doctor, is Scandinavian board. 
In Norwegian, it means once more around the table and a serves you right. <laughs> and in Swedish, it means nobody's looking to call you on. <laughs> It's 7.15, McGee. Maybe you better call up Wally and see what's delaying him. Yeah, maybe I ought to that. I'll call him right now. Who's got a nickel? Here, McGee. Thanks, Doc. I'll ask Wimp for... McGee? Huh? What's the nickel for? I'm going to call Wimp on the telephone. It's after 7, and he Give ought to be... Give that nickel back to the doctor. <laughs> Give the nickel... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know what I done, Doc. I was thinking we had a pay telephone. <laughs> my gosh, I must be getting absent-minded. Give me the nickel. Here you are. You mean you don't have a pay telephone? <laughs> Why, pal, you've been borrowing nickels from me in here for 15 years. Of all the cheap tricks, I... Oh, here he is. Mommy! Oh, come here, come here. Hello, folks. Hello, a welcome sight, Mr. Wimple. We've all been impatient for you to get here. Yeah, you have some trouble ducking out, kid? Well, yes, a little. Mm -hmm. You see, Sweetie Face, that's my big old wife. Yes, we know, Wallace. Well, Sweetie Face was in a terrible twit. <laughs> she usually has a very even temper, even worse than you would expect. <laughs> but tonight, oh, goodness. <laughs> well, uh, what threw her into such a tizzy, Wally? Something that happened downtown, Mr. Wilcox. She... Uh, Oh, bubblegum. May I have a piece? Huh? Oh, sure, Wimp. Hey, Molly, pass the horse doovers to Wimp. <laughs> Help yourself, Wimp. There's bubblegum, licorice drops, juicy fruit, chewing gum, cigars, and sensen. Horse doovers, he says. He's so continental. Go on, Mr. Wimble. What happened? You mean about Sweetie Face? Yeah. Well, she was downtown giving her regular Tuesday afternoon judo lessons to the police force. <laughs> She was showing Sergeant Wilkowski how to take a loaded pistol away from a bandit. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And the pistol went off, mm -hmm. went through the door to the squad room, hit a tear gas gun, filled the room with tear gas, and Sweetie Face tripped over a pair of handcuffs, got herself locked to the radiator, lost her temper, tore the radi out, radiator out by the roots, and threw it out the window, <laughs> forgetting that she was still fastened to it, and landed in the alley on a garbage truck. <laughs> I guess it was quite an afternoon. <laughs> well, I can certainly see why Sweetie Face was a trifle annoyed. But hey, Wally, how about the fish? Did you bring them, Mr. Wimple? Oh, yes, indeed. I left them out on the porch. Have you got something to put them in? I'll say she has, Wallace, a great big frying pan. Oh, that won't do, Doctor. It isn't deep enough. Oh, sure it is, Wimp. Besides, we don't have to fry them all at once. Fry them? Huh? Oh, Mr. McGee... How terrible. You're, you're joking, aren't you? Joking? About what, Mr. Wimple? About frying my sweet little guppies. Guppies? <laughs> Why, yes, guppies. I asked Mr. McGee if he liked fish, and he said he loves them, and since my guppies had their puppies... <laughs> is something wrong? Yes, something's wrong, but we know who it is. <laughs> let go of me. Get away, now. Cut it out. Look, I didn't know what... and Molly return in a moment. Here's news, big news from the famous Johnson's Wax Research Laboratories, a completely new type of home laundry finish called Brisk. 
Brisk is like nothing else. It makes starching old-fashioned. That's because Johnson's Brisk contains a totally different ingredient, a miraculous fabric wax. Brisk gives clothes the wonderful body and finish they had when brand new. Johnson's Brisk gives clothes that crisp look without that scratchy feel. Brisk helps clothes stay 8 o'clock fresh all day long. Besides, when clothes are finished with Brisk, you save 15 minutes an hour in ironing. Brisk does all this or your money back. Brisk is easy to use. Just add warm tap water, then squeeze clothes in the Brisk solution. That's all. Ask for Brisk, B-R-I-S-K, the sensational new laundry finish that replaces old-fashioned starching. From the makers of Johnson's Wax, Brisk. Wonderful. May I have another cup of coffee, Molly? Certainly, Doctor. Mr. Wilcox? No, thanks. I've had three cups already. Ah, uh, that apple pie was a masterpiece, Molly. Thank you. It seems strange, but apple pie always finishes off a fish dinner for me. Another piece of pie, McGee? No, thanks. But if anybody wants some more sardines, I'll be glad to open another can. <laughs> oh, well. Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> Makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat, Racine, Wisconsin, and Brantford, Canada, bring you Fibber McGee and Molly each week at this time. Be with us again next Tuesday, won't you? Cleaning and polishing furniture can take hours of tedious work, but not if you use Johnson's Cream Wax, the fastest wax furniture polish money can buy. For Johnson's Cream Wax cleans so quickly, dries so quickly, polishes so quickly that using it is almost as easy as dusting. A few strokes with a cloth do the cleaning. A few more bring out a bright, satin, smooth polish. And Johnson's Cream Wax contains no sticky oil to catch dust. Tomorrow, start using Johnson's Cream Wax. It's the fastest wax furniture polish money can buy. You're tuned for the stars on NBC. WMAQ and WMAQ-FM, NBC in Chicago. All right, that was September 27, 1949. We'll get Patricia, but first we'll share a prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being here, having fellowship with our family. Thank you for the opportunity we have. Bless Yesterday USA. Bless the country. Look after the needy, the poor, and the homeless. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Let's get Patricia. Jaws Professional Patricia from Apple Tab, Skype Trademark Tab, Online Tab, Walton Hughes Tab, Search Edit, Active, Favorite, Elva Creek, Jim Dot, Unread Messages, and Martin Ed Clue, Patricia from FL Applications, Con, Send, Invite to Enter, Leaving Menus, Patricia from FL Unloading Jaws, Quit, Cancel, OK, Enter. Now everybody can stand for the next three minutes. Here is the full version of You Know Who. 
Patricia, my darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia. You could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Oh, Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling. Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. She haven't told. I've always been in love with this lady. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Happy Saturday, everybody. Here we are. Absolutely. And the phones are open. We're going to tuck Patricia to bed in a little while. You know, we got to make sure she gets her beauty sleep. You know, that's important. <laughs> Around here. That phone number is, se- that phone number is 714. Five four five two zero seven one. And now, here at the floor, the lady from Florida. Isn't that a stupid saying that we have? The lady Thank from, you. The lady from Florida, <laughs> the one who would be running for president in 2020. Because we're going to put up for nomination. We'll, we'll start, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll think of. you love me. Yeah, we'll think of the bold move party. What do you think? You want to? You know, I'll be the Bullwinkle party. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know the Bull Moose party rise again. Yeah, good old Teddy. Oh yeah. Before we get to the and call, then what? before we get to the call, you want it? You have yeah. 
I mean, the mouse of the South do, do have things to say. So I have stuff. Yes. Yes. All right. Here's the here, here's stuff. Now she might show what her. She a might. Nice person, Elva is. Oh my goodness! I had such a good time with her. She might show with map sales and gravy, but at least it's stuff. Here is she is. <laughs> I already started. <laughs> started without you. I thought my introduction was <laughs> over. Oh, no. Oh, no. But, yes, Elva was spectacular. She's a nice what lady. a nice lady. We had a couple of minutes before and after the show, and, and gosh, you know, I mean, she had me laughing in places in that book, and, and it came out again. Oh, boy, if she had to pick a couple of scripts, she picked the right one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am unpreoccupied. So now we know a little bit more about Eddie Green, and she does too. She was only three years old when her father died, so right. she did not have a whole lot of information when she started, but my goodness, she sure has a whole lot now. I think she, and started, I off, mentioned I, I think she started off one picture with her dad. So That's all that reached she, she built it up a little bit since then. Yes, she did. She did. Yeah. She had quite a few pictures in there. Yeah. And honest to goodness, when I saw the picture of the Duffy's Tavern cast, mm -hmm with Eddie and Finnegan and um, Ed Gardner, I thought, I mean, he just sounded like a short, squat little guy who was a miniature version of Jackie Gleason. <laughs> I don't know where I came up with that, but he, he did not match at all. I mean, how many times have I said, my gosh, I saw a picture, and he's just not. I didn't even want to look at Fibber McGee and Molly anymore because it didn't match what I thought they should look like on on the show. So, anyhow. You know, it's interesting. You know, originally Duffy, Ed Gardner, I must have been the owner of the property because he wanted somebody, he wanted an actor to play Archie. And so he had all these auditions and none of them liked. And he said, well, let me go and show you how to do it. And so once he was shown how to do it, then he just figured, okay, I'm just going to do it. So that's how he became Archie. How come you never told us that before? Well, I, I like to save something. You know, we've been together so long that I need to sprinkle sprinkle with new information once in a while. We have. How long have we been together? We've been doing this for 10 years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More Can't than 10 the years. Season. Yeah. the holiday season, yeah, over 10 years. We used to do holidays, too. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I've got stuff. All right. Can I do stuff? Yeah. Stay, stay, you be, have to be stay there, caller. Patricia has to get the stuff on the table. Oh, oh, take the caller, and then I'll fill in with stuff. Well, oh, sure, okay. No caller, sure, you're on Patricia. So Archie Gardner, yes. or Ed Gardner, was actually a producer-director and was on in New York and eventually got the series. <clears throat> and he was only on the series basically to, to direct and produce, not to play Archie. Uh, but you're right. When he said, here's how it, here's how it should be done. <laughs> He did it, and they said, Hey, Mr. Duffy. <laughs> Mr. Duffy, how do you feel like playing the part on the show? Would, would anybody like to know we're talking to Larry Gassman? Oh, I, I, oh, he almost sounded like Brian Gary in a bit. In oh, a my way. God, I hope. <laughs> I, um, we are talking with Larry Gassman, or he's I, talking I am with not us, so, I guess. Not, I'm not the bull moose, but I am the bull part of the conversation. Ooh, very good. I, I'm going to be bullwinkle. Now, now, see, Listen I... up my head. Oh, my God. You know, I, I was thinking next weekend, uh, speaking of the bull and the moose. Yes. 
Uh, next next weekend is June 3rd birthday. She'll be 99 next weekend, everybody. Oh, my yeah. goodness. And and she is, did I tell you, Walden, she's going to, maybe you saw it, too. She's going to be at Janet Walder's memorial. I haven't seen that yet. I, I haven't looked, I haven't seen oh. the latest update. She is, yeah. And I'm looking we need to fill in a blank here. June Foray is the voice of Rocky in the Rocky and Bullwinkle show, and she also did, I hope I'm pronouncing the last name correctly, Natasha Fatali. Natasha, the one who was with Boris Badenov, the two Russians who were always plotting to capture, especially the moose. Right. <laughs> they thought if they captured Bullwinkle that they might get Rocky in the bargain. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's who June Foray is. She is the voice yeah. of Rocket yeah. J. Squirrel. Larry and I are uh, feeling pretty honored. We, we're getting invited by a small little group get together to celebrate Janet Waldo's life here in a oh, few weeks. Oh gosh, that's great! At Janet's house, so it's so it, it's just fun seeing who's going to be there, you know. And There's a lot of people yeah. know who are going to be there. Yeah. A ton of people I don't know. Right. But the list is pretty impressive. Those who wanted to say hello and goodbye to Janet and and Lucy, her daughter, is putting this together. Yeah. And so it should be. Quite from, interesting. From Warner Malton to Tommy Cook to just a lot of people, you know, at least there's enough of us to talk to. Yeah. For the two and a half hours he'll be Oh, yeah. Sure sounds like it. And yeah. Janet, of course, was Corliss Archer, and she was Judy and a date with Judy and a million other things and was an accomplished dramatic actress. That is hard to believe when you hear her do Judy Jetson yes. on yeah. television. Mm-hmm. But she was. Very accomplished dramatic actress yep. as well, yep. and a lovely lady. Yeah, yeah, she was. So, so how did it get? How did today go? Um, you know, we, I went to the Spiritback meeting today that was in Pasadena, and it was several read-throughs, uh, and it went very well. Um, all all I had to do was sit there for the most part. I got up and chatted for a couple of minutes uh-huh. with people, but the rest of it, Bob Lyons and Barbara Watkins took care of, and it was. Um, at a place that we've never been to before, and a lot of the people were new. There were probably 30 in all. Several of our Spurback members were there. Good. And Randy Scretbet was there, so we did a little plug for the book, and I talked to him, and he said, I, I'll come on whenever you want me. Good. Talk about his book, which is called Laurel and Hardy, The Magic Behind the Movies. So we'll work. I said, let me talk to Walden, because he's got the keeper of the calendar. Yep. And I don't want to book you on a date that maybe we have a guest that I'm not aware no, of. No, I mean, if you can get him next Friday the 16th, let's so do it, or the 23rd or the 30th. Okay. You know. Uh, yeah, he said whenever, so I'll call. Yeah, I know Sundays are tough for him with his radio yeah. show. So right. let's just, let's just sh- shoot with Friday if you can get him. Yeah. Okay, well, let me see what he's got going next Friday. Yeah. He'll do it on Skype. Okay. And so that should be fun. So today we had uh, several people that I'm not familiar with who were TV people. Mm-hmm friends of Bob and Barbara's, and I don't know all their names, and I don't want to mess them up. Right. But uh, we had Pe- Peggy Weber is doing well. She'll be 91 here on next week, I think. She left after the first recreation because she had to go back and work on CART. Right. Theater. <laughs> but she was terrific. We got a chance to spend a couple minutes together. Okay. Um, Ivan Curry was terrific. Ivan has a little cold, but he's doing fine. Okay. And uh, and Richard Hurd and Patricia Hurd were just marvelous. Good. Looking forward to Las Vegas. Good. I'll talk to you about Richard here sometime tomorrow. All right. Uh, but he wants to work for it. He originally wanted to do the uh, loves the Bickersons, and I said, I'm sorry, that's already taken. Yeah. He yep. said, okay. I, 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 he asked who, and I told him. He said, okay. Yeah. 
fine. He said, I'd like to be able to do something maybe with Patricia. So we, well, we can talk about that. Okay. Figure out what we can do. For sure. Uh, they both did a terrific job. And I'm trying to think who. I, uh, Duffy, Duffy Singer. Did Duffy make it? Okay, good. Duffy was great. He was terrific. He's so much fun. Yep. He's Bob and Barbara were part of it. And yeah. Palermo did sound. Uh, and they did three recreations. They did a, well, it was a 30-minute show from... Um, a Day with Judy. Day with Judy, which is probably a little longer than that. It took longer than 30 minutes. Okay. And then they did a Superman show. Right. Uh, and then they did uh, Henry Aldridge, the one they did at Spurdback. Right. I the one that Patricia typed up. We d- we yes. We're using your, mature, your, your script hitting the road, Patricia. Yeah. The one oh, that, hooray. The one that you did with the... Uh, the uh, grouse. The grouse, yes. Um, and with then the they what? Grouse. The, the grouse. Eating grouse. Oh, oh, my gosh, that's my favorite, Henry Aldrich. Funny, yeah. But Barbara loves it, too. So yeah. when, when we did it at the convention, she said, boy, can we use this? Because the audience that we try to present it to is a retirement community for pastures. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess we, we they marketed it to them. Yeah. And they liked mo- it a lot. They enjoyed it. They That's wanted great. to come back. Um, and afterwards, Tony Palermo did a terrific five to ten minute presentation on sound effects. Talked a little bit about sound effects. I would think next time we do one of these, because it took a little longer sometimes than the uh, co- the allotted time, that we uh, that we probably downsized just a little. Yeah. Instead of doing what turned out to be. An hour and maybe 45 minutes right. probably needs to stop at an hour and a half max. Sure. People weren't getting tired, but I could feel... Rumble, rumble. Hugs. Saying, rumble. Get out of here. Yeah. I've got to go to the bathroom. Yep. Uh, we gave them some time to jump up and, you know, go where they needed to go. But it probably needs... Something needs to go. Maybe, maybe the 15-minute show. I'm not sure what. But something that, to make it a little shorter. Uh-huh. Well, I, I think we knew we had such a large chaos and Barbara's oh. concerned, so that's right. why, that's why we did it. No, I'm not saying and I'm not saying it didn't work no. because no. it did. It yeah. was very good. Uh, I would just say from a pacing standpoint, I would have probably cut it down a little bit, but that's okay. Or else you have breaks. You do you run it from one to five with three hours of break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So much fun. Something. And and I found out that there are several people who live. In our area, I don't know about all of them, but several are going to go to Las Vegas. That's good. So it's not just people from out of town. Uh, I think you will lose some of our older people. Yes. Because they're not going to be able to go. No. But I think you're going to see a lot of the people, even in their 60s and 70s, who are still pretty mobile. They'll go. Well, that's why I'm hoping that it w- we do it in March mm-hmm. makes sense for the local, who yeah. are still mm-hmm. just maybe... Cause, uh, you know, Long Beach is a little further south, but uh, uh, we're talking about doing something at the Ve- Long Beach Veterans Hospital where the Bob Hope and Jack Benny do the radio shows, and it has a theater for 250 people, and it's still there. Yes. And that's something, because economics is just playing such a big havoc in trying to plan events. Because it, just, it used to be in the old days. When the three of us were young, uh, places would. <laughs> the Excuse pl- me. <laughs> no, Place- I think he's referring to to John and me and him. <laughs> Probably not even. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. When we were young, that could be in the mail, right? <laughs> yeah, when we were young, we could find places for free, 
and it, uh, even for my line club, finding community halls or veterans uh, halls just to rent, it's over a thousand dollars. Yeah. And you know, it makes you think twice, especially when you're trying to do fundraiser for the line club. Right. Can I get this money back that I'm uh, I'm allocating? You know, I mean, uh, so it's 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 tough. Even libraries, it gets yep. to be tough to work with libraries. Yeah, now. it is. I have the CDs from today. It's funny. The guy who engineered had no way to do anything with regard to a USB, so I couldn't plug my laptop in. Okay. Uh, he Jerry could not get a direct feed into his camcorder because okay. he didn't have the. The only way he was able to do that was CDs, and so we took a little break after an hour or so, and he plopped the second CD in, and so I have them, so I'll put them all together in a file. But this is I You're talking about just to back. get our listeners up to speed. What's that? I said, this is Spurtback you're talking about, yeah. just so our listeners are keeping pace with us. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, 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 they probably knew because we talked about it five or ten minutes ago, <laughs> I think. No. <laughs> so, right. you know, it, we've got it. And I use my, I have my little recorder with me, but it wasn't patched in. But I think I do have a good patched in copy. So Okay. Nice. So you think we could use it for a future Spurback present, maybe we could. kind of thing? Uh, we could. Okay. I'll need to probably give this audio also to Jerry because he's probably going to have to sync it Okay. with the video camera. But, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's fun for society, that's for the blind community to watch video that way. Yeah, we'll, we'll I, never we'll never know. Yeah, because he was across the room and there was no way to patch in, which is unfortunate. Yeah. That wouldn't distract Patricia, would it? Patricia hear, hear the audio three five seconds ahead <laughs> before they move their lips on the on the video screen. That that wouldn't bother you. Well, it has happened on television, yeah. which I don't have anymore, of, so it doesn't matter anyway. Oh yeah, that was a lot on TV. <laughs> Uh, so it was great. Didn't have any food at all until we find Janice Simon picked me up, which was very nice of her to do that. And we so we stopped at Catella Deli and had dinner, and we just couldn't wait to get inside because I hadn't eaten since like seven thirty, and it wasn't a lot. Yeah, but I mean, how big of a tr- how big how big was the trip from your I, house up there? Uh, it was about forty to forty-five minutes without traffic. So we got there by 11:30. And then coming home? Uh, yeah, a little longer, maybe an hour. Okay. Yeah, traffic was pretty big on the way home, but you know it was fine. Everything was good. It was enjoyable, and uh, and saw people I hadn't seen in quite a while, which was cool. A lot of fun. Good. Good. So. Well, I'm glad you made the trip up. We yep. got a, a report to <clears throat> figure out what to do at the at the board meeting. If this is something we'll yeah explore. I got a couple of reactions from people because I mentioned today on Facebook that when I was going, and a couple of people wrote back and said, "Wow, I'm 1,200 miles away, but I wish I could be there." Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's getting it, with face. It's it's so it's hard to imagine that there's hardly nothing in the Northeast anymore doing with radio. So just it's now it's over the West Coast and down to Baltimore. Area, it's about much. it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. So anyway, um, other than that, the rest of the weekend will be taken up with stuff, and we'll be around tomorrow night. Okay, I uploaded another circle interview, so you should have it by now. It's already out of the box. All right. And Patricia has her copy, so I got one more tape to do, and we'll done with that project. So. Oh, great. Cool. <coughs> we'll go 
cool. Walden has some tapes of Stud Studs Turkle, who was a fabulous interviewer from the 1950s all the way up through the 1990s. He had some really interesting people. He was the most, I think, he was the most interesting part of all of the interviews. And Walden is sharing them, and that is so cool. Thank you. Well, thank you for arranging for me to get them, so it all worked out. Yeah, but I wouldn't have been able to hear them without you, so I doubly appreciate it. No problem. So. Well, Larry, it's always fun to hear you. I want to be the Bullwinkle Party, please, if you're starting to get involved in politics. So uh, would you put that down in writing, please? Uh, not those kind and of reserve politics. That. <laughs> Just reserve that for me. Yeah, not those kind of politics. Oh. No. Bullwinkle, sure. What's that? Bullwinkle, sure. You can get involved with oh, Bullwinkle. Bullwinkle, yeah. 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 Who wants to be Rocky? Bill Scott. Uh, well, let June parade you, Rocky, because yeah. she still can. Yeah, she still got the contract on that thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you, Larry. You all have a wonderful weekend, and I'll be tuned in tomorrow. Oh, That's boy, the I won't be. Talking. I don't think I'm tuning in tomorrow. I'm not sure. Well, I hope so. Somebody got to run Perry's music for him. Well, it depends on who. Because uh, my friend Dave's coming over because I've got a couple little computer issues. Okay. I need somebody with sight to look at the screen to see. So it, might, it depends on how long he's here. Uh, it's I, nice to have a. It's nice to have help on the minority group over there. Oh, those sighted people. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> yep. That's right. You know, sometimes it's true. Sometimes they can be of use. Yeah. yeah so I'm in the minority here. John might be running uh, Ray McKinley stuff. I'm not sure yet. We'll plan it either way. You'll know but before we actually do it, what's going on. I'll have John. Oh, it'd be scary to let John loose on his own tomorrow. Okay, we'll see how it goes. I did it once or twice with Perry on my own. It was easy because, you know, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm good with people. But, you know, you got to train your younger brother. In the, in I the know, and that's what thing. I worry about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't let him loose too many places. Are you feeling any better? I know. Did, did, did you get up in the middle of the night? No. Well, it's funny because I was feeling like garbage. That's, I, I reused a different word. Yeah. Uh, after right about the time we started the show. Right. And I took a shower and still felt like I, I, I was like I, I couldn't. I wasn't sure what was going on, but I was just feeling really bloated and not good. Mm-hmm. And I laid down and I listened uh, to this two-hour Vince Scully special that KLAC did. And I told John about it, and I think he told you. And then I fell asleep and woke up around 1, turned the, the computer off because you had just left. Actually, yeah. early. You, well, you and I were emailing each other at 1, practically. Yeah, and I was feeling a lot better. Okay. Uh, st- still not great, but better. And by the time I woke up this morning at about 7.30, uh, I was feeling fine. So I slept all that time. And I was very afraid that I'd wake up at 3 and not go back yep. to sleep. But no, I did well. And now I'm fine. So I don't know what it was. And it doesn't happen very often, but uh, not pleasant. Maybe the touch of the flu? Maybe so. I woke up this morning, went over to the closet, and Thursday my younger brother and sister-in-law were here. And we cleaned out the closet uh, with a lot of stuff that probably needed to go. Pants, shirts, because it had been a few years. Mm-hmm. And I looked and I said, where are all my my button-down shirts because I needed something for the Spurgback meeting. So, And I knew four or five of them were in the wash, but I wasn't going to wear those. So I texted my younger brother. And I said, do I have any shirts left? And he responded, uh, no, I don't think so. 
<laughs> nice time to find out, huh? So I found a polo shirt that worked well, and it was warm enough, it was cool enough, so that it worked fine, but I was worried that it was going to be, you know, like 90, 95, and I don't really want to be wearing polo shirts at that with that temperature. It was a little warm today, I thought. Yeah, warmer than I thought it would be, mm-hmm. but the shirt worked fine, and you know, I didn't get any laundry done tonight, but I'll do some tomorrow. So, sure. But that was a strange <laughs> feeling, to wake up and not find any shirts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Anyway. I will let you get back to other callers. Thank you, Larry, for giving us the update. I'm glad it went well. It was fine. It was really good. A lot of people enjoyed it, and that's what good. was important. Well, we'll, we'll come up with something for Richard and Patricia. We'll figure something yeah. out. Yeah, yeah. We plug, you know, all of our upcoming events, and people seemed interested. Okay. So we'll see what happens. Perfect. All righty. All right, I'll catch you both later. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. I'm sorry. Bye-bye. Bye. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. The mouth of the south has an announcement to make. Here she is. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. I heard my name mentioned. Am I supposed to be gearing up to do something? Uh, well, it's Richard Hurd's wife, also named Patricia. Oh, and, and, bless and, his heart. And, and okay. so, and so he he wants to perform something with his wife at the convention. Okay, that's good. Yeah. When I hear Patricia, my ears perk. I know. And then I there know. was nothing that related to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Am I supposed to be doing something? No, no, no. You're, okay. al- you're already helping Michael, uh, Mike on that one. So I. That's see, right. Yeah. I got Michael's up on my computer here. Yeah, you, know, you got Michael. Okay. Okay. Um, first things first. Tomorrow is the anniversary of 9/11. It's the fifth. Anniversary. Can you imagine? Right. Do you remember? Do, do you remember mm-hmm. where you were when you heard the news? Yeah, my sister called me and I was asleep, and she said they just hit the Pentagon. I mean, the, she called me yeah. and the phone woke me up, and that was the first I heard that we had been attacked. But, so I just wanted to make sure that the people whose family and friends and people who the terrible destruction and the first responders and just everybody who was associated with that. They are all in our thoughts. And tomorrow is a terrible, terrible day to have to remember, but we do and we remember the people who were affected by it. You remember there was a blind guy who got a lot of coverage who walked down with his dog over mm-hmm. all those stairs? Mm-hmm. That's somebody that John Lurie know. He played old-time radio on a college station I used to listen to back out here in the California, the 70s. Wow. And I think he's written at least one or two books on on his experience of trying to maneuver through Manhattan, not seeing yeah. that day. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What an experience. So, Absolutely. anyhow, that's, that's the most important thing that I wanted to say. Good. And maybe Ron in Illinois will call if he has an update on Jim Taylor. I know you said that, um, and one of his friends, the, the person. Yeah, um, the radio host in the, uh, the radio the host, show, yes. went and visited Jim. And he said, you got a bit of a way to go. And I know he and Ron talk on the phone, so maybe Ron, if he's listening, can give us a call, mm-hmm. give us a little inside scoop, see where we yeah, are. Yeah, be able to give us some information. We're talking about Jim Taylor who is our family member who calls in from California. He's the one who reviews books for us occasionally, and he was in his home uh, in California when it went up in flames, and Jim was 
overcome by smoke. They had to resuscitate him, and he's been in the hospital ever since. That was a couple of weeks ago. And he's making progress, and it's just so wonderful to be able to say that. But maybe Ron in Illinois, who is a good friend of Jim's, will be able to give us a little bit of information that's more current than what we have. So that's it. And what else do I have here? Um, Dan in Indiana, we were talking about the hurricane last week, that it had knocked the Dickens out of Connecticut in a couple of, I had no idea. I kept saying, are you sure? Was it a a power grid that went down? It was actually sitting in people's backyards. The thing was churning up so much. And it is not Hurricane Hermione, which I thought, you know, like Hermione Gingold. It was her mean. (laughs) Somebody in one of the newspapers said, one day we're going to get names we can pronounce. (laughs) Hurricanes. So my apologies to Dan. I mean, I, I kept saying, "Are you sure it's in Connecticut?" And by golly, he was right. It was all the way up in Connecticut and the Northeast states. Well, wow. okay, today the tenth, which is still the tenth out there, but not here. Right. It was Swap Ideas Day, and I think you're doing an excellent job. Swap idea. Tomorrow is Make Your Bed Day, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> you got that. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow is make your bed day. Yeah, well. But you're good about that. We do that here on Friday. Well, you change the bed on Friday. Do you make your bed during the week? We make them, well, change, yeah, we do, we we make beds every day. No, I mean, when when you get up in the morning or whenever you get up, do you put your sheets and blankies and stuff in all the right places? I do. You can do it twice for me. I don't do it. Well, you don't have my mom living with you yet. (laughs) That's true. I forgot about you that. know, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, you know. Oh, his mom is going. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah. When, when Patricia moves in with the family, cause, you know, she one of us here. She'll have to make her bed at least once a day. You know, that's. You're gonna have to be her medically sealed. <laughs> 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 Your poor mom. She's gonna come in and dust me. That is true. She she, oh, she has a, a routine. What a rip your family is to live with. I'll bet. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Now you so have I'm to you have to love mom because mom did something very special that she don't she normally doesn't do today. What? Well, she skipped a room. No. Did she do that? Uh, more, it's more it's more tr- oh traumatic gosh, than more that. Okay. What did she do? She emptied the vacuum cleaner. On <laughs> <floor>. <laughs> what did she do? Last Saturday. Yeah. She announced the day before that she wanted to get donuts because it's the start of the college football season with the bracket point. Okay. Okay, so we bought don- she bought donuts, mm-hmm. and she was disappointed in it. They just didn't Uh-oh. have freshness, and she didn't like the oil. And, you know, and you know we might see donuts. You know, it's going to be a while before we see donuts. They're, you they're b- pretty awful when that happens. Go ahead. Can you believe I'm sorry. it? I'm on her side already. Can you believe it? Yesterday, my mom announced we're going to try a different place and get a new batch of donuts. So, in this family, we had donuts two Saturdays in a row. And, and yeah, they were much better and they were $3 cheaper. So, so <laughs> there, see, life is I good. risked my face. <laughs> and and <laughs> I was going to mention Dunkin' Donuts, but I won't. I don't, I'm being very protective. I don't want the station to get sued. No. Bill Bragg would not appreciate that. No. 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 
Okay. I mean, I am he, 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 have... he, he gambles enough, wouldn't they, that the mice go out and play on a weekend. So he would not be too happy right. if we... That's right. We really are a dice roll, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. He just wouldn't appreciate if we, you know, have Dunkin' Donuts want to dunk us into a cup of coffee or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I'll tell you privately. Okay. We and everybody will know that it is... Not an advertisement we're doing. <laughs> advertisement or advertisement. I don't know which is correct. Anyway, wow. is the phone off the hook? No, let's see. It just might be one of those Oh, lights. okay. Just in case we still have people out there. Yeah, well. Okay, I have a Winnie the Pooh. And I know we've done this before, Good. but it's nice. A little consideration and a little thought for others makes all the difference. And I heard uh, the phone ring, and that, I know that I stepped on you. That was me calling myself, just making sure I had the <laughs> ring on. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Did you really do that? Yes, I did. Nobody's out there? Nobody. Everybody went to Maybe bed. We're not even on the air? Somebody call and let me know if we're on the air. That's a good, that's a good thing. Well, let me know if we're on the air. Dave called just that's before true. the show. Yeah, the, Larry is magical. That's true. Yeah. By the way, everybody, we'll be up back on Dave King's show Friday, February the 10th. And the reason why we know that, his wife, is leave, his wife decided to leave him at the bachelor that weekend. So he called. <laughs> so he put, he he doesn't put that, batch it very well, does yeah, he? <laughs> no. So you put that in the calendar, Larry, John, Patricia. Friday, February the 10th. Dave Kane returns oh. to Yesterday USA. I have to put that on my calendar, right? Yeah, yeah put that for next year, 2017. February 10th. This is getting very scary. I know. Hello there, your are Patricia. Are we on there? We are, Dan. Woohoo! There you are. You heard my apology. I couldn't believe it was up in Connecticut. And I kept saying, are, are you sure? Are you sure? And you were. Are you, are you doubting my professionalism? Uh-oh. No, no. I think <laughs> you, you know as well as I do, there are some newscasters who are reading last week's stuff, you know? Exactly, but yes. My gosh, there it was. And you said Hermine, and I said Hermione, and Hermine is correct, and I was wrong, and oh, my gosh, I've just got apologies all over the place here. Well, apology accepted. There. Thank you. You can hang up right. now. Now, 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 now. <laughs> I didn't take a nap today. <laughs> I did. I took a three-hour nap. Yeah. No. Oh gosh. Well, okay. last now, now last Saturday you didn't. You stayed up till seven in the morning. That's right. So you're just you're dangerous when you're loose, Patricia. What can I say? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But I did sleep late today. Good. 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 Like, well, I can tell a lot. Uh, Daniel, how are you again, doing? Please? What now? <laughs> I, I just woke I up. You just woke up. He, he, like he just woke up. Okay. <laughs> he said, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. I just woke up from tonight. a nap. <laughs> you took a nap? <gasps> I took a nap. Really? I was tired. It's been a, it's been a busy, busy week. What, when it? you're in the beginning of a semester and you've got newbies coming in, you must be ready to... Sit down and forget that there's a world around you. Well, and we had the beginning of the Indiana Bicentennial Torch Relay on Friday. We had, uh, That's right. How did it go? 
It went well. We were having just a lot of practice with, uh, you know, the we had, we had all the fourth graders in the county at the uh, beginning of the torch relay. We had the former uh-huh. First Lady, Judy O'Bannon. She lit the torch from the cauldron. And we had, uh, mm-hmm. uh, we had uh, Karen Pence, the First Lady of Indiana, and um, she gave a nice little speech. Uh, Mike Pence couldn't make it because he was having his uh, security, his first security briefing uh, up in Washington. So, but we did have the Secret Service in town, and um, just a great, just a great day. Uh, we probably had uh, two thousand people there for the beginning of the wow. relay. Wow, Dan! Just it all went well. I mean. I am so glad. Now, how big is Did your, you have how big any is, display? Go ahead, Weldon. How big is your hometown where they had the event? We we have about, oh, about 3,500 people in the town of Cordon. In the county, we have about 40,000 people. So two, having 2,000 pe- people show up, it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit, it's noticeable. It's a big oh, it deal. was, it yeah. was. Wow. And... My question was, did you have any historic displays from the museum that people were invited, and that you had to set up uh, for the event? The mobile museum down from the um, Indiana Historical Society, and we um, mm-hmm. that was what we were featuring that day. They, wow. uh, we had uh, run-throughs that began on... Uh, Thursday afternoon, that's when the mobile museum came through and uh, it was set up and, and it was there all day Friday and we had um, several different reenactors. I'll have to send you links. I, I was so busy today at work, couldn't you know, uh, send links or anything like that. But yeah. you can uh, just um, Google Indiana Bicentennial Torch Relay and they have a website. And um, it, this torch, it's a, it was created by uh, students at Purdue. This torch not only has a flame at the top, but it even has a camera in the um, handle, and they can oh my goodness. fill pictures and uh, 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 even movies. I mean, this is truly, you know, a, a technical, you know, it's just so high-tech, and, you know, it has yes wow. in it, and you can track it online, too. So it's uh, like the body cams with the police departments. Yes, yes. Wherever you go, it goes. What a great idea. Yes. So, Indiana. Did you see see any of these films? Do what now? Did you see any of the filming that took place? Uh, (laughs) If I go to the website, am I going to see the same thing that you have already seen? Yes. Does that ask it better? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's right. My my right. questions are getting a little fuzzy tonight. <laughs> well, it is after midnight here. So. Yeah. Yeah. They're just yeah. a little furry. It's actually after one here. Yes, it is. I I see now. Yes. 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 So that's glad. I'm really glad it went so well. That was a big event for all of you. And then you had to take care of your kids on top of it. Am I by myself? What now? We're waiting for you, Dan, so we wouldn't do to you heard us. 
I thought I was by myself again. Uh, would you would you tell me, Walden, if you ever disappear, I should just keep talking, right? Yes, I. I but you know, I I I I didn't think that was a problem. Oh, I know, but just in case. Oh, like I like the last I, time I, it happened. Yeah, I like to sneak out with you not. But you always oh, I know. You, you always you, catch you, you me. You go and get yourself peanut butter and popcorn. Yeah, you always catch me. I think you're at the movies. <laughs> you always catch me every time I sneak out, though. I know I do. <laughs> I just not like every that. time. I know you get things in there. How, how do you How do you know when I'm not there? Because I can't hear you breathing. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but it'll make you wonder. <laughs> What a night. Well, you know, okay, you know you if, when I shut off my microphone, it, it probably does have a little different sound to it, to the room. No, you, I just know you're gone. I, I do not detect a different sound. I just know. It's a mother's instinct. Yes, yes. Pretend on your mother. Yes. Your mom would know. <laughs> yes. I, you, you can pretend on, on your mother. Dan, were you with I, us with the interview with Elva Green? I did. I was not, no. Shame on you. She was really a great lady. We talked about her father, who was the actor who portrayed Eddie the Waiter in Duffy's Tavern. And he was also Stonewall Jackson, the lawyer in Amos and Andy. Or, um, no. Um, now, you yeah, said her on a couple Andy, I'm sorry. Hmm? Yeah, John Lurie had, yeah, had her on a, few week, uh, a couple months ago, and then we, John Lurie and I had her on about two years ago. So, yeah, yeah I, I've heard her in the past. Right. I, I think I heard her, was it July this year? Yep. When the book came out, we had it in July. And then we know Patricia does the Crim L. Crim interview, so I figured, you know, it, you know let Patricia. She just likes put, to read all these books, too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she, I mean, it's a great book. <clears throat> and, and sometimes I don't compliment profusely. This one I am complimenting profusely because it deserves it. It's really a good piece of work. And uh, learned now, a lot about that's a great dad. question. May I ask you a really tough question, my dear? I know what you're going to ask, and the answer is I don't know. Well, okay. that's very good. What makes a great book? No, I wasn't going to ask that one. Oh, good. Okay, ask me the question. I was going to ask something about etiquette. No, you may not take muffins <laughs> home from the buffet. <laughs> well, this, you may this, not. No, no, this is a this is a, this is a Patricia etiquette thing. Oh gee. Oh yeah. Oh gee. We're gonna find out Patricia one of Patricia's secrets here, everybody. Okay, oh, I'm gonna gee. I'm gonna ask. Oh gee. When we have what? an author on the air. Yes. Or when you interviewed an author for an article you've written in the past. Yes. And you've read the book, like we yes. know Patricia has. And it and, stinks. And it stinks. <laughs> I knew you were going there. Yes. That's a multi-point yes. question here. Yeah, and it stinks. How do you finesse that thing? How do you mention... How do I say I didn't enjoy it? Right. Or how do you plug it without really saying it's a bunch of hooey? You and Larry have been talking. Well, there is always, I say always, almost always, something in the book that is redeeming. And it will be fun to talk about 
the good parts. Even the Mickey Rooney books? Pardon? (laughs) Even the Mickey Rooney books? Well, you know, I I did drop an email to say that it got better after we got past the beginning. Yes. The beginning was really a crusher, and I thought, oh, my gosh, if the rest of the book is like this. And it was a long, long, long introduction or a a, a support, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When you recommend something, you know what I mean. Yes. And I thought the whole book was like this. And Mm -hmm. when I finally got to the end, I don't know how many pages it was, and it was nearly someone saying, oh, yes, this is what (laughs) I have some stories about Mickey Rooney, too. Well, nobody cared. You're not part of the book. You just have to say promoting. That's the word. You're, you're, You're promoting the book or making comments about the book, not writing your own. Did you, have really that, did you have a feeling the Mickey Rooney books had two authors? Yes, I knew that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, but this was, this was a third person at the beginning, and huh. the language was not something, I mean, you can take it in the right places, but huh. to have it infiltrate just straight writing was a little unnerving for me. <laughs> I just, I would well, not be able to hang on to a book all the way, uh, you know, for then it's a big book. It's a lot of books. But once I got past that and started reading, it was pretty good. If I remember I correctly, Mickey Rooney, that was his autobiography. I mean, it didn't have, you know, anyone cited as a uh, secondary author. No, it did. But it was actually a biography. He, um, Mickey Rooney, yeah, he, he, okay. right, it had authors. It, it it was not an autobiography. Mickey didn't didn't write it himself. Yeah, Mickey's but, written two autobiography in the past, so that they were doing their own interpretation. Yeah. I see. Yeah. yeah. But it uh, just seemed like, you know, something that maybe Mickey had, you know, at least contributed his notes and then it just seemed like someone else started, you know, taking that on and, you know, you know, kinda yeah, I don't know standing on it. Yeah, how they managed to unearth the information that they have in the book. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, when you put something in quotation marks, you have to have the ability to go back and say uh, he either well, said it to I, me I, or. I think one of the authors interviewed him on some other topics and for other projects. I remember you're right. And you're he kept right. and kept remember these that. notes for the book. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. You are absolutely. Thank you for jogging my brain here. He went to sleep. How, about a re- how about a recap? What have I slept through? I'll have to catch on with. Well, we had. Walden, did you hear the question? He, he wanted a recap of, of. You want a recap of the of the show that you missed? Yeah, so tonight. Yeah, that, what what have I missed tonight? You missed a the Fib- interview. You missed an interview, and you missed a Fibber McGee Molly. Oh boy! But I have something really special for all night owls. Once we tuck Patricia to bed. We're going to feature a two-hour interview that with Wilder Wallman, uh, Shirley Mitchell, and Mary Lee Robb to talk about their days on the Great Grocery Show back in Chicago. So we're going to feature that later tonight. Well, that will be, be fun. fun. Yeah. Yes. Is it all right Enjoy if I listen the, uh, to some of it? Uh-huh. It's all right. Yes, you can. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. And, and those of you who... And those of you who can't stay awake, it'll be replayed on Wednesday on the Blue Down the Road. Right and there. what time? Uh, well, first first run through starts at midnight, 
and then, do that. And then next, there. next run through uh, starts at one o'clock in the afternoon. So I'm so happy I found out how to uh, run the app on my telephone because now I can like pull that up and listen to it in the car. Good. Yes, it's I can. Tune in is, is, is becoming a, a very versatile little piece of uh, helpful stuff. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I can listen to Patricia while I'm rolling down the road at 55 miles an hour. Ooh, what does dangerous. She, what does she sound like when she's bumping along like that? Well, you know, she takes a bump here and there and uh -huh. she'll keep going. Yeah. Very versatile. I can do that. I can Didn't roll that. with the punches. Yeah, well, you know, she's a survivor. She is. Yeah, I am. I am so. <laughs> uh, Before you go, I need to ask about students. How are you doing with your new students? They're doing quite well. We have students from all over the country. Um, really? Yes. Do you have any international students who enrolled for first semester? Oh, Yes, quite a few, quite a few. We have, I haven't seen the latest figures, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I... International mean from Kentucky, Tennessee, and South Carolina? And he's the one with the nap. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. Uh, Can you give me a couple of representative countries the students have arrived from? Poor Dan. I, I think Dan's phone is giving up the ghost. Yeah, I'm right here. Okay, good. Yes. Yeah, we've had students from Iraq and Romania and Hong Kong just uh, all over. Wow, that really is international. Oh, yes. Do any of the students come to you for help with the language? Because, golly, I sure not, would. Not, not so much, but we have, uh, we have a... Um, we have uh, and um, we have a division of the school. We have a department that will help them with, uh, you know, some uh, tutoring and things like that. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm yeah, we we do. Yeah, they 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 call it the arc, and uh, you know we we direct them to the arc, and that's where they can set up tutors for any uh, help like that. Are you seeing uh -huh. more international students today than when, you, than when you first started working at the university, Dan? I believe so. I, well, our enrollment has gone up. I uh -huh. mean, uh, we had over 700 freshmen uh, last uh, week, uh, over the last couple of weeks when they when they enrolled in the fall semester. So, but, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, it's just very... Uh, and we just have such a wide range of uh, students, you know, who come in from just all over the country, all over the world. Great. Let me That's ask really you, nice to hear. Let me ask you this, Dan. Mm -hmm. what, if they add a new department or a new course structure or something, do they let the library know? That way you might have a couple of books that on hand, or you need to order a few books that you normally would not stock just because... Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we we do we uh -huh. we um, you know, we we do that. Uh, we we have a uh, you know uh, 
bulletins that go out, and uh, we had a school down here in Kentucky, St. Catherine College, closed. Uh, they um, they were un- financially unable to continue, so then they uh, we we're, we're taking on their um, radiology uh, school, and we are also taking on their wrestling team. So you know, we we have worked with other schools to uh, you know help them out. That, that, that sounds like a good combination. Wrestling and radiology. Doesn't that, Patricia? It sounds like a... a <laughs> sounds like a well, practice in... Yeah. Yeah. It worked out well. And I can't, right. guess you heard about the IGT closing. I did. That's amazing. Oh, gosh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're, uh, we're working with some of the, one of the colleges here in the area, um, Jefferson Community Community and Technical College. They're having a, mm-hmm. a, a open house for those students, and hopefully they'll be able to continue their uh, their degrees with uh, the yeah. local community. College. ITT is the Technical Institute. You used to see advertising on television very frequently, and all of a sudden, boom! Their doors closed. Like the date, like well, the, the week of, or the day of enroll, uh, enrollment, practically. It's just, I mean, think of all the poor kids that put up the money. And show up, and there's no squat, there's no class, and there's no school. Well, their there's trouble no was the Department of Education wasn't um, had really uh, stopped funding uh, mm-hmm. anyone enrolled. I never those figured schools. out if they stopped funding because the school didn't meet the requirements, or the funding has just been cut back. I think there were questions. I think the Department of Education was really questioning their. Uh, you know, how sound the school was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and, I, and I suspected that from the way the information was presented. It's always hard to tell, as for sure. And that's really a shame. I'm really glad somebody is stepping in to help the students. I, I guess even worse than new students coming in and plunking dollars down on the counter and coming back mm-hmm. and finding the doors locked is the yeah. student who's 50% through and had no place to go. Mm-hmm. I think was it thirty eight thousand students? Pardon? Were there thirty eight thousand students in, uh, who I, were involved? I don't recall. I don't recall the number. It was huge because they not only had physical presence, they had brick and mortar, but they had a huge number of people who were doing online studies. Yes. And of course, they paid premium prices as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Yeah. What a world. Well, it's really nice to know that somebody is helping out there. Well, I am sorry you missed the really important parts of our show tonight, Dan. You'll have well, to it's, catch an update. I, I, hmm? I basically got off work and I came home, and I was so tired. I had some supper, and I just laid down. And Oh, I, it's so. okay. You're forgiven. I was being really <laughs> hard-nosed about this. I'm sorry. You know, it, it was a yeah, very. I'm, I'm my whole my whole presence is to apologize to Dan tonight. <laughs> well, I woke up and I thought, oh gosh, what time is it? I've, I've missed the show a bit. And then I looked and I thought, no. no. I pulled it up online and it's like, no, there you are. You're right there. Here we are. Was that good. It is always good to hear from you and you give weather reports and all stuff like that there. And I thank you right. for that. And uh, hopefully no more hurricanes. I 
haven't heard no, anything more about any hurricanes. I looked, I looked at the map tonight. There are three systems chugging our way, so I don't oh, know. Really? Um, it looks like the, the computer models have them disappearing in places where I'm not, but one d- decided it liked my area, so I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. You know, hurricanes and any kind of storm, they're so unpredictable. But the, the weather people do a really wonderful job of, you know, narrowing the possibilities and giving us advanced notice. So it's, it's really cool. Right. So, Have we heard okay, from people in Hawaii? Uh, we haven't reached out yet. We gotten some emails. I think we were waiting for the hurricane to settle down. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it probably should be passed by now. But I haven't checked that. Um, it's it's a different page than what I or from. I don't know then from. I normally check. I check the Atlantic, and they've got a separate section for the Pacific. Well, we are. And I, know, I should have checked that. Yeah, we we have some water out here, Patricia. I know. I know. Okay. I'll, I'll be. I'll be better. Okay. I'll be better. Right. Okay, Dan. Well, you take care of you and have a wonderful week. And I'm really glad that your uh, your torch passing went so well. Yes, it went really well. Everyone just great. Had a high, high, uh, uh, just high praise, and and I, I'm just glad it went well, and everybody was happy. Seems like. That's really neat. That's really hey, all right. Well, thank you for the Everybody, update. Yeah. All right, Dan. Get some sleep. You take care of you. Care. Take care. All right. Sound like Dan called us when he's still a little bit sleepy there. That's, that's oh, good. I don't think so. Oh. I, I think he sounded cool. Okay. <laughs> Dan, see, I'm on your team right now. Yeah. Well, I guess I, poor guy, he just loved to check in with us, make sure we're okay. And there, so he, I know. He I know. He's good about that. Yeah. I'm so good about that. Okay, I'll hold my Burma shave. There's nobody on the phone, right? Nope. Okay, I can give you my Burma shave. Okay. I like this one. Don't lose your head to gain a minute. You need your head because your brains are in it. Burma shave. Ah, very good. I like that one. Very good. They were so yeah. smart. Boy, you know, you asked me before what I would like to do. Mm-hmm. I want to be a Burma shave writer. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? You sit, you sit in the shower and say, "Okay, I've got one," and I don't mean to. I mean, this is not Mickey Mouse stuff. It really takes a lot of thought. They make them. The simpler something seems, the more difficult it was to create. You know, that, that so, was, uh, that's that's an interesting observation. Think of the think of the skill for like like Wallace Wimple, Christmas uh, greeting cards. Uh, Alliteration exactly. with, with with an art by itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, sl- advertising slogan, you know everything in one easy sentence or two, and and very it, bur- difficult. Burmese science. Very difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to get an entire message in three or four words. Do you think it'd been harder to do that than write a song? Oh gee, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's like saying it would be harder to bake donuts than to bake bread. They're so different. No, well, I don't. I really well, don't know. Yeah, and, I mean, and they I, would really be different occupations or professions, different arms of professions. Could you see so, yourself? Because you are a writer. That's where FloridaWriterHotmail.com comes I in. Are a writer? Yeah. Okay. Could you? Would you feel a fish out of water? 
writing in genres that you don't feel comfortable with. Like, I know how much you love poetry. I'd, I'd never try it. I know. That's what I mean. I mean, I, I mean, can write verse. Anybody who can rhyme words can write a verse. But, but to actually I take a part and or interpret poetry or write it, um, it's out of my ballpark. Right. That's, that's, I that, wouldn't I know, try it. Yeah, that's not uh, uh, limericks. Could you just write limericks for a living? <laughs> yeah, I think I could write limericks if it buzzed me, but I'm... I'm it's not high on my interest list. Yeah, I mean songs. Down I mean, around 79 or 80. You know, writing songs. I know that you haven't tried that yet. You know, we know no. your, we know your yeah. music, we know your musical background. You know that. So. <laughs> right. I can play CDs well. <laughs> and what do you play? I play the CDs. CD. Yeah. So you know, no. it's, it's, so see, there are there are some. I'm good in advertising and promotional work. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty cool on that. Yeah, but you're good. Man. I can do I can do slogans and cut lines and yeah, all but sorts you're of good stuff. in feature stories and stuff like that too. Yeah, I can do that. I know you could. I have faith in you. So see, I think you can do anything. I have faith. Probably, <laughs> but it scares me. <laughs> <laughs> to think that I might have to. Oy, oy, oy. Yeah. Well, I do have some stuff for Celeste. Hurry up and call Celeste. What are we down to here? Well, we we got a few more minutes before I, we tuck Patricia to bed and she gets to do her yeah. exercises. Yeah. I have to do my exercises. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My exercise, we're down to one. But it's an important one. And if I can't do it very well, then I have to go back to all of my exercises. Well, Which is a wonderful motivation. Do it. Do it now. You said you weren't going to do, do, do it. Do it now. <laughs> you said you're going to do it. Do it now. So I've got three goodies for Celeste, and I hope she calls in. But I am I am reading a Nero Wolf. I love Nero Wolf. And this must be one of his earlier um, pieces of work because I was in chap the end of Chapter 2 before I realized who had been murdered and why? Ooh. I mean, it all. I mean, all it said was the orchard murder. Period. Two times in chapter one, and I was at the end of chapter two before I knew what the heck was going on, which is a little unusual. But anyway, I'm I'm all caught up now. However, I just realized the relationship between Rex Stout and Nero Wolf. Yeah. Nero Wolf. Yeah, well, Nero Wolf is portrayed as a seriously overweight person. Mm -hmm. Archie talks about having a special chair made for two people, only it's for Nero, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And it was, it was it, oh, he was just so super with his writing. I wish I could have done that. Anyway, he is such a smart person. And his custom-made chairs and, and among other things, and Archie talks about how many yards it takes to make his yellow silk pajamas. Mm -hmm. But Nero Wolf is this really big, brilliant guy. And Rex Stout's name is Stout. Stout, like in kind ah, of chubby. And, and it never occurred to me until today. Very good. I have, been out, I have been out of step with myself. So anyway, Nero Wolf raises orchids, or has somebody who raises them for him, <laughs> and he loves to eat, and he's a gourmand. And he's, he enjoys his food. Wait a minute. I just thought of something then adorable. 
Yes. Okay. So if if, if if Rex Stout sort of based Neil Wolf on some of his acronyms of himself, I think I think Pat- so. I, I, I think Patricia could write a whole de- a female detective series based upon some of her traits and qualities. What do you think? Some of my traits yeah. and qualities? Yeah. Who's gonna buy them? Well, I think somebody will. The family will buy them. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> like you know, the the the, the, the that'll pay for a ream of paper that I put <laughs> in my printer. <laughs> Like the detective who don't, the, the female detective who don't wear shoes, you know, the different things, different qualities of traits. Well, you know, that's a pretty good shtick, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I have to put them out, put them on to go out and investigate yeah. criminal know, activity. She has a cat. She has a cat. You know, she's got a little kitty. Who who uh, doesn't? Yeah. She's a writer. She's a mystery writer who don't wear shoes, and the cat keeps knocking <laughs> the keyboard off the table. I think that would be a great shtick really good. Well, you know, I talk about putting my shoes on to go out and investigate crimes. Yeah. You're a wolf almost never leaves his house. Well, they, that's that's a new, his thing. That's a he new sends twist. Archie out. She hosts her radio shows and there's all these, all these mis- the, the family calls him a mystery for her to solve from her, com- from her, from her computer side table. As I sit here yes. in my office chair, tipped back <laughs> with my shoeless feet up yeah. on the desk. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it, it is so true. Here I sit. Oh, just like the mouth of the cell. Yeah, yeah, Anyhow. Yeah. All right. Oh, Celeste, please call. I've got some really great stuff for you tonight. Anyhow, I've got a couple of questions for you. All righty. You wanna How do you think? Hmm? You want to start my stuff now? And then we'll keep the lines open. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of stuff, That's but okay. I'm going to ask you some, some strange questions okay. and give you a strange piece of information. Okay. How did peach pits help during World War One? Peach Cliff? The cat? Peach pits. Like, no, oh, no, no, no. Oh, oh, the iconic, the yeah, the, um, the, the stuff that kid, kids would buy to build things. Well, they probably help uh, create an early radar system. Now, these are the pits of the fruit peach. Oh, a peach. Well, like I like I like my I like my thing of heat cliff. That sounds better. Or see, peach. I I peach. think it sounds better too, but it has nothing to do peach with what I'm asking you. So well, you they create. Okay, you so created, we're talking like peaches and cream. Yeah. Okay. What did the pits? Yeah. It created, what did the pits do? It created a certain poison. That that we could use to combat crime. See, I <laughs> during World War One. Yeah. Now this this was actually a wartime thingy, and I would have guessed the same thing that you did. They were actually used to make activated charcoal for the gas masks that the Allied soldiers wore. Activated charcoal. And that, what that was against talk? the chlorine gas attacks. Okay. Interesting. They they used ground up peach pits to do this. Interesting. I never knew that. I never did either. Yeah. You have to read stupid sites on the internet. Well, I I mean, not really stupid sites. That's that's not true. They're they're eclectic sites. They are eclectic. There are some that are for amusement or entertainment, just one question type thing. Mm -hmm. And then they really have some interesting information. Now, do you know who Judge Judy is? I I I am aware of her. I think 
I think her mom by her show. She frankly she loves to watch her. And okay. and I, I think right. I I think I've heard her occasionally over the years. I don't think I've ever sat through a whole show, but at least dial through it and see her stick for a little bit. Okay, so you know you know who I'm talking yep. about, though. Okay, cool. Um, Judge Judy is one of the television judges, and, and she can be a little acerbic at yep. times. Yep. You know, she's sharp and pointed, and she'll say, goodbye, goodbye, <laughs> case dismissed, goodbye. <laughs> and people will say, but I've got my evidence, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> so, yep. But anyway, Judge Judy is one of the most popular television judges. Now, here is a really scary part of all of this. Someone polled 1,000 college graduates, and 10% of them, 100 out of 1,000, thought Judge Judy was a Supreme Court judge. Well, maybe she'll be happy to run. She might be happy to run, but it is darn scary that these people are walking around with diplomas. Well... You know what would be interesting to see what if they surveyed a hundred how many know even the president of the United States is? <laughs> yeah. You know? Great question. Yeah. Great question. Or, it's, I'm just or, so scary or, to me. Or or what would even be how many could even name the vice president? I bet mm-hmm. if you if you survey a hundred college kids, what I bet ten percent would not know who the vice president is. I'm really sad to say this, but I think the number would be even greater than Probably that. Probably are, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so we are being erudite tonight. Yes, sir. Really brainy yes, sir. and in there. I'm going to ask you, do you know how potato chips originated? In a pan? <laughs> not, not how they're made. <laughs> It's diced, it's diced from a potato. Yeah. And we slice them up. Yeah. And we put them in a pan of oil. Yeah. And we saute them and say, voila. Yeah. I don't think that's the answer that you were looking for. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, here is one of these buffalo wings type stories you know buffalo wings came out of buffalo a bar and people were hungry and they wanted food and they were watching sports and somebody said what are we going to feed them and they had a whole bunch of chicken wings and they cooked them and put this hot sauce on them and boom there are the chicken wings that you guys love during football games well, this is something similar, and it also came from New York at Saratoga Springs, which is a pretty isn't it, there's a racetrack in yeah, there, that's in the famous Saratoga, right? that's the famous racetrack <coughs> yeah. that they run during the summer. That's right. How am I doing? How am I doing? You know, do I get you know when do I, I get an S credit? Okay, when I take you to the track one time, it will oh, be yeah. a it will be a venture for why they give you two dollars and say, okay, you bet something, Patricia. You figure out what to put the two dollars on. And if I come back and say, give me two more, give me two more, <laughs> don't do it. Oh, yeah. Don't do it. <laughs> there's a there's sto- I'll be back for two more. There's a, hmm? white, there's a there's story where uh, a woman who's never been to the track p- out, played out, filled out a ticket. She didn't know what she was doing. 
you know, pick six winners in a row, put two dollars down, and hit for three hundred thousand dollars. So it does happen, Patricia. Oh boy! Yeah. Oh, do how come I never win the lottery? Oh, because I ask for quick picks. I buy a lottery ticket two or three times yeah, a yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, but you buy one dollar a you, you lottery buy, ticket. Yeah, but you buy it for other members of your family, though. That's true. I I buy them. Now, <laughs> the couple I buy, I send them to Alabama. Yeah. Now, now, okay. Now, let me ask you this. Yes, Walden. If if you bought the lottery ticket for your sister or another member of your family, and it hit the lottery. Mm-hmm. Do you think they would feel kind enough to at least give you a tip? Oh, you sure. went through the effort. Okay. I want to make sure you oh, weren't sure. neglected. Oh, sure. How about a royalty? Now, I have heard. I don't know this yeah. firsthand. Uh-huh. But I have heard that when somebody hits a big lottery return, I don't know how many thousands of dollars you have to do, they go back and give a tip to the clerk in the store where they bought the ticket. Actually, the way it works... The, the winning store actually get paid by the state. Mm-hmm. So they get... And actually, they, and they get paid for selling the ticket yeah, to begin with, yeah. yes. And but some these, ca- these some, are stories some, of people who took their winnings and actually went into the store and personally gave the clerk a tip. In some cases... I have never heard that before. In some cases, those stores hit for over a million dollars. That's not a bad payday for a little mom-and-pop store. You got it. Yeah. There is no reason in the world for somebody not to sell lottery tickets. Except they're a pain in the neck. But other than you know, with the record keeping and stuff. But anyhow, it's done automatically because they have to feed it into a machine, or the tickets right. come out in a machine, so they have to own up to the dollars. Right. Oh well. Can we go back to potato chips? <laughs> yes. We both took a cruise on the internet we did. Or, or the or the interstate highway here. Yeah. Okay. There is a chef in Saratotis. <laughs> Allow me to start again. And when you get to the Friday night shows, folks, and you hear Patricia laugh and say, ah, let's just leave it in, <laughs> because Larry and Walton are, are recording me, and if I really make a mess out of something, they'll go back and redo it for me. And there are, the last couple of weeks, I say, ah, leave it in there. <laughs> so when you hear something, it's because it's been recorded, and, and we started to laugh. Well, and no, said, well Larry, Larry, Larry makes Patricia show sound so good. She does. Yeah. Um, he does, yeah. yeah. She sounds great, but he makes it. <laughs> he makes it happen. She sounds really good, yeah. but he makes her sound good. And Walden, too. Both of them. Anyway, okay. So here we've got someone, a chef, by the name of George Crum, who is credited with inventing the potato chips in the summer of 1853. And this is in Saratoga Springs, and that's how we got off on the, uh, on the horse races. Some customer at his his whatever it was, I don't know if it was a hotel or just a restaurant, it's called Moon's Lake House. He sent back his fried potatoes because he said they were thick and soggy. Ah. So Mr. Crumb, who was not pleased, and this is handed down history type thing, <laughs> apparently he had a pretty rough personality. So he went to the kitchen and he really thinly, thinly, thinly sliced paper thin potatoes and <laughs> threw them into the grease and then showered them with salt. And when he brought them back to the table, the customer who didn't like the original potatoes loved them, and he shared them, and instantly we have potato chips. Voila. That's a great story. How about that? 
Terrific. I thought so, too. Great story. And, yeah, it gave a little bit of background on Mr. Crumb, C-R-U-M, not crumbs from the table. He was born in upstate New York. His father was black. His mother was um, a Native American. And before becoming a chef, he worked as a guide in the Adirondack Mountains. Pretty cool. Unfortunately, he never patented his creation. Uh, I don't know if you can do that with food. Probably not. I think you can probably keep a recipe Uh, secret. Well, that's why why you sell cookbooks. Um, True. True. Well, I remember one time I hearing... And this is a good story. If somebody went to a nice restaurant and they really wanted a recipe for the cook, and they, mm-hmm. when they got it, and then when they walked out, the bill just on the recipe was $250. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do. Could they pay it? Were, were they think, okay to pay uh, it? Must have been. Must have been pocket change. Must have been. $250. Yeah. It was a good That's time out. Maybe it tasted right. Yeah. And I think what they right. did, they when they, I think when they got the secret, then they, they felt like they, if they owned it, they paid two hundred fifty bucks, then they went and published it in the book. Probably figured out that's how they got their money back. Well, I don't know how I, how, does that sound like an ethical thing to do? Well, I don't. Yes, I, because they owned it. They paid two hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> for it. By golly, they owned. It. I don't think they, uh, they probably would realize. Did they save the receipt? They probably realized if they knew they're going to be charged too dippy, they would never ask for the ref- to the recipe. So when they got it, then then they probably figured they owned it. I guess. Yeah. Well, if they paid for it, I don't know if you. It's an interesting question. Yeah. If they saved the receipt, it's theirs. Did they <laughs> save the receipt? <laughs> I would have asked for one. Interesting. Well, I have I have a little chunk of information that really made me smile. All righty. In the gold rush, there were about 100,000 people that tore across America after the gold was discovered and everybody wanted a chunk of it. Mm-hmm. And many of them went to the Yukon. <laughs> it says, the article says, even the janitors found wealth by sweeping up the spilled gold dust. Isn't that incredible? But wow. after the journey alone, only 30,000 people persevered. And a million of them, you know, it, they had to do icy waters and climbing mountains, and some of them fell. They were, t- oh gosh, it was just terrible stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And many of them just died or gave up from exhaustion. But here is the paragraph that really caught my attention. Those who made it rarely found gold, as much as the land had already been claimed. But a few, including Fred Trump, the grandfather of the Republican nominee, Mm -hmm. made a tidy sum. He ran a hotel and a restaurant along the Chillicoot Trail. Wow. Now, that's a man who knew what to look for. Wow. He wasn't out there digging holes. He was feeding people. What a great deal, huh? Absolutely. So, well, so if, we, if you and I find the next gold rush, Patricia's <laughs> not digging for gold. She'll open up the little bed and breakfast place nearby. Yeah, I'm a good cook. I, I could do it. Okay. I don't know if I could be a, a, a line cook uh-huh. or or a sous chef. I, I don't think I could do that. But but if you if you have if, if we if had 
if we had a family in for a day or whatever, you could make cook breakfast for them or whatever. If if we locked the door behind them, <laughs> yes, I could do that. <laughs> I don't know how these people do it with these. Oh my gosh! You turn around and there come two more, and here comes a party of six, and here comes three, and. Well, that's why there, and, and you've got all of this food that you have to prepare for these people. Shoo-wee. But see, if you had a bed and breakfast place, then you know how many people you're going to have for the day. That's true. You know? That's true. You have to pre-register. But for Norma, you know, just, just even something like McDonald's coming through. Yeah. And they keep the hamburgers coming and wowzers. It's amazing what the volume those places do. That's just a staggering number to think about. It, it is. And you'll never find me there. I'd be in tears before the first half hour. Seriously, I would be sitting in the corner with tears in my eyes saying, I don't know how you do it, but I can't. Mm-hmm. See, see you'd, be for, you'd be good at the, cu- the custom gourmet chef. That way you only have to cook one today and you've done it. You think a gourmet chef cooks once a day? Well, if you, if, you, if you had a special a specialty item and we're going to have a dinner party for 10, hmm. and that's all you cook yeah, for. Yeah, I guess I could do, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure, I could do that. I could do, if you're all going to sit down at the same time, the, the key words in there are at the same time. <laughs> so I can plan ahead, and I could feed 25 of you at one time. I know my late friend Kitty Cowan. Yeah, my late friend Kitty Cowan had a chef. Those could be the night, probably the, the best setup. That way, you know, you're. That's what you're asking me to be. Yeah, well, see, that wouldn't be bad. See, the, the cook got a pension and retirement and everything else. You think? And, and had to cook for one or two people. Okay. That's not too bad. Well, for one or two people, that's 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 really nice. Woman boy. Nero Wolf has a has a chef. Yeah. And he gets breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, maybe we're negotiating your contract. You only cook once a day. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> you take care of me. You take care of me. Okay. All right. Did Were you familiar with the Jack Benny show we talked about tonight? With I'm not. Eddie I'm not. Did the Mr. Oh. I am not. You, you got to hear it. Okay. <laughs> you got to hear it. I'll see if I can find it. Okay. It's April 28th, I think it was 1948. Is that possible? I thought she said 40. It was during the Jello show. She said 40, uh, April yes. 28th of 40 or April 20th of 40. One, I have it in my notes. Okay. Yeah. When when I went through the book, I actually wrote down the, the dates that he played on a couple of these. So that one is in my notes. And it was really a great line, Mr. DeWitt. I'll see if he's unpreoccupied. Ah. And he delivered it just so smoothly. (laughs) And even when I think about it, it cracks me up. So, okay. Are you ready? Yes. I have just a couple of questions for you. Okay. I have a presidential question. And then, Hmm? family, we're going to let Patricia go do her exercise while everybody goes and do the interview. Oh, yeah. I'd rather stay here. (laughs) I have to do it. Okay. I have to do it. Or I, I will fall apart. I know. My scenes are <laughs> my scenes are shot. 
Um, well, you know, the family went through a lot of work back in June and July praying for Patricia. We don't want to do that, you know? I that's mean, we, true. we pulled. That's true, my gosh. The family pulled for Patricia back then. We'll do it again, but we're going to, but, huh. you know. But, You'll you keep know, me upright. You know, if you can help us out, Patricia, we really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I showed up in my doctor's office last week. He wants me back in two weeks. That's next week. And I looked at him and I said, am I sicker than I, than I think I am? <laughs> I'm feeling fine right now. Yeah. Um, I'll see what he says this week. <laughs> Gee willikers. Gee willikers. What, we, what did we do without doctors? We were left on the trail. We went out west in yeah. covered wagons. Mm-hmm. If you got sick, you got to ride in the wagon for three days. And if you weren't well, you had to walk. And when you died, you got left on the side of the trail with a bunch of rocks on top of you. And well, then everybody moved on. That's the cheapest funeral anybody ever had. Yeah, you had to go out and find know, rocks, and that was it. That's the beauty. That's the beauty of this fan, about our little show on a Saturday night. You have to have something wrong to be part of it, you know. And you know, we we have bits and pieces missing. <laughs> what a thought! <laughs> right. We can we can all be ill together. That's right. <laughs> the ties that bind. This is really cool. Okay, President. Yes. William McKinley was fatally shot on September 6, 1901. Where was he? I think it was Buffalo, New York. Very good. That is exactly right. He was at the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo. And somebody with a name I cannot even pronounce who was an anarchist was the person who shot him. Did you see that John Hinckley, John Hinckley was released today? I know that. Yeah. I saw that. It's amazing. I don't know. 35 years. You know, mm-hmm. you, you know what really? He's 61. Yeah. And he has been officially determined as being okay and was for quite a few years that it, it's okay for him to go home and live and have a job. And one of the requirements is that he either works at a paying job or three days a week he volunteers somewhere, but he has to work or volunteer somewhere for three days a week. One of the things that really caught my attention was that he's got driving restrictions. He does have a license. He's allowed to drive within 30 miles of his home. Mm -hmm. And if his mother or a therapist, I, I guess designated people, but those are the two they mentioned, if one of them is in the car with him, he can go 50 miles. But he is allowed to drive longer than that to get to Washington for his medical appointments. Now, what's the difference? I mean, I'm not, I'm not begrudging him no. the privileges of driving that everybody else has, mm-hmm. but it's just so silly right. that they would say, okay, if he has to go to a doctor's appointment, all, all the rules are, bro- are off. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't know. They didn't tell me how long it is or how many miles it is to Washington from his home, however. So it might be within those restrictions, but it said these apply except when he's going to Washington. So the assumption is, which is a very bad thing to do, the assumption is that it's a longer drive than 30 miles. But anyway, yes, John Hinckley is now home, and we wish him well. A little scary, but we wish him well. Okay. Would you like a sports question? Of course. In lieu of a baseball question. Of course. 
The question is, what does ESPN stand for? Entertainment Sports Network. We're missing a letter in there. <coughs> ESPN. Entertainment Sports Popular Network. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> Programming Network. Programming. Entered it. This, it's yeah. As of today, however, in, in the beginning, it was Entertainment and Sports Programming Network. However, today it doesn't stand for anything. No. <laughs> it's just you. I, I they wonder, just carried over the letters. I'm wondering if it's the most popular cable network of all time. Overall? Yep. you got to be kidding me. No, it could. These it are could. all S words. I know. It could. I think... CNN probably. That would be the one. That, that would be the one. But you know, CNN's ratings been in, in the in the tank for a long time. Well, let's take a look at where ESPN is. That's what I'm wondering. Because you, know, after all, <laughs> think of all, <laughs> think of your cable bill. How much are we going at the sports? You know. Well, I think, and this is an I think, and has nothing to do with Duncan Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I think the cable companies put so many sports stations on because what they show is cheap. Mm-hmm. I don't care about high school football. Nope. I don't care about 18 basketball games. <laughs> I mean, really, when, when you broadcast a basketball game out of some little town called Pit Stop America, <laughs> you know, how much do you pay for the privilege of broadcasting that compared to something like on what used to be Jay Leno presentation. Well, the Knights aren't it's doing it's too it's well either. It's still a lot of money. It's, you know, they're, we're paying, they're paying uh, the NC2A just for the basketball. I think it was $2 billion for 10 years. Per cable station? Uh-huh. I mean, per cable company. No, the, the, the package, the overall package that they pay the college. It's like $2 billion. Okay. They should be very fortunate that I'm not on the, <laughs> on the treasury of those places. So, Good so, grief. Yeah, well, see, the reason why they have been surveying that what's, only, what's getting ratings anymore is live sports events. Nothing else is getting ratings for for any TVs at all. Not even Columbo? No. Well, I'm very fortunate I found him online. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yes. And I found my favorite Britcom. Good. The British comedy that I like so much. Good. Is also online. Good. The tops of their heads are kind of cut off in the <laughs> video. <laughs> They sort of tightened up a little bit. Uh-huh. And they, instead of just reducing the size of the film, they they took it as is and just chopped off the tops and the bottoms. Oh well. Edited for. <laughs> for used to for get some, that on. Yes. Yeah. The, to relieve the distortion, they would chop up the movies. Yeah. Okay, I've got one more. Your brain teaser. Alrighty. And it, it might be a, it might be a repeat, so you have to pay attention here. Mm-hmm. What jumps higher than a building?
Anything. Anything? Mm-hmm. Give me an example of anything. Well, what if it is a thing, not a who? And and if a building doesn't <laughs> jump, and a and a building doesn't jump, so anything can out jump a building. A building doesn't jump. You got it. You are really hot tonight. Ah, see, tell you what a three-hour nap can do for you. Wow. Tell me about the Ivy League college that was founded in 1764 in colonial America. Well, I did not know go far back. It's, I'm assuming it's still the one in today where Harvard and Yale and Princeton are all members of. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the old days, and there's a brand new book out about... <laughs> We're on the highway again. Yeah, so I was saying to the author, they, 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 it, it's a, it's a, it talks about the 1936 Olympics and one of the great sports is rowing. And most of the great rowing teams are all schooled from the Ivy Lakes. Mm-hmm. And it talks about the, guy, the team from Seattle, uh, the state of Washington, mm-hmm. how they upset and got into the 36 Olympics. But, but you know, rowing and college football were, were big th- sports in the Ivy League back in those days. So what that's what that I know ha- about it. What does that have to do with a 1764 well, Ivy League college? Well, I was thinking of the Ivy League colleges back in 1764. You didn't think far enough. I did not know this. Okay. Brown University. Yep. Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, was founded in 1764. You know, you know, here's something to be fun to look up and see if our family would participate. What schools make the Ivy Leagues and where are they located? I don't know how many schools actually make the Ivy Leagues, and I don't even think I can tell you where all, all the schools are in, in that Northeast are located. Cornell is in there. Right. I know there, I know cause I knew a friend that went to that. Well, but are you proud of me that I, I know? I'm that? I'm always proud of you. Oh, you're astounded. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> we I can didn't take it know. one step further. Yeah. Astounded might be a little. I am astounded. Off, off the charts. Yeah. But so we've got Harvard and Yale right. and Princeton right. and Brown right. and Cornell. Right. Five. How many are in there? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I wanted something to look up. My guess is probably eight. But I don't know that for sure. I'll have to look that up. Well, this one rattled me. Okay. The underground, uh, underground, undergraduate admissions for this, what the the semester we're in right now, so they'll graduate in 2020. Yep. The acceptance rate was 9%. Well, you know, I applied to two, two Ivy League schools, and I would turn down my three schools, and two of them were Ivy League. They didn't want me, Patricia. Well, it's not that they didn't want you. They apparently have a pretty stiff cap on these, 9%. I can't imagine nobody would want you. you know, Is NYU Ivy League? I don't think so. Hmm. Okay. You know who turned me down? There's a good trivia question. What three schools turned me down, Patricia? Stanford. Good, that's one. Stanford. (laughs) (laughs) And Stanford. I don't know the other two. Harvard and Yale. 
How dare they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, how yeah, dare they? Yeah, well. I don't know that any of them have a low, well, they might. Harvard, I guess, is down to 8%, maybe. But 9% for the class of 2020, and that was the acceptance rate. That doesn't mean 9% of the applicants are going to graduate in 2020. Remarkable. Just remarkable. Anyway, they had the college up and running in 1764, and it was the college in the English colony of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. That was the name of the school. That was the name of Brown University? Yes, the college in the English colony of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. That I, was the name of the school. I have no idea. Found. I have no idea. Neither did I. <laughs> That's a whole sentence. Wow. And what is the name of your... Oh, well, let me write it out for you. <laughs> it goes, it's like Fibber's Christmas lights. Right. He, had, he ran out of roof, so he had to take take it around the corner sure. and he put an extra S in there sure. on top of it. Oh, well. Okay. It is time for you to run the, interview. the two-hour interview. Yep. Good timing. Well, adorable. Thank you for a wonderful interview. Oh, thank Elva for yeah. a wonderful interview and I was a privileged person to be there. And Quite a remarkable lady. And Everybody, send an email to Patricia this week at floridawriter at hotmail.com. And we all want to know one thing. Did she do her <laughs> four exercises? That's what that, that is the, the homework assignment for everybody this week. Send an well, email again, to... Again, every once in a while, we'll send a reminder. And I get frequent reminders from Tom in New York. Very good. Who signs his emails. I listen but do not call. <laughs> <laughs> he, he sends... Do your exercise. <laughs> that's, the, that's the title of the email. Do your exercise. <laughs> so he has been very faithful. Very good. Florida Hotmail.com. Send Patricia an email this week. Do your exercises in the subject title. We, we, want, we want to get at least three people to do that this week for her. Okay. And, and I will be a good person and just crawl around the floor for a while. Uh-huh. Call okay. me if it call me if you need me arrange to get somebody off the get you off the ground, but uh, I think you, you can do it. <laughs> I take a phone with me. I'm, I'm really serious. I keep I keep a phone with me when I do stuff like that. I'm glad you are smart. I like that. Thank you. Okay, I am off to do my night stuff. All right. I crawl around on the floor. Fun and fun. thank you, everybody, for putting up with my sillies tonight. <laughs> and there were plenty. And we'll be back next week. Perfect. Thank Good. you, Walden. Good night, Patricia. Good night. All right. With a equalizer, JAWS Professional. Alt-Tab, Fibber McGee and Molly 1949 folder. Items, documents, this piece, downloads, documents. Enter, doc, one Saturday, seven, one Friday, nine, enter, one, Fibber McGee, MBS, news, dash, Ray Bree. Document, one Saturday, 09-0, enter, zero, two, blue map, three, gold, four, five, six, seven, great, Gildersloof, eight, 
93-11-06 An afternoon with the great Gildersloof. Willard Waterman, Shirley Mitchell, Mary Lee Rob. Audio. Unloading job. Can. Okay. Enter. Zero. We have a very special afternoon planned for you. We've been working towards this afternoon probably since last year when we did the recreation of the CBS Radio Mystery Theater. How many of you were here for that recreation last year? Okay, well, we have established a precedent. Now on the, uh, the Saturday before the Radio Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, we are going to do something special for radio here uh, at the museum, at least until such time that we can't take care of all the people who want to be coming to one of these things. We have to go to a bigger auditorium somewhere. But we love to do it here because this is kind of a nice intimate place and we have a, a, a wonderful uh, kind of a rapport with the, the audience and with the people who are doing what we do here on the stage. Our first guest from California is the uh, woman who, as a very young lady, uh, had a very important role on the Great Gildersleeve broadcast. She was Gildy's niece, Marjorie. I'd like you to welcome Mary Lee Robb. Our second guest is another lady from the Gildersleeve cast, and she was a, um, always a, um, the light of Gildy's life. She was the Southern Belle on that show and did so many other great radio shows who entertained us all. From uh, California once again, here is Shirley Mitchell. Well, these two are going to do a wonderful job for us, and I'm sad to tell you, no, no, I, I, I wouldn't do that to you. Ladies and gentlemen, Willard Waterman, the great Gildersleeve. You have um, been working this morning. We, we put you to work rehearsing a little uh, Gildersleeve broadcast that we're going to get to see a little later. But I'd like to uh, put you to work again right now and uh, ask you to reminisce. It's not too hard to reminisce, I don't think. Willard, you're from? Madison, Wisconsin, Madison, originally. Wisconsin. And you came to Chicago when? Well, they kicked me out of the University of Wisconsin in 1935. <laughs> And uh, everything was going in radio in Chicago at the time, so I came to Chicago and uh, began pounding on agency doors looking for a job. And I found a couple and uh, spent about uh, 12 years in Chicago radio during the 
heyday of radio, as they say, uh, the soap operas and the children's shows like uh, Jack Armstrong and Tom Mix, <laughs> which I played a couple parts in, and uh, did a lot of the sh evening shows like First Nighter, Grand Hotel, Fifth Row Center, and uh, most you, of the shows in Chicago. You were on the Chicago Theater of the Air for a number of years, too. A number of years, yes. We used to do the, the show in the theater, uh, CBS, uh, NBC, uh, Mutual mm -hmm. Theater, uh, between the, Wrigley, the Tribune Tower and the next door. There would be a 500-seat theater in there. We did all our shows from there. Now it's a bank. <laughs> now it's a bank. Shirley, you, um, you, you grew up in Toledo, isn't that right? Uh-huh. And uh, you have a very interesting beginning to your uh, broadcast career. You, uh, you almost uh, left home as a teenager, right? I did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not all. Almost. I was a crazy teenager who uh, only cared about acting, and um, uh, even in high school. Well, actually, the first thing I ever did was uh, The Lone Ranger from WJR in Detroit. I was 13 years old, and I got on a bus, by golly, and I auditioned, and they called me, and I went and did it. And my fee for that show, for a 13-year-old, was $3.50. Oh. You know what? It was the most beautiful check I've ever seen in my life. Well, that was over scale. <laughs> He's not kidding. In Chicago, it was two fifty. <laughs> you know, when you think about, you really had to love this craft because you certainly didn't do it for the money, not then. Well, not until after it came in. Yeah, well, and you were one of the people responsible uh -huh. for our union, which was AFRA then, because there wasn't any television, and subsequently has become AFTRA. Uh, but, but Willard here and many others like him were responsible for helping us, you know, monetarily and, and helping us become so powerful. Thank you, and thank God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I went back to Toledo, and my junior year, I won a scholarship to the Lakeshore Theater Colony in Plymouth. So I really started very young. And when I graduated from high school, I spent a year at the Cleveland Playhouse in Cleveland as an apprentice. And then I went to Chicago to try to find my way into radio. And I promised my parents that if I didn't succeed in two weeks, two weeks, <laughs> that I would come back home and go to the University of Toledo and become a teacher. Okay? So you know how desperate I was to get a job. <laughs> Oh, a lot of doors in two weeks. <laughs> and I really did. And by golly, an actress here whom you all know, I'm sure, Betty Lou Gerson, uh -huh. was married to a producer by the name of Joe Ainley, and he did uh, First Nighter. And I would just go up to NBC on the seventh floor, remember, yeah. Bill? And sit there and finally got to know Betty Lou. And one day I stopped her and I said, Miss Gerson, I know your husband does First Nighter, and I think I would be good for him. Could you just give me an audition, and then if I'm good enough, you know, recommend me to your husband. And she said, yes. And, you know, I think now would I have done the same for a kid sitting in the lobby wanting an audition, which was really fabulous. She's responsible. And I auditioned for her. And the next day, she said, as soon as I finished, I'm recommending you to Joe. The next day, I got a call to audition for Mr. Ainley, which I did. And a week later, I got my first job, which was on the first nighter. 
How's that for an opener? I mean. And I, I have to tell you something else which I'm going to share with you, which is really kind of naughty. But when I finished that show, we had to wear formals. And I remember I had this dumb-looking little thing because it was done in a theater. Les Tremaine, the leading man, was actually in white tie and tails. I mean, it was magnificent. I was so excited when we finished that two guys I knew had asked to take me to the beachcomber. My, <laughs> my husband knows the story. Took me to the beachcomber. I didn't know what a zombie was. <laughs> and they said, try a zombie. You're going to love it. So I ordered a zombie. I thought, this is the greatest thing I've ever had. It's like an ice cream soda. And I slurped it down. When I tell you that as I got off the bar stool, they carried me to the, I was at the Harriet McCormick, I think the YWCA on Dearborn, where no men were allowed upstairs. They had to permit them to carry me upstairs. <laughs> True story, so And happened. you didn't ask them to stay. <laughs> no. Mary Lee, you have, a, you have a, a, a roots in Chicago as well. You bet. Uh, I you went to Mundelein College. I went there as a child. I didn't, uh, I'm a Chicago girl and an NBC daughter, too. My dad was started at NBC in 1929. He, was, <laughs> he had managed Amos Nandy, so he kind of came across, and then that's how we got started. And then in, when I was a kid, uh, he also discovered Mercedes McCambridge, and uh, she went to Mundelein and Sister Mary Leola with the voice-speaking choir. So uh, I started there going to dramatics when I was about 10, I guess. And then we moved to California when everybody moved on out. And, and did you do any radio work? <laughs> not in Chicago, no, no. And then when I, I was in, uh, same thing, we got a scholarship and uh, did some of that. And then went to, uh, decided I wanted to try radio. In those days, I started out in the, uh, and reading, doing commercials, which at that time, it's so interesting cha how change uh, occur. It was very, it was a no-no for an actress. It was kiss of death. You either were, you know, I did dream commercials. I did everything. Oh, no, you'll never make it. But it, it, we came across. Now everybody just drools to do a commercial, you know. But um, first job I, I got, uh, it was one of those things. You can't get a job unless you have a card. Right. Right? So finally, uh, Lemon Abner took pity on me. And I was, I think it was the first girl on it, uh, Lemon Abner, and played the daughter, got married on it, and... Uh, had lines like, don't cry, Papa. That was about it. But that was, like, <laughs> and I think I got paid $40, and my union card was 75 and I thought, this is not the business I should be in. <laughs> but um, I used to do baby cries, and uh, uh, it was the only time I ever beat Jerry Hausner out of a That's baby right. cry, and uh, I did it on Fanny Bryce. And do I got farm. Oh, did you, did you do, who'd you do? You do uh, I did a baby. The, just the, did a baby cry. Do a baby cry. We have to hear oh, it. Oh, I haven't heard it and done it in years. Let me think about it later. Maybe when we warm up a okay. little and get to know each other better, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I got paid $100 for that, and I thought, okay, I'm staying, right? That was because that was a big time show. In the case uh, that young is better. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But I, um, I kept trying. Same thing. Knocked on doors. Finally, Fran Van Hardisfeld, who was the uh, director producer of our show uh, on Gildersleeve, said, "Come on in. I'll, come on, come on. I'll, to get rid of me. You know how you did." And uh, he let me do a uh, a background noise, which paid no money practically, but it was fun. 
And it just happened that this Marjorie wasn't there that day. And I got to read for it. And uh, I started in September. So sometimes, that's why I was telling my understudy, sometimes it pays to understudy. It's yes. like Shirley MacLaine when, when uh, Gwen Verdon broke her ankle, right. you know. So that, I, that started me. But I did a lot of other shows, and Burns and Allen. And I, was not the, I wasn't the major uh, gal on Father Knows Best, but I was always the, the girlfriend of the girl, you know, that sort of stuff. So it was a wonderful career. I, I said to so many of the people who are darling enough to invite us here, and we just love being with you, and they're all so professional and wonderful. But, uh, you know, it was a wonderful, it was an era that you just knew you were walking around in, in, in clover, you know? You knew it was, you'd do it for free almost. If you could have afforded mm -hmm. it, you'd, because the people were wonderful, it was like a family, met some of the most interesting people. So I've been very fortunate. Thank you. Well, we've been lucky to have you, too, I'll tell you that. Well, now, Willard, you had, uh, you had broadcasts in Chicago on... A variety of stations. You weren't under contract, were you, to any single well, network it, or station? It, at the first, I was under contract to NBC, mm -hmm. and then I uh, I broke that contract because I wasn't getting on the shows that I wanted to get on, and uh, then I began freelancing all over mm -hmm. Chicago, and I I think I did all of the soap operas at one time or another. I had uh, Backstage Wife and a number of them I had regular parts in Road of Life. Then uh, 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 a lot of the Erna Phillips shows mm -hmm. that uh, I, I did. Ma Perkins? At, oh, yes. A couple of Ma Perkins. Woman in White? Woman in White and uh, uh, Barry Marlin. All of, the, all of the soap operas. And um, as I say, the, the kid shows, uh, particularly uh, in, in Tom Mix, I did a character called Diamonds, who was the villain of the piece every other week. And uh, I was the, 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 the villain on those shows. And then when I wasn't doing that, I was playing Longbow Billy, who was a good friend of Tom's. <laughs> and uh, I, I played him with a saddle, sort of. I don't know how you, how you play with a saddle. I don't either. I, I, I found a way. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and uh, a lot of the, the first night at Grand Hotel, Fifth Row Center, and as you say, the, uh, the one on Chicago the mutual, Theater. Chicago Theater of the Air. And, uh, I, I, at one time, I was busy every day from about 7 o'clock in the morning until 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And uh, I always say I did 40 shows a week. My wife objects to that. She doesn't think I worked that hard. <laughs> but uh, I did a lot of shows every week. Well, you were, you were on various stations. And doing that many shows in a week, you must have had, uh, if not a total conflict, at least a back-to-back a, a -back situation. That must have been kind of tough for you. At one time, this uh, was a complete surprise and difficulty. I was on three networks in 45 minutes. Wow. I did a show at uh, Bastard Children at CBS. And uh, I 
who also was in a show at uh, Mutual, across the street at WGN, uh, Painted Dreams. And uh, uh, then I did a part in a show at NBC called Thunder in the Air. And uh, somehow uh, they forgot to call me for the show in the middle. And uh, I found that I was in that. And so I had to do Bachelor of Children in the Wrigley Building on CBS, run across the street to WGN Mutual and do Painted Dreams. And then I had a cab waiting for me down uh, below the below the, the Tribune Tower. And I jumped in that cab and went across Kinsey Street to NBC. And the show was set up where I was in the first three pages. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> but fortunately, the scenes were the same time. So they switched the three pages to the end. To the end. And I made the show at, at NBC. <laughs> But I was beating that cab driver over the head. You were lucky the bridge wasn't up. <laughs> that you learn very early in Chicago. That's right. <laughs> Don't go that way. <laughs> go across Kinsey Street, there's no bridge. Yeah. But didn't the Chicago actors use that as an excuse sometimes oh, yes. if they were late for a broadcast? Well, oh, the bridge was up. The bridge know? was up, yeah, that was, that was the, uh, in fact, uh, uh, Director of on uh, Bob Perkins, uh, what the hell? Uh, he had a group, and when we were out in, in LA, in Hollywood, had a group that uh, met him at this restaurant on, on uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Oh, you're talking about George Fogel? George, yeah, George Fogel, Fogel yeah. Right. yeah. And we call it the Bridges Up Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we. Got together about every once every week. <laughs> Shirley, you um, you did a uh, southern role on that first nighter broadcast, didn't you? One of that early broadcast. I think so. Yes, yeah. that's that I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wasn't that the the first of a long line of southern bells that you brought to the radio waves? That was the first one, and, and that woman was not specifically southern. Joe made her southern because mm. he liked my accent. Um, no, because then I went on the Ransom Sherman show. Uh, Ransom had replaced, was a summer replacement for Fibber. Mm -hmm. And I did a totally different, I did something called Mrs. Valseat, who had a really terrible voice. Talk like that all the time. But then when I got on Gildersleeve, after it had been on a few years, uh, that was a one shot. They had no idea that it was going to work that way. And they too liked my Southern, so... That is true. That was responsible for Leela. Well, I don't think anybody <coughs> could not want to have someone on the Gildersleeve program who could say Throckmorton like <laughs> Leela Ransom. I mean, Throckmorton is three syllables, right? That's but right. But you got so much out of that. I, I don't know. Should we? We ought to wait for Let's the recreation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll wait. <laughs> Mary Lee, you said you, you were uh, uh, kind of background p 
people in, in, a, in a Gildersleeve, at a Gildersleeve broadcast, and they brought you on for that. What happened? You had replaced eventually uh, uh, Louise Ruth. Erickson. Right. But what happened to Louise? I mean, she was gone for one day. I mean, it was well, she was gone up the until the very uh, just before the show started. We were, um, I, you know, here I am with this illustrious, you know, wonderful cast and Walter and you know, God yeah. Love and so he and, he and Una was on it after you had gotten married. Yeah. Una Merkel was playing uh, one of the characters, and so they kind of propped me up. I, I said to him, I said, look. I, the band is all there, the very best musicians, tops, all waiting to do this. And it just so happened that I, she was going to New York, I think, to go in a play. And she was rehearsing a show somewhere, and, and I don't know whether the time got past her, her mother should have called, one of those things. So I said, well, do you want me to read it? You know, let me read it so you can time it. I, you know, just bravely walked up and said, I'll do it and she'll be here in a minute. Well, we went, you know, we got good through it and did it. And then I took her, I took her cuts, as we did in those days when they showed. All of a sudden, uh, they said, well, you're going to have to do it. And uh, I, you know, then I went, oh, what have I done? <laughs> but anyway, so fortunately, just as we were standing in the wing, you know, down where we came in, and she came. So it was very fortunate, and she got to do it. And I was really quite happy that she did, but then I eventually, she was going on to New York, and I, and uh, so then I got to do it, started in September. So, well, that, so you didn't actually do it that day? No, I didn't do it that day. No, that was, that was just... Well, that had to be one of the great disappointments of your life. No, it wasn't. No? Truly, it wasn't. I was not prepared <laughs> for it mentally. You know how it's just, I mean, that, the, the old thing about show business, run in and, you know, save the show. I suppose I could have, but I was just as happy that I started in September. Yeah, but what happened was she did a marvelous audition, apparently, and they heard her and realized mm -hmm. she could... That was the, the that was the whole thing. Yeah. I got to audition with the full orchestra, all the stars, which you never get to do. So it was wonderful. It was a great opportunity. It was lots of fun. Well, you when you started uh, on the Gildersleeve show, it was about forty-eight, wasn't it? I guess that's right. You uh, you were working with uh, Harold Perry. Harold Perry in mm -hmm. the role, and he stayed on it until the end of the nineteen forty-nine fifty season. Yeah. And then yeah. you came in yeah. uh, fifty and stayed. Another nine years, I yeah, think. Yeah, right. he played it from 1941 to 1950. I did it from 50 to 59. Now, everybody wants to know why he left. We, well, don't want, we, we know that you came in and did a tremendous job, but we want to know why he left. Well, it, it's, uh, there have been a lot of stories about it, <clears throat> but I know the, the actual fact. Uh, when, in the, in the season of uh, 19... Going into 1950, CBS raided NBC. Remember, Benny went over there, Phil Harris. That's right. A lot of the shows went over to NBC. Hal's agent, thinking they were going to spring a surprise, sold him to a contract at CBS. And as I say, all these shows went over there. But when it came time, that fall, for Gildersleeve to go, Kraft did not want to go. So then it became a question of recasting. <coughs> and uh, Hal, uh, one of those fortunate things for me was Hal and I were both under contract to NBC earlier, much earlier. And when we'd go on the same show, he would say to me or I would say to him, you want to go high and I'll go low? Or you do a dialect that I won't, so we wouldn't sound alike. Because we had a, a, 
a great similarity of voice of mine was a little heavier than Hal's was, but uh, the voices sound a lot alike. And uh, so when they, it came time that Hal was under contract to NBC and the show was going to stay on NBC, uh, Frank Pittman, who was the director, called me and said, I had already been on, on uh, the show a couple of times when I was in Hollywood. And he called me and said, Willard, I don't worry about your acting particularly, but uh, the, act, the writers and myself would like to have you come in and read for us. And we'll make up our minds whether we want to go with a sound-alike or whether we want a completely different character. And I uh, was willing to go in very easily, but uh, it was a good thing for me, too, because I couldn't be sure whether I wanted to step into a character like that. It might be a way of ruining my career. And so uh, I went in and read, and uh, Andy and John and, and Paul, the writers of the show, wrote the show so well. The show was so well written. Mm. The show was just Gildersleeve. That's all there was to it. And I played the character, and I didn't have to worry about any uh, watching any uh, similarity uh, or copying anything. I just played the character, and it worked out beautifully for me. It certainly did. It worked out for everybody who liked That's the Yoda's right. program, you know. And very few people mm -hmm. realized that there had been a change. They were mm -hmm. so alike. He just fell into the character. You got, you got top billing on the show, Willard Waterman as the great Gilded yeah, Sleeve, yeah. or it used to be Hal Perry as the great Gilded right. Sleeve. I don't think people Sometimes were as people aware they then, because we came in, remember we all, Walter and I came down and we auditioned too with you, and, yeah. and it was such fun, we were, you know, it just felt so easy, Yeah. I'd never worked with him before, but it was just so easy and wonderful, and we just zipped right on, and I, we, as you say, we've got very, very few letters there, I don't think. No, I don't think it was right. And Hal was doing a show on CBS, but he couldn't use the title of Greg Gildersleeve. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was the I Hal was, Perry show. Honest Harold. Honest Harold, right. And it uh, just never... Unfortunately for it. Hal, and I, I say this, Hal was a very fine actor. Yes. Mm -hmm. And a very good friend. Mm -hmm. We were very friendly together. Uh, and it was unfortunate for Hal that they didn't use one of his other characters. That's right. He had many characters that he could do and build a show around that uh, instead of trying to make a... Uh, Water commissioner or whatever, yeah, the, something a, like uh, that. A, a killer sleeve mm -hmm. show out of it. And they did it. They tried. They had a character like Hooker and... Mm -hmm. and uh, tried a, to do primarily kid. the same uh -huh. thing. It just and never they worked. just didn't have, unfortunately, the... the Walter Tetley, for one, who was impossible to imitate. In fact, it was one of the bad things when we started to do the television series that we couldn't use Walter because nobody played no. Leroy like Walter. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it was always Judge Hooker, uh, Earl Ross, uh, and uh, LeGrand, uh, who did Peavy. Dick LeGrand, who did Peavy. And these were characters that were so well-established and the people knew them so well that uh, they missed them. And I, I think Hal would have been 
much better off if they used one of his other characters mm -hmm. and build a show around that. He probably would have been much better off if he had gotten rid of that agent. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, to, to send him, you know, yeah. for the agent to sign him to CBS without really realizing, thinking that the show could move to CBS. And Kraft, I think, had a long history of loyalty to NBC. Oh, they did. I mean, it yeah. goes back, way yeah. back, see? Well, so that was unfortunate Kraft for him. Kraft just didn't want to move. And they, they wouldn't release the title, and that's yeah. what killed him. Yeah. Yeah. But the people who were on, the, the, the general cast with a few changes along the line, basically it was established and stayed with that show for almost the whole run of the show. I mean, yeah. you had mm -hmm. Lillian Randolph oh, yes. as Bertie right. and Walter Tetley as Leroy and, and, and so many of the others. Uh, they, just, they just stayed there. And in fact, uh, your character, Mary Lee, was the one that had, I mean, uh, Lorene Tuttle started out started as Started out, right. Yeah. And then Louise and then yourself, and that was it for the run. And yours was just, you know, Hal Perry and yourself. Yeah. And others, now, Leela, you were always, whenever there was Leela on the show, it was you. Leela, right. There were other actresses when right. you weren't available or weren't right. part weren't of it right. who took on the role of a different girlfriend of, yeah. of Gilda, Eve yeah. Goodwin uh, yes. and Catherine. Uh, but there was no other Leela. <laughs> no, no, that's right. Leela. There's never been another show. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> now, what did you had? You, you, you came in and, and took over that role and uh, did an outstanding job, and most of the audience didn't realize that. But if you listen closely, there were some subtle differences between you and, uh, and Hal. And one not-so-subtle difference, I guess, was the laugh that he had used for so many years on that show. Well, it was his laugh. Mm -hmm. And I knew that, and I, and I realized it, and so I didn't use it. Nobody remembers that I didn't use it because a lot of people have said, oh, you're killed or sleep, let me hear you laugh. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I have to steer away from that some way or another and, and explain that, that it was his laugh and I just didn't want to use it. Mm -hmm. So I laughed, but I didn't do the, the Gildersleeve laugh, was the hee mm hee. -hmm. I, I can't even do it now. It's <laughs> <laughs> in his repertoire. <laughs> but uh, uh, I just didn't want to do that. Uh, it was, that was more of an imitation that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And you did it more like a, <laughs> that kind of a... Yeah, I did a... Yeah. <laughs> I did a lot of the, the uh, break in the voice, which was part of his character, mm -hmm. too. The... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve was a water commissioner. Occasionally he'd run for mayor or something like that, but he was always the water commissioner. Yeah. Leela was the uh, southern widow who lived nearby, next door, real close by. And, uh, and Leroy was the young nephew and all these other people. Uh, none of them really got any older in this 18 no. years no. of the show, <laughs> except Marjorie. That's in incredible. I mean, you know, Marjorie grew up and got older while her little brother Leroy... Stayed the same. <laughs> Stayed, stayed the same. That's right. And it, 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 it was very interesting. It was not an awkward uh, device. It did not fail to work. And uh, you got married on the show, and you had twins, tw twins, twins. on the show. Had the uh, famous Name the Twins contest. One of the great contests, I guess, for Kraft. Oh, yeah. You know, 
Well, now tell us about the, the Mary, uh, uh, Mary Lee. Tell us about Marjorie's marriage to Bronco, right? Well, it was, um, it was most interesting. It was, there was an article. I, I, and they did a Look Magazine thing on us. And we were, somebody asked me today, did, they, did you dress up for the show? We really did. I, it was like, mm -hmm. sure. We all dressed and wore, you know, tried to look as great as we could because the audience was wonderful and, and we're all here together, you know? So uh, when they did the wedding, uh, they, there was a little Episcopal church over in Hollywood and uh, they did the whole thing from there and um, photographed it, me in the wedding dress, all of the, so I have those pictures sometimes. I'll, send him back but it was really kind of fun and the and it seemed to go Dick Crenna I always have to give credit to Dick Crenna because he is one of the most wonderful actors was one of the most was the probably the most successful juvenile he played with me played with Louise he played uh, Walter Denton on uh, Armist Brooks um, Real McCoy Real McCoy Walter Brennan and this, uh, this kid did not know what it was like to sit still. I mean, he just was, and he could do anything. And now, of course, you know him. He's on all those um, Rambo, you know, he did all that stuff. Richard Crenna plays the wonderful detective. He's really grown up and was grown up in it. It was a great, uh, great thing. And he was my husband. And uh, Gil Stratton, uh, another very nice young man, was on it. He also is a sports announcer, was in California. Uh -huh. He played on it with us, and I've forgotten who else. But basically, it was mostly Dick. It was my, and now be the character that we're doing. Sorry, character we're doing today um, was not around. I was not around for that one. That's this is one of the part of it is or at least is the earlier one. So it's really great fun for me to. It's kind of new waters, you know, to, to hear this one. So, well, when what what kind of response did you get uh, from the audience, the listening audience, to the the wedding, to the marriage? I mean, did did they send? Did they? Did anybody in the in the, the the listening audience in the USA send you a wedding card, or did they send you no, a wedding gift I, or anything I, I like that? No, I I think that we had a very discerning audience. You know, I mean, I don't think they they were part of. I mean, they knew that we were characters, and that uh, that it was not you know one of those things. I, I I don't think so. Maybe they got something on the babies. I really didn't didn't get involved in it. But I don't. We never. We got lots of nice letters, lots of letters, but. In fact, I got pregnant when I married when I was on the show, and I told one of the gals I wore a maternity dress on it, which was quite, you know, new in those days. Poor Lucy, you know, when she, but that was television. But I, uh, my daughter was born in July. We went off in, in May and then came back on it again in, uh, mm -hmm. in September, so never missed a beat. Yeah. Well, the, the, were you you were playing an unmarried Marjorie at the time you were expecting? I can't remember right now. You don't. You, see, this is this is you get us on the spot. I mean, you, you have you all have such knowledge. You know, it's kind of long ago. You know? We were immediately involved in the name the twin contest. Yeah, remember Willard? Mm -hmm. That was a big contest. That was a big oh, contest. Yeah, yeah. yeah big. And. They didn't know that you were expect that Marjorie and Bronco were expecting twins, right? No, they were expecting I guess a baby, not. Yeah. and the the baby was going to come, and then all of a sudden, boom! It was twins, and that just started this whole name the twins contest. Yeah. Can you name the twins? <laughs> Do you remember that? I, I thought I gave you that. <laughs> <laughs> no. She brought a nice little packet of goodies of uh, magazines and press and things like that. And but I put that aside and bring it up here with me. <laughs> we, we, I think we played that, didn't we, once? 
We played the twins sequence. Oh, uh, yeah. Out, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, what kind of... Uh, everyone asked me about Walter Tetley, and I'm sure everyone asked you about Walter Tetley. I mean, this man had such tremendous timing mm. and oh, no. uh, impeccable delivery, but we don't know much about him. No, nobody what, does. What can you tell us? Well, uh, this is a, a very difficult yeah. situation to talk about, really, except that it, it's such a, a born his bonnet, really. He was a tremendously agile and, and talented actor. Uh, he was, uh, my wife doesn't like it when I say this, he was one of the little people. He was 64 or 5. And well, he was not a little, little. That's what was so interesting. Yeah. He looked like a 17-year-old kid, didn't he? Yeah. And, but, yeah. He, he, uh, but he had a problem. He had no beard. No. Ever. And uh, uh, his voice, of course, really did never change. And uh, what he could do with the line was... Incredible. Wonderful. Just great. And a loving, Brilliant. loving person. I mean, he was... Oh, yeah. He was, I'm an only child, so he was my brother, you know. He was so good to me, and I just adored him. And Everybody. he was wonderful to his mother and his family yeah. and, and took such care... We used to have, a barn, have barn dances out in his barn in Encino. We'd all go out and do, he'd be the caller, you know. He was just a, just a honey. Very unusual man. But you never really thought of him as a man, did you, Bill? We always kind of he thought of him as Leroy. 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 No question about Leroy. He was there. there Bouncing around, you know, full of pep and vinegar. And well, he, he died uh, in the died 70s early. sometime, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. And if you said he was about 65 when he, he died in the 70s? Or four, and he looked yeah. 17. So he yeah. was 35 or 40 years old or so when yeah. he was doing the, uh, the Gildersleeve broadcast. That's right. He looked uh, 17 and yet... Mm -hmm. um, he got really close. He wasn't... Uh, he didn't look young enough to play it in the, the television. In the films, series. no, because it, he looked... Mm -hmm. There was just a, almost a strange quality. If any of you remember, you know, Walter really started on Fred Allen. Yeah. Yeah. And he was a genius on that. He was this nasty little kid, remember? And, and let's pretend. And let's pretend, so... Yeah. Well, we can't avoid mentioning the fact that he did a tremendous job on the Phil Harris Alice Phil Harris. Oh, yeah. he was right? just yeah. fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. And well, when he started great. dating, you know, he started dating later on. Do you remember a little bit? <clears throat> and uh, it was... Uh, because he never shaved and he was rather wrinkled, there was just something, you know... A little off-center about it. But he was the best-hearted, dearest, kindest, funniest man. And we all just... And we all really thought of him as a kid. Oh, yeah. Didn't we? My brother yeah. And I'm sure he was older than I. You mm -hmm. never Without felt, realizing uh, it. Never realized his age. No. No. Well, you worked with Lillian Randolph, who was Birdie. Yes. And uh, she was really Birdie through that whole run of that show, wasn't she? Yeah. Oh, yes. And she was, in a way... The, fact, she did the, the uh, television series uh, with us. Mm -hmm. Well, she was, in a way, the mother figure on that program. Uh -huh. If you sure. were the father figure, she Gildy was. was. She kept everything, including Gildy, in uh, proper order, I think. Yeah. yeah. It was so great. 
We used to go in your dressing room. You'd, you'd all sit in your dressing room. And, no, it really, people, you hear that so bandied about that it was a family show. It really was. I mean, I think, I, I was saying I heard Be Betty White was working on, uh, with Bob Newhart, and she said it's like a family, and I thought, aha, uh -huh, I know that feeling, you yeah. know? It was not, I mean, everybody was very caring about each other. It was a nice time, you know, there was, it was lovely, and she was uh, great. Funny, funny, mm -hmm. we, great we were a family back bike, you should say. But the thing about radio in those days was it was a family uh, show, a family mm -hmm. deal. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, people would gather together as a family on Wednesday and listen to us. On Sunday it was uh, Benny. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Tuesday was Fibber and Molly. And uh, the family just seemed to gathered together, turn on the radio, and listen as a family to all those shows, one every night at least. And uh, that's why the whole radio situation is a family-oriented thing. And me. all of you here, this is a family. That's right. You know, the people who are still attached to it. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> well, we know, we're so glad that you folks came to Chicago for this special event. And I know you did not come alone. You came with your spice, or spouses. <laughs> and uh, uh, Mary Lee's husband, Bill Klein, is with us today. I want you to stand up, Bill, and take a bow. Bill Klein. And uh, Willard Waterman's bride of 56 years is here. Mariana, why don't you stand up and take a bow? And Shirley Mitchell's husband, uh, Jay Livingston, is uh, back here. Jay, why don't you stand up and take a bow? Now, I'm, I know he's not, he's not ready for this, but... Uh, in the, in the script that we have today, there's a little musical scene, and I, uh, Mary Lee said, or rather, uh, Shirley said that you play the piano a little bit. Is that right? Yes, yeah, somewhat. Do you, do you think we could get you, if not to play the, the, the piano in the script, would you play a little musical interlude? We're going to have to change the stage and all of that sort of thing. Sure, could you do that? Yeah. Okay, come on down. Come on down. Get a couple of airline tickets. We try to take advantage of everything that we can. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you stay right here? Yeah. Now, do you um, you know anything? Yeah, I know a few songs. I'll you know, you know a few songs? Yeah. Okay. okay this is uh, this is Jay Mitchell. I'm a Jay uh, Jay Livingston. Where have I heard that name before? <clears throat> My partner Ray Evans and I were hired for Paramount Pictures to write songs for the shorts. No, the big writers didn't want to write those things, so they got us young guys to do it. And one day, the first six months, picture came along called To Each His Own. Now they said, can you write a title song called To Each His Own? Because Victor Young refused to write it to the music score. He was supposed to write it. Nobody ever heard that expression before. This song put it into the language. We would have written Come to Jesus and He Fled, they never asked us to. 
So we wrote to each his own, and number one song of the year and started our whole career and went like this. A rose must remain with the sun and the rain Or its lovely promise won't come true To each his own, to each his own And my own is you Two lips must insist On two more to be kissed Or they'll never know what love can do To each his own, I found my own Now, a little later on, they asked us to write a Christmas song for Bob Hope. Now, I did not want to write a Christmas song. Neither of us did. Because uh, Christmas songs every year are always the old song. They don't do any new ones. No new, new ones never step out. They do Silent Night and White Christmas. We said we didn't want to write a Christmas song. But they were adamant. They're always adamant. We had to write a Christmas song. So we wrote a song called Tinkle Bell, about the tinkly bells you hear at Christmas from the Santa Claus and the Salvation Army. I figured that's going to be in the picture. You'll never hear it. You're going to be in the picture, and that's the end of it. When I went home that night, my wife said, what you doing in school today or something like that? I said, we wrote a song called Tinkle Bell. She said, you wrote a song called Tinkle Bell? I said, are you out of your mind? I said, wait, wives can talk sometimes. Do you know what the word tinkle means to most people? <laughs> never occurred to us. And I realized, that's the word the women use all the time. So... I went in the studio that day and I said, we can't use that song. It's a bathroom connotation. It's not going to work. <laughs> we threw it away. Started to write a new one. We kept coming back to Tinkle Bell. It had nice words, had nice music, and we ended up with Tinkle Bell just like we first wrote it. Every word, every note, except we took the word Tinkle out. And this song, which we didn't want to write, has sold 150 million records. Silver bells, silver bells. Hear them ring, soon it will be Christmas Day. City sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile. And on every street corner you hear silver bells, tinkle bells. Soon it will be Christmas Day. <laughs> there were a couple of TV themes you've probably heard. They were a very big show. They went like this. We got a right to fight a little fight bonanza. If anyone fights any one of us, he's got to fight with me. We're not a one to settle up and run bonanza. Any one of us who starts a little fuss knows he can count on me. And this one. A horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is a famous Mr. Red. You never heard of a talking horse. Well, listen to this. I am Mr. Red. The producers of that show were too cheap to hire a professional singer, so you've just heard the actual singing voice of Mr. Red, because I had to do it. <laughs> we wrote a lot of title songs. The studios love title songs. Every time the song was sung on the air, it plugged the title of the movie. You've heard 
to each his own. We had one called Golden Earrings, was a big title song hit. And, of course, Mr. Ed and Bonanza. We had some crazy titles to write, but we had to do them. That was the order from the front office. We wrote a song called When Worlds Collide, if you can believe it or not. It went, when worlds collide and mountains tumble, I'll stop loving you. And that's how you do it. <laughs> they asked us to write a song called Vertigo for a big picture. Well, we said we can't write a song called Vertigo. It's stupid. But uh, Alfred Hitchcock was the director, and he called us in. He said, gentlemen, he said, uh, the studio thinks that nobody knows what the word vertigo means. So if you'll write a song for me and tell what the word vertigo means in the title, in the lyric, help us very much. So he was so charming, and the money was good. So we said, okay, we'll write vertigo. Now we go to make a demonstration record. This fellow had sung it about six times by now, just to see if we'd done our job. I said, do you know what the word vertigo means? He said, it's an island in the West Indies, isn't it? So it's as far away we were. One we wrote that nobody else we could ever write was the Mole People, M-O-L-E. Shows you can write anything if you have to. And the Mole, and the mole People went like this. One day an archaeologist was digging underground. And he dug through stone And he dug clear down to the great unknown And what do you suppose he found? Running all around The mole people They live in a hole, people Deep down in the earth They dug a busy world of their own Listen, you'll hear them Jump, or did you jump, or did you jump, or did you jump, or did you jump, 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 jump Under Boston class, they're a better Under Boston mass, they're a better class They have that Harvard draw what a mess at a Bronx address. The subway train came through the wall. Mole people, they live in a hole, people. They're under Mount Everest and the Okie Pinocchio swamp. They have to dig and hack to China and back so they'll have room to romp. So they chomp, and they chomp, and they chomp, and they chomp, and they chomp, 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 chomp. And that's the mole people. My favorite song, one you might not know, but all our songs have very simple chords, like three or four chords in them. And this one, the world of jazz is taken to their hearts, and I'm very proud of it. It changes chords every bar. I'm going to sing it for you now. Never let me go. Love me much too much. If you let me go, life would lose its touch. What would I be without you? There's no place for me without you. Never let me go. I'd be so lost if you went away. There'd be a thousand hours in the day without you, I know. Because of one caress, my world was overturned. At the very start, all my bridges burned. By my flaming heart You wouldn't leave me, would you? You couldn't hurt me, could you? Never let me go Never let me go
a song for Debbie Reynolds. It was nominated for an Academy Award. It didn't win. I hear the cottonwoods whispering above Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love. The old booty owl, booty blues to the dove. Tammy, Tammy, Tammy's in love. Wrote a song for Sophia Moran, which is a nice job for a houseboat. You're near. Nominated for the Academy Award, I've got to tell you. It didn't win either. You're near. That woman's here. I'm almost in your arms Tonight the moon is right I'm almost in your arms This song, not only for Academy Award also, written with Henry Mancini, didn't win either. Dear heart, wish you were here to warm this night My dear heart, seems like a year since you've been out of my sight wrote this song for Bob Hope, nominated for the Academy Award again. It won. <laughs> we almost didn't get to write it. Uh, we had to write a song for Bob Hope to sing to Jane Russell in the back of a covered wagon, and they wanted to take the wrong trail, so the writers said, why don't they sing a little song? That's always their answer. And he gets uh, so caught up in the song, he takes the wrong trail and leads all his wagons into an Indian ambush. And that's what we had to do. We wrote a song called Skookum. Some real Indian word that means okay. Went to the director and we said, we got your song, Mr. McLeod. Norman McLeod was his name. And I did Skookum. Betcha me, getcha you, like the Indian said. I'd be your big chief mate. Then life's gonna be Skookum. Skookum mean you great. Give a hoop, give a hoop, like Geronimo did. And hug me like you should. Then life's gonna be Skookum. Skookum mean the director said, no way am I going to use that song. <laughs> Shook us up pretty good. He said, this is a very serious scene with the Indians. There's, there's, an, there's an ambush coming up. Uh, what? Nobody's going to... I, we said, nobody's going to worry about Bob Hope getting shot. He said, you're taking all the dramatic content out of this scene. I can't have a comedy song about the Indians. They're a menace. We were very unhappy. We went back to our office and wrote this song, which won our first Academy Award. East is east and west is west and the wrong one I have chosen. Let's go where you keep on wearing those frills and flowers and buttons and bows, rings and things and buttons and bows. Don't bury me on this prairie, take me where the cement grows. Let's move down to some big town where they love a girl by the color of her clothes. And you stand out in buttons and bows. And skirts if you've homespun But I'll love you longer, stronger Or your friends don't toad a gun My bones denounce the buckboard bounce And the cactus hurts my toes Let's vamoose where gals keep using Those silks and satins and linen that shows And you're all mine in buttons and bows Give me eastern trimming where women are women In eye silk hose and peekaboo clothes And French perfume that rocks the room And you're all mine in buttons and bows. This song was made famous by Nat Cole and it won us another Oscar. It went like this. 
Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa Minute Ranger. You're so like the lady with the mystic smile. Is it only because you're lonely they have played? Well, then Mona Lisa strangeness in your smile. Do you smile to tempt a lover, Mona Lisa? Or is this your way to hide a broken heart? Many dreams have been brought to your doorstep. They just lie there. And they die there Are you warm? Are you real, Mona Lisa? Or just a cold and lonely Lovely work of art We wrote this song for Doris Day On another Oscar, our third Oscar Went like this When I was just a little boy I asked my mother She said to me, Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. When I grew up and fell in love, I asked my sweetheart, what lies ahead? Will we have rainbows day after day? Here's what my sweetheart said. You ain't nothing but a hound, no, this is what she said. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Okay, sirrah, sirrah. Oh, how I love those radio days when all those shows were our beck and call. You didn't need pictures to show you the way. You just imagined it all. Case of Ozzera. Ray Livingston, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we're going to tune into the great Gildersleeve now. And I want you to meet the cast. You met, of course, the three stars of our Gildersleeve broadcast. But I want you to meet the cast. The cast is made up of members of our Those Were the Days radio players. We have a half a dozen organizations all across the, uh, the city and each of those groups uh, perform radio scripts, recreations, in front of civic groups and uh, historic groups and uh, senior groups and so forth all around. And on, one, on the second Sunday of every month, one of those groups performs right here in the radio studio uh, theater downstairs uh, on a second Sunday of every month. So we sent out a casting call to all of the members of all of these various groups and said, we're going to do a Gildersleeve recreation with Willard Waterman and Mary Lee Robb and Shirley Mitchell. Is there anybody who wants to be part of this? Well, the, they all stood up. We have a lot of talented people doing these recreations, and we had a difficult time, but we did select 
uh, a group to perform with our stars this afternoon. Before I introduce our cast, I want you to meet a young man who has taken on the responsibility of being the coordinator for our Those Were the Days radio players. He started a, uh, a script reading and performing group when he was at the University of Illinois as a student, as a graduate student, and uh, he has carried that interest forward, and he is our coordinator, and he does an awful lot to keep all of our temperamental performers happy. And uh, he does a lot of uh, good work to keep us going with all of this stuff. I'd like Tom Turpic to stand up. He's way in the last row over there. Tom, take a bow. And thank you for all your help. In the role of uh, Leroy in our broadcast today, we have Carl Hughes. Carl, come on up. Now, Carol, you're a member of which of our Those Were the Days groups? Um, the Northwestern. Northwest Suburban Group? Yeah. Okay, and uh, where do you go to school? St. Andrews, Park Ridge. St. Andrews, Park Ridge, and how old are you? Twelve. Twelve years old. You see, there's a new generation for old-time radio, right? <laughs> I assume you've been listening to some of our broadcasts for a while. Yeah. You have a favorite? Um, I like Fair McGee and Mally Lack. He's got a role in the Great Gildersleeve. Well, I'm also in the Great Gildersleeve. Okay, Carl, have a seat. Thank you. And uh, in the role of uh, Bertie Lee Coggins, we have Barbara Dalcamper. Barbara? <laughs> Barb, you're a member of which of our groups? The South Side. South Side, come a yes. little bit. And. Uh, what do you do in real life? In real life, I try to teach. <laughs> and where do you try? I try at Conradi Junior High School, which I love. Okay, well, I'm sure they love you, too. Have a seat, Thank we'll you. see you on the stage, on the radio. In the role of the druggist, Mr. Peavy, is Jim Linden, James Linden. Hi, Jim. How are you? You come from the... Uh, south. Uh, south group? Also. Yes, indeed. Okay, Barbara and, and uh, what do you do for a living? I uh, teach English and rhetoric. And where do you teach? Hinsdale Central High School. Hinsdale Central. Okay, we're looking forward to hearing Mr. Peavy today. <laughs> Judge Hooker is coming up now. It's Fritz, Mi Fritz Michaelis. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Fritz. And which uh, Those Were the Days Radio Players group are you with? Radio Players West. Radio West, okay. Oh, I got a cheering section here, okay. And, um, and what do you do for a I'm living? I'm also a teacher. I teach art and photography, Elk Grove High School, Elk Grove Village, Illinois. It'll be a dollar and a quarter. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's cheap. You'll hear, you'll hear Mr. Peavy. I mean, uh, Judge Hooker. In the role of the um, superintendent, no, not the superintendent, the guy in charge of the waterworks is uh, Charlie Anderson, and it's Charles Beavis. <laughs> Hi, Charlie. Hi. Which group are you with? I'm uh, with the Norwich group. The Norwich group, and what do you do? Uh, I am a transmission engineer for uh, AT&T. Oh, I need to talk to you a little bit about it. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's AT&T, not Ameritech. Okay. No. <laughs> uh, you've, you've been involved with the uh, radio players for a little while now, haven't you? Yeah, about a year and a half. And which uh, uh, characters have you played in the past? Oh, I played Rochester. I played Phil Harris. 
and I've played on the Whistler a few uh, minor parts, and uh, that's about all I can think okay, of. Well, we're glad to have you with us today. Yeah. Have a seat. <laughs> In our script today, Marjorie's boyfriend, Ben, this is BB, this is before Bronco, played by Norb Wiseman. Norb? Norb was in the, um, the uh, special Christmas broadcast that we did uh, last year, and uh, on the day of the, the taping of that show, he came down with the worst uh, uh, case of laryngitis and a very, very bad cold, and he was really in bad shape, but he stayed with us, and he, uh, he did a great job with that. Yeah, my wife brought home a cold this week, too. Oh, well, I hope, <laughs> I hope you're okay today. I'm fine, Chuck. Thank you very much. <laughs> Norb, what do you do? Uh, I do the same thing you do. I'm retired. <laughs> no, no. No, I'm just tired, that's all. Uh, nothing, I'm retired. Okay, great, great. <laughs> and which organization of ours Northwest Suburban. Okay, have a seat and we'll Thank enjoy you. Norb Wiseman. Gildy's uh, new secretary, little inexperienced secretary, is Bessie, and she's played by Deborah Pining. Deborah? Right here, Deb. How are you today? Just fine. Okay, you've been doing a lot of work with our radio players, haven't you? That's very true. Uh, you're with which group? The uh, Radio Players West. West, okay. And. Uh, the cheering section is down in front. <laughs> what do you do, Deb? I work for a large, well-known federal agency. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting deja vu. We went through this once, didn't we? You I might as well we tell did. us. Internal Revenue Service. <laughs> well, we enjoyed your participation in our performance. You can take a seat. <laughs> You've done a few other things for us. We want you to have a seat right here. If we can find a spot for you here. The Ken Carpenter role, Ken Carpenter role today, is played by uh, our announcer, of course, and that's Al Barbaro. Al? You know, you know, I just saw he looks a little more like H.V. Kaltenborn. <laughs> I feel like him, too. Al, and you're from the... Radio West. Radio West also, okay. And what do you do? Uh, retired from the Navy, uh, working in the graphic arts industry, and I teach skiing. Oh, sometimes. okay. All right. Well, today you're going to teach us a thing or two about announcing, right? Cheese. Okay. Cheese. Okay. <laughs> Have a seat. Thank you very much. Since, uh, since today we, we could get Mr. Livingston to uh, really participate in our broadcast, we went one step better and we got uh, a member of one of our Those Were the Days radio player groups, Gloria Gonnigan, who's going to play our piano in the sketch today. Hi, Gloria. Hello, Chuck. You have been um, a member of which group now? I'm in the West group. Another West group. <laughs> And you have, uh, you have an interesting career. You do a lot of performing, don't you? Yes, I perform for uh, clubs, organizations, anybody will pay me. Uh, my own songs that I've written, both words and lyrics. I have a Christmas show and a brand new one called Music, the Glue of World War II. It held us all together. <laughs> well, we may need a little of that glue before the uh, afternoon is out. Thanks very much. Take your place at the Steinway.
When you do a production like this, you need some sound effects people, and we have uh, three people who are working very, and have worked very diligently on sound uh, effects and music cues and all of that sort of thing. First, we have Phil Wild. Phil, come on over, take a bow. <laughs> Phil, you're with? The West Group. There's the another West group here? <laughs> no. Come over. See, sound guys never stay up close to the mic. <laughs> And what do you do in, uh, for a living? I work for Maritech. Um, oh, you were just changed all your clothes and your right. names and everything else? Yeah, I had else, to change right? all the little patches and everything. <laughs> and I changed the uh, plug from the left to the right shoe. Oh, you're all set. <laughs> right, okay. I'm all set now. Your spot is over there. Right. You have a seat over there. Thank and you. We'll look forward to hearing your efforts today. Other uh, sound people, we have uh, Steve Dilley. Where's Steve? Come on, Steve. <laughs> Steve, you're with the which group? Northwest Suburban. Northwest Suburban. And uh, what do you do? Uh, mechanical engineer for Indec Energy Services and Buffalo Grove. Okay. And how did you get involved in that? You've done sound, but you've also done some uh, acting too, haven't you? Yes. What have you acted in with our groups? Um, played Henry Aldrich, and I've done quite a few different bit parts. Okay. Well, you have an important part today, sound. Yes. Have a spot over by your table there. Thank you. Right. And Rosemary Swift. We, have a, we are an equal opportunity employer here today. Uh, we have Rosemary Swick, who is a sound person. See, these are sound men, but you're not a sound woman, you're a sound person. It's, it's what it's come to, right? Rosemary, what do you do? I'm a housewife. Mm -hmm. But you're thinking of doing a little uh, professional acting, aren't you? Uh-huh. You're getting into it a little bit, aren't you? Uh, yes, I just got a job recently, so I'm thrilled. Okay, well, we'll, we'll look for that job, okay. And you're, which, which, you're with which group? Northwest Suburban. Northwest Suburban. One of the movers and shakers of the Northwest Suburban group, too, aren't you? I guess you could say okay. that. Have, have a spot over there by the sound people. <laughs> Engineers and technicians are notorious for not wanting to come up in front of the microphone, so we won't ask them to come up. But recording the entire proceedings this afternoon, all afternoon, are Jim Zaremski and Rick Garofalo. Why don't you guys stand up and take a bow? Huh? See, they won't even stand up. See, the engineers are everything they always say about it. These guys won't even get up. <laughs> Let's bring back our stars. How about uh, Mary Lee Robb, Shirley Mitchell, and Willard Waterman? And I do want you to meet the man who has directed this uh, assembly of uh, fine talent here. He's also from the West Group. He's Jed Skillman. Jed? Hi, Chuck. Jed? Jed has done an, art, uh, 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 an excellent job of bringing this all together. They've had a half a dozen rehearsals. I pulled the performances out of each and every one That's of them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> You should have been here before I thought he was going to get killed. He was, he was giving directions to Willard Waterman. <laughs> who was very nice. He says, yes, young man. <laughs> he has a tough agent. He has a tough Talk agent. To later. Right, yeah. We'll look forward to you, a fine performance from your gang here. We're ready to go. Okay. One last thing. When the performance is over, please stay seated for a little, uh, just a second or two anyway, and our cast is going to 
file out the back, and in the rotunda next door to us, we've got a, a, some tables set up where they're going to be for anybody who wants an autograph. And they'll be there as long as you want them to be there for autographs. But let them get out of the auditorium. And you can, you can leave that way, and then uh, there will be ushers here to show you exactly where that is. It's just the first door outside of the, uh, uh, the double doors here. And give them a second or two to get, get to their spots, and they'll be more than happy to autograph uh, uh, anything you want, within reason. I mean, <laughs> what can I say? So stick around. It's, um, it's 3.45 p.m. B-U-L-O-V-A, Boulevard Watch Time. The Great Gildersleeve is next. presents The Great Gildersleeve. Well, hello there. The Kraft Cheese Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, presents each week at this time Willard Waterman as The Great Gildersleeve, co-starring Mary Lee Robb as Marjorie and Shirley Mitchell as Leela Ransom. The show is written by Don Whedon and Sam Moore. We'll hear from the great Gildersleeve in just a moment. But first, if there are cheese lovers in your family, you're probably wondering how to adjust their appetites to your Red Stamp ration booklet. Well, that's easily solved when you learn how simple it is to extend such favorites as Pabstet, the delicious golden cheese food with over a hundred uses. You see, a great many of these hundred uses combine the unique cheddar cheese flavor of Pabstet with other foods for appetite-tingling results. So Pabstet becomes an economical luxury you can use thriftily and often. Just take leftover meats or vegetables or fish. Add a smooth, appetizing cheese sauce made with Pabstet, and you have another delightful main dish for another meal that's wonderfully good to eat and extra nourishing. Yes, besides adding flavor goodness when you melt, toast, or slice it, Pabstet helps supply many of the milk nutrients your family needs. Milk protein and milk minerals, food energy, vitamin A, and vitamin G that's also called riboflavin. So remember the name, Pabstet, the delicious golden cheese food that comes in the flat round package. Pabstet, the nourishing cheese food with over a hundred uses. And now, on to Summerfield and the Great Gildersleeve. It's spring in Summerfield. Lovely, lovely spring. Yes, you can feel it in the first warm rays of the sun slanting across the backyard. And you can hear it in the excitement of the birds twittering in the maples and the lazy clop-clop of the milkman's horse coming up the street. Yes, you can see it everywhere. Spring does something to people, and spring has done something to Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. <laughs> For early in the morning, hours before he's due at the office, even before Bertie is astir in the kitchen, Summerfield's foremost slug of bed is up, and dressed, and out of doors. He stands now in the back stoop, barefoot, with a shoe in each hand, and he dabbles a toe in the dewy grass. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> well, anyway, here goes. 
Mm, it tickles. Why, Uncle Morris? You, oh, good morning, Marjorie. <laughs> you started me. I, I thought I was alone. Well, what are you doing up so early? Well, it was such a fine morning. And uh, what in the world are you doing with your shoes off? Oh, oh, oh those. <laughs> well, I suppose it's silly, my dear, but uh, I've always had a sneaking desire to go barefoot in the dew. <laughs> you know what? So have I. How is it? It's cold. Don't try it. I think I'll put my shoes back on before I catch my death. Yes, you'd better. Yeah. Hey, Marjorie. Yes? Uh, you don't have to say anything about this to anybody, you know. People might, might not understand. Oh, don't worry, Uncle Mort. I understand. Yeah? My favorite niece. Now, how am I going to get my feet dry? Isn't it a glorious morning, Uncle Mort? Yes, it is. It's glorious. I love spring. I love to see things grow. This darn grass, it gets between your toes. Mm-hmm. It all feels so warm and friendly. Seems somehow as if the whole world were in love. Well, there's one shoe on. Now, what were you saying, my dear? Nothing. Uncle Mort, what's it like? Being in love. Uh, being in love? Yes. I think I know, but tell me. Well, a little like an attack of chills and fever. Yeah, only nicer. Uh, where's my other shoe? Oh, I have it. <laughs> Marjorie, look. Look there. Where? By the hedge there, sticking out of the leaf. <gasps> oh, why, it's a crocus. Yeah, the first crocus of spring. Look at that little thing peeping up at us down there. Oh, Uncle Mort, now it's really spring. Yeah, isn't that cute? Oh, oh, Uncle Mort, don't pick it. Uh, why not? Well, why? It looks so sweet there. Yeah, I know a place where it's going to look sweeter. <laughs> oh, Uncle Mort. There you are, little crocus. I know somebody you're going to make a big hit with. Well, Unky, you better put it in water right away. They don't last long when you pick them. Well, I'll run it over there with it right now. But, Uncle Mort, do you think Mrs. Ransom wants to see you so early in the morning? Why, of course. <laughs> She'll be glad to see me any time. But before breakfast? On an empty stomach? Huh? <laughs> well, I'll only be a minute, my dear. I'll only be a minute. That's funny, she must be here. Ah, here comes my beautiful angel. Hello, Leela. <laughs> yeah. Throckmorton, what on earth are you doing here at this hour in the morning? Yeah, I've got something for you. Guess what? Oh, this is no time for guessing games, Throckmorton. You woke me up. Well, Leela, it's 7 o'clock, and it's spring. Spring? Doesn't spring mean anything to you? No, not at this hour in the morning. Please go home, Throckmorton. Oh, look what I brought you, Leela. The first crocus. Isn't it pretty? Yes, yes, it's very pretty. Yeah, let me just put it in your hair. No, Throckmorton, and take your foot out of the door. Leela, 
Lena, just one little springtime good morning kiss. No, Throckmorton, you may not kiss me. What? Well, no, in the first place, it's too early. In the second place, you haven't shaved. Now, please take your foot from my door. But, Leela, after all, we're engaged to be married. Oh, we are, are we? Well, sir, I'm not even sure of that. Good morning. <laughs> hmm? Women. Is that you, Uncle Martin? Oh, yes, my dear. It's me, all well, right. Come on in. We have company for breakfast. Oh, uh, company? <laughs> oh, so it's you, Hooker. <laughs> old goat. What are you laughing at? <laughs> You look so darn silly with that crocus in your hand. Croc oh, oh cr crocus, yes. I just picked it out in the garden. I just picked it. Yeah, that's funny. When I came past Leela Ranson's house a moment ago, I could have sworn that you were trying to give that crocus away. Now, no, no, see here, Hooker. I didn't invite you here to breakfast. What are you doing hanging around this neighborhood anyway at this hour of the morning? Well, I came to weed my victory garden. Oh, yeah. That victory garden in the lot next door, I can see we'll get plenty of drop-in trade. <laughs> oh, come on, have some breakfast, Uncle Mort. Maybe it'll cheer you up. Uh, I'll try it. Bertie. Yes, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, good morning, Bertie. Morning, uh, sir. Uh, put this crocus in water, please. Then bring me two three-minute eggs, half a grapefruit, and plenty of toast and coffee. Yes, sir. Oh, Bertie. Yes, Judge? Seeing how it's such a nice day, you can give Mr. Gilbersleeve a few of those little sausages that I brought over here. Yes, sir. Uh, did you say sausages, Judge? That's right, Gildy. Well, now, that's mighty friendly of you. Although I hate to admit it. <laughs> Yep, I defended a farmer who makes his own sausage yesterday, and I took out my whole fee in trade. Yeah, I wonder if I can get him to pay his water bill and potatoes. Oh, goodness, here comes Superman. Who? Hi, sis. Hi, Unc. Good morning, Judge. Hello, Leroy. Morning, Leroy. Leroy, stick in your shirt tail. Oh, for corn's sakes. It was okay when I started downstairs. Here's your orange juice, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, thank you, Bertie. Oh, Leroy. Good morning, Bertie. Uh, don't soft soap me. Was you in my cake box last night? Why, no, Bertie. Now, Leroy. No, honest, I wasn't. Oh, Leroy, nobody's going to hang you. Why don't you own up? Well, because I never touched the darn yeah, cake. Yeah, 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 wait a minute. What is all this? It's a case of the people versus Leroy, Throckmorton. The charge is largely of a piece of cake. Uh, uh, uh cake. Cake? Oh, yeah. Bertie, it's just possible that I took a piece of cake last night. Huh, you said possible, Mr. Gildersleeve? Yeah, possible. Well, that's good enough for me. Case dismissed, hang the jury and habeas corpus. Bertie, you er, very easily could have become a lawyer. You know, don't putting ideas into her head, Judge. She's a good cook. Here, get those sausages, will you, Bertie? I can smell them from here, and they're ready. Yeah, Mr. Gildersleeve, you're right. 
Them sausages has reached their zero hour. Yeah, then bring them out. Play the sausages, a nice two-hour nap. I'll be ready to go to the office. Gee. <laughs> What's that, Bobby? Oh, you can't talk to me like that, you fresh boy, or I'll just hate you. Uh, 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 oh, uh, goodbye, honey. Good morning, Mr. Gildersleeve. Uh, good morning. Uh, good morning. Uh, Bessie. Yeah, 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 thank you. <laughs> Any mail I need to look at, Bessie? Well, most of it could wait till tomorrow. Well, that's good. And I took care of the rest. Oh, good girl, Bessie. You're ready to get the hang of the waterworks. Oh, thank you, sir. There was a letter from that new laundry on State Street, and I answered it. It's on your desk for you to sign. Oh, fine, Bessie. I'll clean up my day's work in no time. Uh, now, let me see here. Let me see. Oh, here it is. Parker and Laundry Summerfield. Dear sirs, Received your inquiry about special water rates for laundries. In reply, I beg to inform you, we have no special water. <laughs> we only sell the regular kind. Yours? Oh, that Bessie. I'm going to have to get rid of oh, her. Oh, Mr. Gildersleeve. What is it now, Bessie? There's someone here to see you. Oh, for heaven's sakes, I can't... Oh... Hello, Leela. Hello, Throckmorton. <laughs> you may go, Bessie. Yes, sir. Well, quite a surprise you're being here. Well, Throckmorton, I just had to come and see you for a minute. I'm afraid I was just a teensy little bit cross earlier this morning. Hey, you hurt my feelings, Leela. Oh, I'm so sorry, Throckmorton. But you have to understand that no woman likes to be seen early in the morning when she's not exactly at her best. Um, <clears throat> tell me, how do you like my new dress? Leela, hmm? what did you mean this morning when you said you weren't sure we were engaged? Oh, well, I didn't mean it just the way it sounded, but sometimes I think you take me too much for granted. Well, I always thought if you were engaged, why you're engaged, that's all. Oh, now you see, there you go, Throckmorton, taking things yeah, but, for but, granted. But, but, but I, you think being engaged is just sitting around holding hands and kissing and such. You mean there's more to it? Well, of course there is. Our engagement should be a preparation for our life together. Why, we should be spending this time trying to develop some interests in common, things that we like to do together. Well, I... No, like... no, I mean besides kissing. No, no. I mean... Things we're both interested in, things we like to talk about, you know, well, worthwhile things like, well, like world affairs and, and current events and all. Yeah. Uh, Leela, when I'm with you, I can't think about worthwhile things. Well, oh, but you must try, darling. I mean, if we're going to be happy later, we must learn to be friends now. Well, I'm willing to try. If you want to. Oh. Friends, huh? Uh-huh. Let's start now, then. 
How about a nice lunch with me at Dabney's Grill? We can get a booth. Oh, no. Oh, I couldn't possibly frock my Orton. I'm having lunch with Marie King at the Women's Exchange, and afterward we're going to do the Red Cross. Oh, goodness gracious, I'm late now. I must fly. But, Leela. Oh, no, no. Goodbye, Throckmorton. And you think about what I said now like a good boy. Bye. Good. <laughs> women. There are no such thing as women. This world would be a lot better place. <laughs> Yeah, but who'd want to live in it? <laughs> I'm going to lunch. The great Gildersleeve will be with us again in a few seconds. Meanwhile, let me suggest a really practical way to add extra nourishment and extra flavor to everyday meals. Dozens of ordinary dishes turn into very special treats when you add the delicious flavor of Pabstet, the nourishing cheese food with over a hundred uses. For example, use Pabstet in making a macaroni casserole and see how good tasting this economical dish can be with that grand cheddar cheese flavor baked in. Or melt Pabstead into a smooth cheese sauce and see how it transforms leftovers of meat or fish into exciting main dishes for the next meal and makes even the plainest of vegetables wonderfully appetizing. Pabstead slices perfectly, too, with fruit or pie or just all by itself. It tops off wartime meals with a grand touch of cheese goodness. Yes, for real flavor and for some of the vitamins and minerals your family needs, ask your dealer for Pabstead. He may not always have it on hand because so much of the nation's dairy food is going to war that supplies sometimes run low. But keep watching for economical Pabstet. Buy it when you can. Pabstet, the delicious cheese food with over a hundred uses. Well, time mooches on. Two hours have passed while Gildersleeve, alone in Dabney's Grill, lingered over lunch, glaring at the women around him and muttering into his salad. And now, reluctant to get back to work, he's thought up an excuse to go out to the reservoir and confer with the superintendent. I need hardly tell you that on a spring day, there isn't a pleasanter place in Summerfield than out at the reservoir. Cooler here. Uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie, Uncle Charlie, uh, might be in the pumping station. Uh, Charlie, uh, Charlie Anderson, uh, not here. Well, it's a nice day. I'll just lie down here in the shade till he turns up. Oh, oh. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Ah, spring. Spring, spring, you lovely thing. Bees and birds are up. Listen to the way they sing. Ting-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. -a -ling -a -ling. <laughs> well, not bad. <laughs> no, Mr. Gildersleeve, well, that's pretty good. Uh, oh. Peavy, where did you come from? I didn't hear you. Well, I learned to walk in Indian fashion as a boy. Hmm. See? One foot in front of the other. <laughs> yeah, huh? If I had moccasins on, you couldn't hear me at all. Uh, well, what are you doing out here, Peavy? 
Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, I could ask you the same question. Uh, well, I, I, I'm me. I'm out here on business. Oh, I see. Yes, I'm waiting for the superintendent here, Charlie Anderson. Oh, in that case, I'll sit down and help you wait. Uh, who's tending the drugstore while you're out here, Peavy? <laughs> Mrs. Peavy. Yes? Oh, but it's all right. I've been picking her some wildflowers. See? Trailing Arbutus. Looks like poison ivy to me. No. Oh, then you don't know trailing Arbutus. Maybe you don't know poison ivy. <laughs> no, I always carry a bottle of calamine lotion with me, just to be on the safe side. Uh, you better. Care for some? No, 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 thanks, no thanks. Uh, Peavy, uh, speaking of poison ivy, uh, have you ever had much to do with women? <laughs> No, in a manner of speaking, uh, I'm married to one. Yeah, well then tell me, Peavy, what does a woman mean when she says you've been asking her too much, taking her too much for granted? <laughs> I haven't heard that in 15 years. Well, what does it mean? Well, it usually means that she's been reading a book. Oh, oh, oh. I'll never forget the year that Mrs. Peavy subscribed to the Ladies' Home Companion. No peace that year. Uh, what did you do? <laughs> I let the subscription run out. Oh. Hey, you, what you think you're doing there? Don't you notice it's city property? Oh, oh, Charlie, Charlie Anderson. <laughs> uh, wait a minute, Charlie, wait a minute. Go on, get on here. Get off the property, Dad Busted. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa there. Oh, Hold Mr. your horses, Uncle Charlie. Put on your glasses. It's me, Gildersleeve. Oh, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yeah, yeah. Well, by jiggers, it's about time. I called you up. We got to do something here. People coming out here all over the place, breaking bottles, scattering papers, like a dad-busted picnic ground. Yeah, uh, Charlie, uh, you know Mr. Peavy, don't you? Of course I know him. What do you think? Know him as well as I know you. Hello, Mr. Anderson. Folks come out here at night, too, and park in their dad-busted automobiles. Come out here to Spoon. What are we running here, a waterworks or a dad-busted petting parlor? Well, Charlie, you have to remember... Holy Toledo. Uh, you have to remember, this is public property. After all, boys will be boys. Well, I don't mind the boys. It's the women. They come out here in their slacks. And uh, they're worse than the men. No, well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Come out here in that, what'd you say? <laughs> he said he wouldn't say that. Well, what would he say? You'll have to ask him. Would you care to enlarge on that thought, Peavy? Well, my experience with the fair sex has been that uh, they take a little understanding. I'll say. Hmm. Now, Mr. Gildersleeve here has a problem. He... I don't know what your problem is, Commissioner, but I'll tell you the answer. Steer clear of women. Have nothing to do with them. Dad bust them. Especially this time of the year. Charlie, I'm inclined to think you're right. No, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Don't keep saying that, for Pete's sakes. What do you know about women anyway? Well, I've got one of them waiting at home for me right now. Can either of you gentlemen say the same? Yeah, well, Peavy's been a bad boy today. He's been playing hooky. Well, no, I wouldn't say... Dad busted, there he goes again. <laughs> No offense, Mr. Anderson. Uh, Mr. Gildersleeve, if I might offer a suggestion? Yes, Peavy, yes. Uh, have you tried taking our lady friend, uh, Posey? 
They're usually well received. You know, I took her a posy. <laughs> That's what started all the trouble. What did? What uh, did you take her? Dad busted crocus. <laughs> Is it all right if I clear away the dishes now? Oh, yeah, we're finished, Bertie. Yeah, that was a fine dinner. Well, it should have been, Mr. Gildersleeve. It was pretty expensive. Oh, really, Bertie? What did it cost? 18 red points, 16 blue points, $2 in cash, and a coffee stamp. Well, 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 well. Uh, Leroy, go get me a cigar, will you? In the den. Okay, Unc. And stick your shirt tail in. Oh, for corn's sakes. Is that out again? Well, Margie, I suppose Ben will be coming over this evening. Well, how'd you guess? Are you going over to Mrs. Ransom's? Well, I, I don't know, my dear. I, I'm not sure I want to. Oh, why? What's wrong? Oh, nothing, really. I told you, Unky, this morning not to go rushing over there at the crack of dawn. Well, she wants me to talk about foreign affairs or something. I don't know what she wants. Worthwhile conversation and all that kind of stuff. Well, why don't you do it? Me talk about foreign affairs? Well, you wouldn't have to talk about them very long. Oh, I don't understand. Well, you will. You just try it. Here's your cigar, on. I bit oh. the end off for you. Oh, perhaps it'd be good enough to smoke it for me, too. Yeah, sure. You got a light? Yeah, yeah I'm fooling. I'm fooling. Give it to me. Hey, Unc, uh, have you got a minute? What do you mean, if I got a minute? Well, I'd like to discuss something with you. All right, my boy. Let's discuss it. Privately, I'd like to discuss it with you man to man. What's this all about? I don't know. Uh, will you excuse us, my dear? Just step into the gen den here, Leroy. Thanks, Unc. Now, what's on your mind, young man? Unc, uh, could I have 53 cents to go to the movies? I thought movies cost 35 cents. Well, well, you see, I'm going with Piggy, and we're each going to buy our own tickets. That's 35. Oh, yes? And then we're each going to pay for half of the other ticket. What other ticket? Well, we have to have another ticket. Why? Well, we're taking somebody. Who? Who are you taking who can't pay for his own ticket? Well, we're taking a girl. A girl, huh? Yeah, Janie Owen. You too, Leroy? Well, I suppose it was bound to come. Here, here's a dollar. Maybe she likes sodas. Ah, oh, thanks, Unc. You're swell. Unc, uh, one more thing. Here, now, now what? Don't say anything about this to Marge. Marge? Well, why not? Well, because I'd just die if she found out, Unc. Honest, I'd just die. <laughs> You're all right, my boy. I won't say anything to your sister. Thanks. Well, I got to go. Uh, Leroy. I know. Stick my shirt tail in. Yeah. <laughs> Hiya, Ben. When did you blow in? So long, Marge. So long, everybody. Uh, 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 uh. Well, he was in a hurry. Evening, Mr. Gildersleeve. Oh, hello, Ben. Oh, won't you take the sofa? Oh, no, no. Hey, sit still, you two. Sit still. 
I can sit over here if I want to. Oh, well, um, Unky, we were going out anyway, weren't we, Ben? Huh? Oh, oh, oh sure, sure. Anything you say, Marge. <laughs> <laughs> well, we thought maybe we'd go to a movie or something. <laughs> yeah, we thought we'd go to the movies. Now, 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 don't let me drive you out of here. I'll go into my den or, or someplace. Oh, no, we don't want you to do that, Mr. Gildersleeve. Ben. Yeah, stick around. We weren't going to do anything. Well, I may go out... I haven't decided. Uh, don't let me get in your way. Oh, you wouldn't. Ben, let Uncle Mort do what he wants. If he wants to go in his den, let him go in his den. If he wants to go out, let him go out. All right, my dear, I'll go. I know you young people want to be together. Oh, honest, Mr. Gildersleeve. Ben. Yeah, I think Ben wants to be alone. I'll go and look into the international situation next door. <laughs> You might come over. You were? Mm, yes. Come into the parlor, won't you? Yeah. Yeah, all right. Now, what do you think I did after I got through with the Red Cross this afternoon? I don't know what. Well, I took a walk out south of town. You know that big tall hill just before you get to the Mansfield Road? Well, I climbed up there all by myself, and I lay there in the grass and just let the spring breeze blow through my hair. I could just feel spring all over me. Leela, the Allied forces in North Africa make definite progress today. Uh-huh. Uh, really, honey? You know what I think. Uh, what, Throckmorton? Well, this is just my personal analysis, of course, uh -huh. but after the Allies take Africa, I wouldn't be surprised if they use it as a base to attack Europe. Uh-huh. Throckmorton, you're so clever when you want to be. Now, I just would never think of anything like that, but of course, you men are also military. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Leela, I'm thinking of joining the Book of the Month Club. I imagine it'll be very worthwhile. Oh, I'm sure it will. All my cousins used to belong back home, and they just loved it. I used to wish I had the time to read all those books. They come pretty often, you know. Every month. Hmm. Uh, sit down here beside me, honey. Yeah, all right. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, did you hear the symphony concert on the radio this evening? Oh, uh, well, I missed it. What did they play? Uh, something by Beethoven. Oh. You know, Ludwig Beethoven, the well-known composer? Oh, yes. I just adore his symphonies, especially the Moonlight Sonata. I thought that was a piano piece. Oh, well, uh, it's been arranged for the piano. Um, would you like me to play it for you? Oh, you know I love to hear you play, Leela. Uh-huh. Strange I should think of the Moonlight Sonata when there's such a lovely moon outside, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now, are you sure you want me to play? Oh, please, please play. Mm. 
was certainly a fine composer. Mm, wasn't he, though? Very classical. <sighs> what does Moonlight make you think of, Throckmorton? Yeah. Lots of things. Mm. Throckmorton, do you like this song? Becomes mm, I just love it when Bing Crosby sings this. Oh, Bing Crosby, huh? Mm-hmm. tell you about the Rommel plan. <laughs> the great Gildersleeve will return in a minute. These days, the old saying, a penny saved is a penny earned, has a running mate. A point saved is a point earned. Stretching ration stamps has become just as important as saving dollars. And one of the best ways you homemakers can do both is to buy quality foods like parquet margarine that are good tasting, nutritious, and tops for many uses. Parquet margarine has a delicious, satisfying flavor that makes it just about perfect as a spread for bread. It's a wonderful seasoning for hot vegetables, and when it comes to baking, you can depend on parquet because it's a flavor shortening a real flavor shortening. You'll like it for pan frying, too. It doesn't spatter or stick to the pan. Every economical package of parquet margarine helps supply the energy and vitamins your family needs. It's one of the best energy foods you can serve, and every pound contains 9,000 units of vitamin A. Now, if you can't buy parquet the first time you try, it's because of wartime shortages. But Kraft is doing everything possible to keep dealers supplied, and you should be able to get it soon. So always ask for Parquet, P-A-R-K-A-Y, Parquet Margarine, made by Kraft. And now, here's the great Gildersleeve again. Well, Leroy, did you and Peggy have a good time at the movies with your girl? No, not very. No? What's the matter? Wasn't the picture any good? Nah, just a lot of mushy stuff. Besides, after two hours, I found I'd been holding hands with Piggy. 
Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Gildersleeve was played by Willard Waterman, Marjorie by Mary Lee Robb, and Leela Ransom by Shirley Mitchell. Others in the cast were Carl Hughes as Leroy, Barbara Dahl Kemper as Birdie, James Linden as PV, Fritz Michaelis as Judge Hooker, Charles Beavis as Charlie Anderson, Norbert Weissman as Ben, and Deborah Pining as Bessie. Our pianist was Gloria Gunnigan, and sound effects were by Phil Wilde, Rosemary Swick, and Steve Dilley. Recording engineers were Rick Garofalo and Steve, Jim Zaremski. The Great Gildersleeve script was transcribed by Janet Hoshaw. The program was directed by Jed Skillman and produced by Tom Turpak and Chuck Shaden. This is your announcer, Al Barbro, speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to listen in again next week for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. This program came to you from the Radio Hall of Fame at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. This is the National Broadcasting Company. This is a wonderful cast, and this is a wonderful experience. To have you folks here means a lot to me and to all of us. We thank you so much for being here. Now, we have another little treat for you. Have a seat for just a second. Why don't you have a seat for a second, too? You know, during the... Um, I'm not used to a two-sided mic here. <laughs> during the weeks of rehearsal for this recreation, we, of course, in Chicago didn't have the benefit of our talented stars this afternoon because they didn't get here till last night. And so we had to have understudies who worked with the, the other cast as they prepared this recreation. Now, there were these three people who were hoping your planes would not get here. And then when the planes got here safely, they were hoping for a snowstorm <laughs> so you couldn't get here from the Hyatt Regency. But they made it, and these folks didn't get the big chance. They didn't get the break, just as Mary Lee didn't get the break that time when uh, uh, Marjorie finally showed up. But we thought these folks had did such a good job in, in the rehearsals, we wanted them to get a little bit of recognition. So I want you to meet the uh, three understudies and in fact, we're going to give them a page and a half in the sun. And we would like to have them show you a scene from this particular broadcast as it would have, were, was done by them at the rehearsals. So first, I'd like you to, uh, to meet uh, uh, Karen Skillman, who played Marjorie. Karen?
Now, it's not true, Karen, that you got this plum job of being an understudy because you know the director, right? Oh, no, there's nothing. Not true. No, I was the only one that wanted Marjorie's part. But her husband, the director, said, well, go ahead and do it anyway. <laughs> You're with the uh, Radio Players West? Yes. And what do you do? With the Radio Players No, no, West. in real life. Oh, I'm <laughs> in the accounting department at Editel in Chicago. Okay, well, you take your spot over Thank here and you. we'll hear your version of Marjorie. <laughs> And you're going to get a critique from Mary Lee afterwards. <laughs> In the role of um, Leela is Pat Apida. Where's Pat? Come on up, Pat. <laughs> Pat, you're with which of the groups? The Northwest Suburban and the Norwich. Oh, doing two groups. Okay, mm -hmm. and what do you do? I play the organ at a funeral home. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> Which is why we got Gloria for this bit today, right? Oh, she does a much better job. We didn't think anybody was going to die up here this afternoon. Yeah. Okay, Pat, will you come over and do your uh, Leela Ransom role? And um, well, you're going to be over here, I guess, at this okay. mic in just a second. Okay. And Shirley's going to critique you after that. Not really. And in the role of uh, the great Gildersleeve is David Condon. Dave? Dave? This guy looks a little more like Hal Perry, I think. <laughs> Dave, uh, which group are you with? With the West Group. With the West Group. Well, a lot of heavy Westers here. Okay, and what do you do, Dave? Well, I've been a graphic artist, but I'm still not sure what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> okay, so you may even get into radio, right? Who could know? Okay. All right, uh, Jed, are you ready to uh, do your stuff with your three uh, understudies? Okay. feels so warm and friendly. Seems somehow as if the whole world were in love. Well, there's one she on. What were you saying, my dear? Oh, nothing. Uncle Mort, what's it like being in love? Being in love? Yes, I think I know, but tell me. Well, it's a little like an attack of chills and fever, only nicer. Where's my other shoe? Oh, I have it. Marjorie, look. Look there. What? By the hedge there, sticking out of the leaf. Why, it's a crocus. Yeah, the first crocus of spring. Look at that little thing peeping up at us down there. Oh, Uncle Mort, now it's really spring. Yeah, isn't that cute? Oh, don't pick it. Why not? Oh, but why? It looks so sweet there. I know a place where it's going to look sweeter. Oh, <laughs> Uncle Mort. Yeah, there you are, little crocus. I know somebody you're going to make a big hit with. Well, you better put it in water right away, Uncle Mort. They don't last very long when you pick them. Then I'll run over there with it right now. But, Uncle Mort, do you think Mrs. Ransom would want to see you so early in the morning? Why, of course. She'd be glad to see me anytime. But before breakfast and on an empty stomach? <laughs> well, uh, I'll only be a minute, my dear. I'll only be a minute. Let's finish up here. Ah, here comes my beautiful angel. Hello, Leela. <laughs> oh, Throckmorton, what on earth are you doing here at this hour in the morning? I've got something for you. Guess what? 
Oh, this is no time for guessing games, Throckmorton. You woke me up. But, Leela, it's 7 o'clock and it's spring. Spring? Yes, doesn't spring mean anything to you? Not at this hour in the morning. Please go home, Throckmorton. Oh, look what I brought you, Leela. The first crocus. Uh, isn't it pretty? Yes, it's very pretty. Yeah, let me put it in your hair. No, Throckmorton. And take your foot out of the door. Why, Leela, just one little springtime good morning kiss. No, Throckmorton, you may not kiss me. What? No. In the first place, it's too early. And in the second place, you haven't shaved. Now, please take your foot from my door. But, Leela, after all, we're engaged to be married. Oh, we are, are we? Well, sir, I'm not even sure of that. Good morning. Yeah, women... Well, we hope you enjoyed your afternoon here. Uh, if you want to get some autographs, our cast is going to leave the stage this way and be in the rotunda area, and you can just go out that way, and there'll be another little line, but they'll be glad to sign an autograph. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for being with us. Have a good afternoon.
Jaws Professional 09-02 Alt F4 Alt Tab Winum Equalizer Norton Security Alt Tab Alt Tab Alt F4 Alt Tab Norton Security What Alt Tab Sound Forge Pro 11.1 <laughs> 